Check this out. On the weekend. Ufa. Take a journey with the people's mayor. Curtis Lewa is a politician who says don't trust politicians. It's another side of midnight with Curtis Lewa. The iconic, the legendary Curtis Lewa. This city doesn't sleep, and neither does Curtis Lewa. On another side of midnight. Oh, yeah. Now, to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa.
until we have another situation. As you see, out of the many situations that occurred in the past, and we were told uh, long in advance, in fact, starting three days ago, that the video that was going to be released by the Memphis Police Department would be bad, would reflect poorly on the cops. We knew it was five black cops. We knew it was one black victim. It's horrible. It's worse than Rodney King in Simi Valley out in uh, L.A. It's worse than George Floyd being killed in the streets of South Minneapolis by Minneapolis police. And uh, it was. No doubt about it. I mean, uh, out of everybody here broadcasting at WABC, or really anywhere, I think uh, this is my sweet spot because I've been the victim of beatdowns. I've given beatdowns. I know what beatdowns are. And this was an absolute savage beatdown. That is, uh, I'm not going to say it's never happened before by the police. I'm certainly aware of some. But it more oftentimes happens among thugs, whether they're gangbangers, members of organized crime, drug dealers. What I saw on the video, and I saw it quite a few times, before I went out and took uh, a walk around the city to be able to see uh, what the temperature was. Because if you remember when I was talking with Dominic, uh, because we preempted uh, Bill O'Reilly, simply because um, this was a pre-recorded show and it did not have any of the elements of what was transpiring in Memphis and around the country tonight. I knew right away this was not going to be the summer of 2020. No way. And you know why? Didn't have the ingredients. And I said it to Dominic. I said, you have five black cops who, uh, after giving uh, this young man a savage beatdown, who uh, was nothing more than uh, a tall Urkel, really, Tyree Nichols. Tall Urkel. He's about 150 pounds, six, maybe six one, six three. Turns out uh, the reason he was so tall and gaunt is uh, he suffered uh, from uh, Crohn's disease, uh, something I know a hell of a lot about. Nicer guy you're never going to meet. I mean, everything in this guy's background is that he was sweet, uh, really wasn't a thug. Uh, Don't know how he ended up in Memphis because he had that uh, California personality, skateboarder, liked to take pictures of Sunset. Had a four-year-old son, didn't want to hang out in the hood. His mother had given him a pair of, no, his father, stepfather, given him a pair of Air Jordans. He said, I don't want to wear those. So, you know, he was a a different kind of a a guy, you know, just a a softer side. Not a street dude in any way, shape, or form, like obviously these five cops were. (laughs) Oh, man, the street came out of them big time. But what I want to do is also talk about how this was a test. For Black Lives Matter, which is now big, large mansions, and they could not put boots on the ground. Uh, their day may be over because they definitely disappointed many who believed in their cause. I mean, think back to the summer of 2020 after George Floyd was uh, killed in the streets of South Minneapolis by the police. And the leaders of the demonstrations, many of them that turned into riots and looting and shooting. It was Black Lives Matters first, and then Antifa, the white anarchy, second. And we saw a little bit of Antifa about a week ago in Atlanta, 
Uh, they've laid siege to a forest area that they're trying to clear out in order to be- uh, build a public safety building, a police academy. They're similar to what we did in College Point in Queens when we built a new NYPD police com- uh, academy, state-of-the-art, to replace what we had had uh, over uh, over in Midtown on the East Side, the old police academy. And um, Antifa could not deliver. They didn't deliver in Atlanta. Their members got arrested, all of whom uh, were out-of-town whites and Asians, not a black amongst them, as they laid siege to what is Chocolate City, Atlanta, with a black mayor, black police commissioner, black police department, black population. It's not. It didn't work there. And apparently it didn't work anywhere in the country. Let me just give you their call to action uh, tonight. It's a combination of Black Lives Matter, which has become big, large mansions, and Antifa. The call to action was that at 8 o'clock tonight, you were to attack any and all NYPD facilities that you could find. Burn it all down. Well, that reminded me of Hawk Newsom, right? Uh, the uh, self-appointed leader of Black Lives Matter, a.k.a. Big Large Mansions in New York City. He lives up in the Concourse Village, not far from Yankee Stadium, a real mamaluke with his mother. Drives around in a Cadillac Escalade that costs about $100,000 because he was all like, uh, all uh, all uh, hooked up, had all the ancillary items on it, all tricked out. And his sister, who had run uh, against AOC All Out Crazy, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, as a hardcore communist. I mean, she was further to the left uh, than AOC, and she did obviously not do very well in that Democratic primary. But the two of them are like Heckle and Jekyll, two peas in a pot, a soup in a sandwich, a horse in a carriage. So here is their literature. Burn it all down. Bring rocks, heavy objects, pipes, spray paint, kerosene, lighters, an umbrella, Umbrellas, excuse me. Travel in large groups, wear all black, cover your face, bring a knife or other tool to free unlawfully detained comrades. They have a a big uh, sort of slash through the uh, NYPD badge. Then they got the fist up, the white fist, obviously, for Antifa. And then it says Antifa fascista action. Probably in German. I have no idea. They did not deliver. I think it's safe to say. They pulled about 100 people in Times Square. I took a quick walk down to Grand Central Station. They had about 1,000 cops there. I guess they figured well, with that brand new uh, East Side Link that just opened up how many years later. And, oh, my God, you know, that might be... Uh, uh, that might be the object for an attack by uh, Antifa or Black Lives Matter, a.k.a. Black Large uh, Mansions, Big Large Mansions. They didn't deliver it. And one guy, he gets on top of a police cruiser in Times Square. He smashes the window and the cops arrest him right away. They grab another woman out of the crowd. She objected. She had a red hoodie. There was Hawk Newsom. There was his sister. They were getting all big and bad, but there's nothing. They didn't deliver. And so far, in everywhere that I've checked in the subways, I had a lot of Guardian Angel patrols out tonight, nothing. Down in Chinatown, which is usually where they would congregate coming over the Brooklyn Bridge from Barclays Center, nothing. Apparently, nobody met up in Brooklyn or or rampaged through the streets of uh, Williamsburg, which was one time a hotspot for Antifa. I mean, they didn't deliver. 
Haven't delivered in Philadelphia. I haven't heard much from there or Baltimore. Uh, some demonstrations in D.C., some in Atlanta. But nothing to speak of. Uh, nothing in Chicago of note. Obviously in Memphis, the city in question, yes. But there are two bigger cities that have had similar problems with uh, rogue uh, thugs running the streets, drug dealers, and and stick-up crews, and rogue cops. That's St. Louis. That's New Orleans, the two bigger cities with the more severe crime problems, and the smaller New Orleans, which is Memphis. And we haven't had any reports in yet from uh, Portland, Oregon, where it's demonstration de jour every night. They've destroyed that city. Uh, we'll see. I have Guardian Angels there, Seattle. Uh, no reports yet from Los Angeles, uh, all the likely places that had occurred before. And why is that, ladies and gentlemen? This was the most savage of all beatings, worse than Rodney King, the beatdown that the LAPD gave him in Simi Valley that led to an insurrection, a riot. Worse than the killing of George Floyd in the streets of South Minneapolis. So why is it that this particular killing of a citizen who did nothing wrong, by the way, the police department still in Memphis cannot cite why the hell this young man was even stopped in a so-called traffic stop. Nothing. And I'm telling you why it is. There's no ingredients here, Broadway Bill Lee, that always attracts people to the streets. Black versus white. Oh, always. If two black guys were fighting in the street, very few people would watch. Two white guys fighting, very few people watch. Two guys, a black and a white fighting, boom, the street is packed. It's been that way forever. It's like gasoline on the fire. So now we have five thug cops who happen to be black preying upon a black guy who is clearly not street at all in any way, shape, or form. When you see the videos, as much as a beatdown as he took, and oh my God, he took a savage beatdown. Never cursed, never screamed profanities, which is something uh, any normal person would have done, was just running for his life. And they took him down a second time, and they wouldn't let him escape to his home where he was screaming for his mother, who was just yards away. I mean, this is bad, real bad. And it's going to affect policing all over the country. But if you notice, it did not crystallize a response into the streets of New York City like we saw in the summer of 2020. And I'm telling you the reason it didn't. You didn't have that combination. It always drives, always drives hate, and that's uh, racial division. In fact, here was Hawk Newsom, desperate as he was to rally a crowd of 100 people in Times Square. That's all they could amass. With all the hype for 72 hours, we're releasing a tape. It's the worst ever. The police commissioner, nice woman there in uh, Memphis, but boy, was she hyping it. It's horrible. It's worse than Rodney King. I've never seen anything as bad as this. And it turned out uh, that it was the worst uh, tape uh, that I've ever seen, and I think most people have ever seen. And so it was true. But the point was, it was hyped for three days. You would have thought there'd have been thousands of people out. Nope. And I knew it the moment I saw it. Five black cops and a black victim. They're not going to turn out into the streets. And they did. Now, I could prove to be wrong. Over the course of the rest of the hours, uh, because we're three hours behind the West Coast, excuse me, three hours ahead, 
And there may be something that triggers it over the weekend on Saturday. I just, I don't sense it. Didn't sense it walking around uh, Midtown. Didn't sense it in the subways tonight. Just didn't get that sense. And I mean, this is as graphic a video as you can see. Right from the top of that uh, telephone pole. Where you get to actually watch the cops lift up. The 29-year-old Tyree Nichols, and repeatedly smash him in the face, smash him in the face with their fists. They kicked him when he was down, and then one of the cops, you can see him, even he even slowly removes his foldable, non-slip, flexible telescopic stick, which replaces the old wooden baton that the cops had. And I mean, he crashes it into. Tyree, while they're holding him up, about three or four times. I mean, full swing. And that poor guy didn't stand a chance after that kind of a beatdown. But um, you knew they were going to be agitated. So they were going to try to take advantage of this. And Hawk Newsom, who's got nothing to live for but to divide black from white, to cause people to hate on cops, was doing his best to fire up the crowd first in uh, Union Square and then when they eventually marched up to Times Square. But not those allies who will get up here and be like, I'm with you as long as you march peacefully. Peace. 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 Man, he was selling wolf tickets. Notice, there was like, the crowd was like not into it. It's almost like uh, he's trying to jumpstart them in the worst way. There's Hawk Newsom, no doubt, who rolled down in his $100,000 all-tricked-out Cadillac Escalade, the Mameluke that he is, from Concourse Village, right across the street from uh, the Grand Concourse from uh, Yankee Stadium and the court building on 161st. And the only way that we get ahead is through unity. But I'm not talking that kumbaya unity. I'm talking that if you with us, we up type of unity. I'm talking that I will die for each and every one of y'all type of unity. Man, that was like weak. Guy's out of practice, right? Looked like he was out of breath. Go on, Hawk. You could do better than that. Remember, I remember in the midst of uh, the summer of 2020, you were going to, you was telling every burn this sucker down. Burn this sucker down. Black cops ain't black, they blue. Okay, a pig is a pig. Whether they black, white, brown, Asian, or Haitian, a cop is a cop, and they are upholding white supremacy. We are not our ancestors. We will f you up. Black power. Oh, man. Weak respond. Yo, Broadway Bill Lee, what happened? Man, it's almost like they were like asleep, like they were on Salmonex. Well, there's only 100. After all that media hype, they could only attract 100 in the Times Square. And you saw all the signs were the same. 
So they were pre-made signs by the uh, Democratic Socialists of America. I mean, clearly, there was a political edge to this. And then uh, the crowd was going wild against the police, but I don't know. It didn't sound like it was all, all that tough stuff to me. putting on a show for all the cameras. If the cameras weren't there, they wouldn't have been there. It just, it was low budget, man. I've seen Black Lives Matter now, big, large mansions in their prime. They could flex. I've seen in Antifa. I battled Antifa June 1st and June 2nd in the streets of Lower Manhattan. They busted my jaw with a claw hammer. They picked up a city bike. They smashed me in the head. They injured some other guardian angel. We didn't surrender. We didn't retreat. And certainly uh, we were there where the police were told not to be there by then Comrade Bill de Blasio, the part-time mayor, the dope from Park Slope, who single-handedly destroyed this city that we so love. Uh, let's try your sister, Shavona. Maybe Shavona had a little more fire in the belly than uh, Hawk Newsom had. It ain't there. Broadway Bill Lee, it ain't there, man. I, I, the passion ain't there to fight. Because you see, if the crowd is big, they're into it. But you know that Hawk Newsom, you know his uh, sister, Shimon, probably looked out and said, that's it, 100 people? After all this hype? After everything we sent out on the Internet, all the social networking? Everybody was like saying, oh, oh, you got to come to Times Square. Every newscast said, oh, demonstration, Times Square, 7 o'clock. All they could produce was 100 people. Well, we'll give Shimona one last time to see if she could outdo her, her brother in hate, Hawk Newsom. They tell you to be passive. It's a new form of slavery. Yes, sir. Stand up, right. fight back, and stop taking this bull. Because if black people fought, they wouldn't be killing us. One of them one of us. I'm not telling you to do it, but if you choose to, I'll be at your court support. Oh, man. I don't even, you know, that's so low budget, we shouldn't have even played it, man. It's like below our standards, you know. They didn't have any rhymes. They didn't have any chance. It seems like they've been out of practice for a long time, you know, living up, you know, they got their cribs and the the big, large mansions now. They, they don't got that energy in the streets. Driving around in $100,000, all tricked out, Cadillac Escalades. Because of all the suckers who gave them money in the summer of 2020. As a form of, please don't, don't bust my window in my business. And then immediately they put up those signs, Black Lives Matter, because that was just basically, hopefully you'll pass my business on and you won't loot and you won't shoot. They ain't got the juice anymore. And where was Antifa? 
it will almost like missing in action. Anyway, let's open up our phone lines. This is your opportunity to react to probably the most um, specific video we've ever seen of any interaction uh, between police and citizens ever. And we've seen a lot ever since the technology has developed. We've seen police kill people before in the streets. We've seen citizens kill police in the streets. We've seen almost everything since they developed these um, technological gems, the body cams, all the uh, other cameras that are positioned everywhere now on private property, on public property. It's just like a canyon of steel in which almost there's no nook, cranny, or corner that you can hide in, in which you're not going to be seen live, live on camera. It's almost like uh, it's Alan Funt, Candy Camera. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Your turn to be heard here. You know, I could keep talking on and on, but really, this is your opportunity to uh, speak about what you saw. And more importantly, about such a weak response by all the demonstrators. And yeah, later on, we'll talk about the, uh, the video that was released almost simultaneously, the attack of uh, Paul Pelosi. We'll talk about what's going on in Israel. As uh, first, uh, the IDF killed nine Palestinians in the West Bank uh, as they did a raid on a terrorist hotspot. And the retaliation, I believe, was uh, when this terrorist walked into this uh, synagogue hours ago and killed seven and injured one. That's going to be an ongoing back-and-forth battle. And then, of course, George Santos. Oh, my God, this guy... What a piece of work. He's just like endless. He, he is uh, he is a gift that just keeps giving because he keeps lying and lying. They keep digging up stuff on him. Anyway, our number is 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Robert, who's calling from Suffolk County. Your turn to be heard here on WABC, Robert. Hi, Curtis. I saw the videos, and it, it is really unjustified what was done to Tyree. I can't see any reason why the police would do that. Now, what I want you to do is ask the station to get the dash cam video of when they pulled out to try and stop Tyree. That's missing. That would make the complete picture of the entire event. Why would you we need, need why, I know, but why, I don't understand why you would need that. We see that the cops snatch him right out of his car. And that well, that's the start the, of the video. They used, rec, the police, they used reckless driving as a pretense, apparently, to justify stopping Tyree in his car. All right, well, let's assume, mm-hmm. Robert, let's assume that he was reckless driving, okay? Let's assume, although there's no evidence to suggest that, but let's assume you give the cops the benefit of the doubt. They don't just generally just stop people because they want to stop. They could be stopping people all day. They could be stopping a lot of guys in tricked-out cars who look like drug dealers who talk uh, trash to the cops and use that as an excuse. This kid obviously did not. But let's assume he was reckless driving. I've never seen anybody manhandled like that before for reckless driving. Oh, no. <laughs> no. It could have set the officer off who was stopping him that Tyree didn't stop soon enough for his satisfaction. That's fine. But now if that was one cop or two cops, but you had five cops there, 
Some of them could have easily right. intervened and told their partners, yo, back off. Come on, man. That's too much, man. They didn't. No, they should have. In fact, if you notice, ultimately, before they got him a second time when he ran away for his life, uh, you had one cop who was kicking him so hard, it looked like he fractured his foot. So at the second location, he was hopping around like uh, uh, like uh, Hopalong Cassidy. You had uh, the other guy at the original spot where they stopped him who was cleaning his eyes out because he had maced himself. And then you had another guy who had tased himself who was a cop. So they were all pissed off because they so mishandled the stop to begin with. They ended up injuring themselves. And then they take it out on this uh, 29-year-old guy who's begging. I mean, begging for his mom. Not a foul word out of his mouth. Not a reason in the world to use any force. It was like a scene out. Of, it was like a scene out of Clockwork Orange, Robert. There's no no other way of describing it. And uh, be interesting to to follow the uh, five guys because they're so big. I mean, look, man, it could have been the starting offensive line or the Jets or the Giants or the Tennessee Titans. You had uh, ex uh, Memphis cops because remember they were fired early on. Tad Tadarius Bean, Demetrius Haley. Emmett Martin III, Desmond Mills Jr., and Justin Smith. Some of them look roided up. Wouldn't doubt they were hitting the gym and roiding up to have that gigantor look because when you're a when you're a street unit like that, when your whole sole purpose of existing is the scorpion unit, is to stop drug boys and to stop stick up crews. And so you come at them with massive numbers. You throw them up against the wall. You get physical with them because you don't want them pulling their toolies out and blasting you. And you want those drug boys to know that you rule the streets, not them. But we're not talking about that when we talk about Tyree Nichols. I mean, there's only one way to describe him. Urkel. I mean, this guy was a, a threat to nobody. Absolutely nobody. Let's go to Chris, who's calling from New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here on WABC, Chris. Hey, Curtis. What's up, man? Um, yeah, I just wanted to say a couple things. First, obviously, terrible situation. I don't think it has anything to do with race. Just five bad cops and one innocent guy that, unfortunately, you know, this had to happen to him. But I was I agree with what you were saying earlier. The narrative wasn't met. It wasn't five white cops against one black person. So, you know, Hawk... Newsome and you know he's trying to get all these spark riding and this and that. It's just not going to happen, probably. Like you said, you could be wrong, but it just doesn't look like that's going to happen because it just doesn't meet the narrative. And um, you know, it's just sad that they don't recognize, uh, you know, that this has to do with just bad individuals and nothing to do with race. But if there's not white individuals involved, then they don't want to, um, you know. They're not going to react to it. No, it's just like if if, uh, we were putting on a heavyweight championship bout, uh, Larry Holmes versus uh, Jerry Cooney, you pack the place out. Big white Irish guy versus the black guy from eastern Pennsylvania, the reigning heavyweight champion. You pack it out. You put two black guys in the ring beating each other's brains out. Eh. Put two white guys in. uh, Put a black and a white guy in. You pack out the house, Chris. It's always been that way. Mm-hmm. It's always been that way. So naturally, the predominant number of police have been white. The predominant number of victims of police in the urban areas have been black. 
So it's what people expect. I mean, Simi Valley, you know, Rodney King, yeah. George Floyd, yeah. We're hitting the streets. All of a sudden, five black cops in Memphis end up killing Tyree Nichols, another black young man. Notice, did did you hear the, the Hawk Newsom? There was like no power in his voice. His his sister, nothing. Yeah, it was it was just, he just was like, oh wow, what do I do? I can't I can't get anybody to react. What am I What am I going to do? Because he doesn't care about black people. He doesn't care at all. He just wants to be able to have something to go against white individuals, and he'll use whatever he can. I got to um, I, I, I got to tell you, Chris. To me, it's always been about race. It's always been about race. They're going to try to say, oh, it's it's uh, black versus blue because these guys were cops. No, 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 no. No. It's always about race. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. All night long, this is Another Side of Midnight with Curtis Lewa, 77 WABC. It's another side of midnight. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa. Dashboard cams, body cams. Cameras on private property, cameras on public property. I mean, it's almost rare that you ever see a situation that isn't recorded in some fashion, either by video, which is the predominant way, or even just photographs. And here's a clear example of how technology can clarify for us who is right, who is wrong, without a question. It's like no debates here. There's no gray areas. Cops were thugs, five black thugs against one innocent black guy who, look, I profile everybody. That's how I've stayed alive. You know, say, oh, you shouldn't profile. If I didn't profile, I wouldn't be alive. You look at this young man, this 29-year-old guy, Tyree Nichols. Threat to nobody. I mean, this is a guy. I mean, you look at him in the street and you'd say, this guy's Urkel. Threat to nobody. Our number is one 800 Let's go to Pam in New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Pam. Hi. Um, yeah, tough urban areas attract alpha-dominant personalities and positions of authority. And unfortunately, they many times absorb the atmosphere and go rogue. And uh, they probably formed a really strong unit. And uh, like you said, and uh, getting into the whole thing and undercover cops talk about this, absorbing the, you know, just getting into it. And sometimes they forget that they're not one of the bad guys. Well, there's a standing rule that goes way back. I don't care what color you are, what police department. It's generally if we tell you to stop, you stop. If you run, you're going to catch a beat down. In this case, though. <laughs> they just snatched him right out of the car. He wasn't resisting. He wasn't trying to run nothing. They start spraying him. They start tasering him. They're already rubbing him up and down. He was lucky to break out and run for his life, and then they got him a second time. It, 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 this is not a guy who's sprinting because the cops say, roll up on him, Pam. And they'll say, yo, 
stop, wait there on the corner. And then all of a sudden he bolts. And then the cops will get angry like, yo, we rule the night. We rule the streets. We tell you to stop. You stop. Uh, and then now there's, there's, there's consequences for you not stopping. That was not a case like this. Now, obviously, that's not correct either. But that was not a case in the old traditional sense when the cop would say to you, if I tell you to stop, stop, or there'll be consequences. Well, when you meet up with cops, I've I've seen good ones who can psychologically deal with situations and some cops who you have to work to de-escalate a situation where they're just not hearing you. And it's, um, it, it's yeah, it, it, they've got to be. And nowadays, it's, it's not attracting the top-of-the-line personalities because uh, nobody's going into the field. So, well, you know, Pam, it's, it's, in, it's in, a, in a city like Memphis, which is a small New Orleans, it is an extraordinarily mm-hmm. tough city. When the whites were in charge, uh, they had a corrupt government there like they have now. Uh, they had corrupt police then, brutal police then, like they have now, except back then they were white. Look, you had uh, Elvis Presley, who had his Memphis Mafia, led by uh, Red. That was his number one guy. He had guys who would go around beating people up. He would tell them, I want that guy beaten up. They'd beat him up, throw him in the Mississippi River. They'd uh, torch this story. It's the way things have always been done in Memphis. So when the whites were in charge, they were thugs, from government to cops to uh, criminals, even Elvis was a thug. And now that blacks are in charge, it's pretty much the same thing. It hasn't changed except it's far more violent, uh, Pam, because there are far more guns in the streets in the hands of far younger criminals because of the drug boys. And then the stick-up kids who wait around for the drug guys to make all their money so they can stick them up at the end of the day or hit their safe house or their dope house. Our number is one eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Let's go to Steve in Long Island. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Steve. Hey Curtis, how are you? Thanks for taking the call. Sure, Steve. Okay. The reason I'm calling is because I'd like to make two points. One, obviously, who wouldn't say the same thing? It's terrible for exactly what happened here. And I think a good solution would be any look, any any endeavor, whether it's police, firemen, teachers, it could be wherever they work, you could have good people, which is majority in most professions. And then you got a few people like Durbin, and you have this guy, these five cops. If they're going to just ruthlessly kill somebody, let me give them a, a, like a life sense or anything. Just execute them. Put them in an electric chair and it'll stop. I guarantee you. Because people could say, I could go kill that person. But you know what? It's not worth it. My life is over. So I think that. But also I'd like to make another point. With that being said, I hope this is not fuel fodder for the people that would like to say, see, conclusively proved. You have to get rid of cops. Cops are no good. No. Did you ever see that stop to think between Maine to California and every state in between how many stops and encounters there are daily if you multiply it by all the police precincts and all the states? How many there are? Probably numerous to count. And every once in a while, you hear of a bad incident like this guy, Durbin, with George Floyd at these five. It's so small that that's not the excuse or the reason to defund the cops. Cops are there for the most part. They're brave. They don't care who you are. You could be white. You could be black. You could be Asian. You could be any ethnicity or race. doesn't matter. If you call on them, 
they fearlessly go in. If you say there's somebody breaking into my house, if you say that uh, my, my, my spouse is going to kill me, they fearlessly put their life on the line to protect you. So this should not be an excuse for doing that. And in fact, ironically enough, when George Floyd was a big you know, story and it was on uh, the uh, radios all over, I called in. I forgot who it was because I always like to speak out. And uh, there was a woman having a show. I forgot who it was. And I said, well, look, let me show you how ridiculous this is, though. As far as with it, Durbin, he should have been executed. Horrendous what he did. However, I said, you know, let's make an assumption. I said, let's sometimes you have to exaggerate a point to make a point. Let's fire every police officer from Maine to California and the whole United States and make every policeman and policewoman black. Do you think if the entire nation was a black police force, you would never have a bad, bad or a rogue cop or a cop that makes a mistake or poor judgment? You would. Why? Because every endeavor is filled with people which – you're going to have a percentage of people that are just terrible, no good people, but you weed those out. But you don't use it as an excuse to get rid of the police because as far as I'm concerned, police are good people. I know that, hey, I would need them one day if somebody was attacking me. I'd make a call to 911 and I hope they get there before uh, maybe there's a guy with road rage and he's coming after me. He's chasing me with a gun. I mean, just giving you kind of a hypothetical example. I'd want to call and I'd want the protection. So, no, you don't chastise every police officer when stuff like this is so small. But when it does, you punish severely. They killed. I wouldn't mind putting them in, in the electric chair, and I'd be the first one to pull the switch on all six of them, Dur- Durvin and these five, because they're just no good. That's my comment. You could I'll hang up. You could tell me what you think. Understood, Thanks. Steve. Appreciate that. Um, I think it'll be interesting now to uh, see what the backgrounds of these five black cops are in Memphis. They've all been fired, removed from the police department, all been uh, indicted, second-degree murder, serious charges. They've been able to bond themselves out, so they're all at home or wherever they are. And uh, we know nothing about their backgrounds yet. You know we're going to find out everything, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Uh, We have a pretty good idea who uh, Tyree Nichols uh, was when he was alive. The fact that he had a four-year-old son. He was the youngest of four kids himself. He came from Sacramento to Memphis, which is an unusual path. Normally, normally if you you leave California to go to places like uh, Colorado, Arizona, New Mexico, it's rare. But he had a job at Fed Express. If you've ever been in Memphis, you know that's like one of their major uh, centers of activity. It's been that way for years. Uh, in fact, when Fed Express started, they were based in Memphis. I think they have a huge center now in Indian- Indianapolis. But he was working for Fed Express, split shift, uh, clearly had a great rela- relationship with his mom and his uh, stepdad. And he had his mother's tattoo on his arm, which is not what tough guys do. Uh, You know, they normally have it on their their necks, the the baby mama on the necks. You know, uh, there's nothing about this young man that would ever at least indicate uh, that he was sort of like uh, walking a fine line, hanging out with the wrong pe- persons, uh, being anti-cop. He was a California kid in a very tough uh, town known as Memphis, Tennessee. 
and he did not fit into that neighborhood. He did not fit into that city. That's why he so oftentimes wanted to take his camera and just go out and photograph and escape all that, say on his skateboard, which, as you know, is a very weird tribal thing with guys on skateboards. They're sort of ostracized, whites or blacks, Hispanics or Asians, by everybody else. Thugs make fun of them. And it's not that kind of, I mean, there's nothing here that would indicate that this guy had a thug bone in him, and he's battling Crohn's disease, which just saps you. Having survived it myself, it just takes all your energy out of you. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. It's another side of midnight. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa. on Broadway. My on Broadway. Me and kids at home away from home in the black Benz limo with a cellular phone. I'm calling up the posse. It's time to get to ripping. I freaking eat sunroof to keep you suckers tripping. Everybody's looking. If you're jealous, turn around. The AMD kick keeps us closer to the ground. We're getting good grip from the 50 series tires. The Alpine's bumping, but I need the volume higher. Cause the 808 drum makes the girlies get dumb. We're rolling Rainier and the jealous wanna get some. Every time we do this, our guy MCs wanna battle. I'm the man they love to hate. The JRU wing of Seattle. Picked up the posse on 23rd and Jackson. Heading for the strip. Yes, we're looking for some action. The limo's kinda crowded. The whole car was leaning back. Maharaji's watching TV with two girlies on his lap. One Martin Luther King. The set looks kinda dead. We need a new street. So posse move ahead. And we all look kinda suave. The crew you can't forget. The mix a lot. Posse cola ripping up the set. Yeah, I think the homies are out in Los Angeles, but again, small, small protest. It's not like they're going to be hitting Rodeo Drive, doing a smash and grab, and then burning stores after they loot them, which we saw in the summer of 2020 in the aftermath of George Floyd being killed in the streets of South Minneapolis by the cops there. Not seeing anything like that. The crowds that have gathered up, small Black Lives Matter, which has become big, large mansions. It's like uh, exposed to kryptonite and Antifa, which was like flexing down in Atlanta until 12 of them got arrested. All of them from out of state, by the way, and many of them from very wealthy families living off their blind trusts. And in Chocolate City, USA, Atlanta, the mayor there was saying, yo, What's up with all you white people coming over here to prevent us from having a public safety building and a brand new police academy? And you're going to take over the forest and then shoot one of our cops? Ain't happening. They locked him up, Fulton County Jail. Mommy, Daddy, please. Please, I'm Antifa. All of a sudden, tough Antifa wasn't so tough. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Mike in the Lower East Side. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Mike. Curtis, this guy was uh, an outstanding gentleman. His mother and family should be very proud of him. But he was. Uh, he, it wasn't hard to see that this man was an honest, decent, hardworking guy that was visible with his skateboard, was visible with his photography, and was visible with a FedEx delivery guy. So either they either they had something against them, set them up, 
or wanted to take him out, or they just beat him to death just for the hell of it, man. And I tell you, my my heart is broken like yours and everybody else's. And you know what? In the ancient times, they used to strap the living where the dead would kill the living, where the worms would eat the living. Okay, that's what they should do to these five guys after they're found guilty. And, and I tell you, my heart goes out for him and his family. Understood, Mike. Our number is one 800 Let's go to Stefano calling from the Bronx. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Stefano. Hey, Curtis. Uh, what can you say? Modern-day tragedy, a complete tragedy. Um, and getting to what you were saying about uh, why they're not out in herds and why they're not louder, I think it's because this is exactly part of the Democrats and Tifa Black Lives Matter. It's that inconvenient truth again. It's that reminder of the black-on-black crime that people have been trying to bring out and have people understand what's going on in the inner cities, and people never want to accept the fact that they need to address this black-on-black crime. So I think one of the reasons why this isn't getting that kind of commotion is because it's a reminder that no matter where you go, the black-on-black crime is is a problem, and that's a problem that needs to be solved. And then, of course, you know, the trickle-down effect is the family nucleus and everything else. But I think in this particular instance, it's too much of a reminder of that black-on-black crime that we keep trying to talk about that we need to address. But like you said, doesn't have the ingredients. No. Thanks for taking my call. No, it's not, there's no uh, gasoline on the fire here. Uh, if you happen to be a black cop in a city like Memphis, I can tell you, although my experiences in St. Louis and Wallens are greater, spent some time in Memphis, I can tell you in the hood, uh, if you're a black cop, you're considered a race traitor. Like, well, what, well, why are you a cop? So they got to deal with that. Then, obviously, if you're a white cop, you're perceived of as already being a cracker and a pressure. So it's just the blue uniform. But we'll we'll have, there's no way for us to know what was going on in these five guys' minds. All five of them seem to be dedicated in to beating this guy into a pulp. There wasn't one of them in one instance in any of the videos that I saw that seemed, even in a moment, to pull one of his colleagues off of Tyree Nichols or push any of his colleagues back. They just took turns whooping on him. And then they were all pissed off because they ended up uh, they ended up macing themselves, tasering themselves. One guy was kicking him on the ground. It looked like he fractured his foot. He was jumping around like Hopalong Cassidy. It's like, sort of, man, it's sort of like they're getting pissed off at him because they mishandled the situation but you got to say, what What was the accelerant? Are these guys roided up? These guys big guys. They hit the gym, they roid up, and then they have that roid rage. I don't know. Uh, hopefully some of this will eventually see the light of day. But it's more than likely that now you got five, and there may be others, because there were others in the video, although they didn't play a prominent role. Some of them may be charged. Uh, and then all of a sudden they may cop a plea and testify against the others and will probably then end up finding a lot more about, A, who's the ringleader of these five? Who's generally the ringleader? Who's generally the person that sets it off? Because there's always some guy in a crowd 
who's got a hot temper, and it's incumbent upon the others to make sure he's cool, calm, and collected. That's one 800 Let's go to Janine, who's calling from New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Janine. Hey, Curtis. Thanks for taking my call. You mentioned that uh, he's supposed this kid was supposedly being pursued for driving recklessly, and I was wondering, like you said, what what do we know or will we know what transpired before that? Was he uh, did he see something he wasn't supposed to see, and that's why they were chasing him, or were the police on a a, a, a jittery case before this and ended up taking it out on this kid? You know, I, I can't help but think, like you said, if this kid is innocent, what else motivated them beyond, you know, driving recklessly? Well, that's, again, apparently that was what they initially told their precinct commander when they had to file their reports. And what was the purpose of the stop? Reckless driving. But even the police commissioner in announcing that she would be releasing the video on Friday at 6 o'clock Central Time, which is uh, 7 o'clock our time. And they pretty much released it uh, at that point. Even she said, at this moment, they have no idea why they stopped uh, Tyree Nichols. Still have no idea. So I'm sure they're privy to more information and privy to more video that maybe they haven't shown yet. They pretty much showed it all. But let's... uh, let's yeah, let's did presuppose. Did he take pictures around town? Did he see something? Did he catch somebody doing something he wasn't supposed to see? Or, you know, were the cops coming from? Where were they before this? Were they on some case? You know, it'd be interesting to see that information, not just what's on the video or what led up to the chase, you know. Or, are, they, you know. Are, there, are there any potential underlying circumstances? You would think there might be, but so far. What we see is what we got. And boy, we've seen more in this case than any other case I could ever remember. Way more than we saw with Rodney King, his beatdown at the hands of the LAPD in Simi Valley that led to the uh, riots in South Central. Uh, more than we saw with uh, George Floyd. And that was about uh, the best uh, that we saw uh, in terms of uh, uh, a time he was in the car and then when he took him out of the car and then when he was killed on the ground. I mean, we've we've had some really potent video about police interactions uh, with people in the streets, but this has probably been the most graphic and detailed of any I've ever seen. And you can come to your own conclusions, and the only conclusion you can come to is these five cops murdered Tyree Nichols, and none of them did anything to stop any of them. Check this out. On the weekend, take a journey with the people's mayor. Curtis Lewa is a politician who says don't trust politicians. It's another side of midnight with Curtis Lewa. The iconic, the legendary Curtis Lewa. This city doesn't sleep and neither does Curtis Lewa on another side of midnight. Oh, yeah. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC.
Here's Curtis Lewa. Start my mission, leave my residence, thinking how I could I get some dead presidents. I need money. I used to be a stick-up kid, so I think of all the devious things I did. I used to roll up. This is a hole up. Ain't nothing funny. Stop smiling. You still don't nothing move but the money. But now I learn to earn cause I'm righteous. I feel great, so maybe I might just search for a nine to five. If I strive, then maybe I stay alive. So I walk up the street. Whistling this, feeling out of place, cause man do I miss A pen and a paper, a stereo, a taper Me and Eric being a nice big plate of fish Which is my favorite dish, but without no money it's still a wish Cause I don't like to dream about getting paid So I dig into the books of the rhymes that I made So now to test to see if I got pulled Hit the studio, cause I'm paid in full I don't know how many of you out there have ever visited Memphis or gone down Beale Street, which is their entertainment center. You got B.B. King's uh, company store there. You got the Elvis statue. You got the river. You got a lot of thugs, a lot of stick-up kids rolling up and down Beale Street. Like uh, those of you who may have been in uh, New Orleans. Canal. Oh, boy. A lot of thugs there. So um, it's a place that's had a lot of problems. And what they went out and did was create this uh, Scorpion unit. It's basically a street crime unit. And uh, they roll heavy. They roll strong. They go into the neighborhoods where there's a lot of drug dealing and a lot of stick-up kids. And their tactics are they're physical. They snatch you up, throw you up against the wall, search you down. Their job is to get the guns off the street. But how they decided to all of a sudden, no other way of describing it, really jostle Tyree Nichols in a manner as if he were a drug kingpin or he was running uh, running guns is beyond me. We might end up finding out more to it when one of them cops a plea and agrees to testify against the others. Because you know that's happening. And that's probably already being negotiated by some of their defense attorneys. As friendly as they may uh, may be, as much of an oath that they may have taken, uh, sort of like, uh, like uh, one for all, all for one. You watch how they'll start breaking ranks when they're looking at a... Uh, uh, second-degree murder charge, and if they can cop a deal in order to testify against their fellow police officers who are out, well, all fired, and they bonded themselves out, or they would have been detained uh, in the lockup. Our number is one 800 Let's go to Hal, calling all the way from St. Louis. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Hal. Yeah, I just want to let you know about the basic training of these uh, police officers. Like, I spent over 20 years in uh, in Los Angeles, East L.A. area. And, you know, the L.A. County Sheriff's Department, in order for them to become an L.A. County Sheriff, at least it used to be, and who knows what happened now, you got to do a year in the county jail, you know, as your training. When you come out of a year <laughs> monitoring the L.A. County, uh, we call incarcerated individuals, you're pretty pumped up, and uh, you learn how to, uh, a gang mentality. Uh, I mean, I got pulled over a couple of times in East L.A. because they got those no cruising uh, uh, signs. You can't cruise around, and I just happened to be lost looking for um, – we were doing nighttime merchandising uh, 
redo on a uh, auto zone, and they drive around four in a car, uh, sheriff's department, and you get pulled over, you're going to be uh, interrogated until you can convince them that you're doing no wrong. And unless you um, cooperate 100%, you're going to be in trouble. Yeah, well, Hal, uh, the whole nature and uh, way that the uh, L.A. County Sheriff's Office works goes back to when uh, Los Angeles, the municipal police uh, force, that was run by Darrell Wayne Gates. That was what his nickname used to be. They used to have a crash unit where they'd roll up on you. Let's say uh, you and I were in a car, Hal. They tell us, uh, put our hands on the dashboard, okay, get out of the car, walk backwards, put your hands around your head, get down on the ground, lay on the ground, and then they would talk to you for like 10 minutes, and they tell you, don't move, because they wanted everyone in the neighborhood to see that they ruled the city. They ruled the night, they ruled the day, and if LAPD rolled up on you, They'd have you crawling on your belly if necessary. Now, their their tactics were over the top. And naturally, when you give somebody an opportunity to do that, how human nature is, many people are going to abuse that. And I've certainly dealt with the L.A. County sheriffs. Uh, one thing that they had to be prohibited from doing over the years was they would actually um, train with their nightsticks and put chokeholds on people, put it right around your 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 uh, your throat. I know I had that twice happen to me by L.A. County sheriffs. And then they had to go out and get a uh, a court order to prevent them from uh, using that tactic. So, yeah, they pride themselves on being rough and tough. They go into some of the roughest and toughest areas you can imagine. They're dealing with more gangbangers than we, we could count on both our fingers and toes. And sometimes you get to the point where you figure... If the courts aren't going to deal with the gangbangers, then we'll deal with the gangbangers, and you take the law into your own hands. Yes, I mean, they're basically using the swarm technique because most guys aren't trained like years ago in the martial arts. I mean, one cop could pretty much handle two people years ago. I mean, my uncle was a cop in Suffolk County for 30 years, and this guy was a, well, he was a military police in in Thailand during the Vietnam War. And uh, he used to get this, you know, do he's qualifying for his belt, you know, black belt. You know, you know the process of getting your belt, right? Sure. You got to get your ass kicked. You got to get your ass kicked from a belt lower than you, you know. And he used to every year he used to come all all beat up. In order to keep your black belt, you got to kick another black belt's ass. You know, you know that. Well, well, look, what cops used to do is they would have the uh, department issued nightstick. You don't see that any longer. In fact, with these guys, if you watch the video, you notice that some point. One of the police officers of the five whipped out a foldable, non-slip, flexible, telescopic stick, which is the yeah. equivalent of the nightstick. They, they flick it out, and it's a metal rod. And if you notice, he must have hit uh, Tyree Nichols, who they were holding up about a good four times, solid shots to the head and, and to the uh, body area. Uh, that had, a, I mean, that had to do tremendous damage because he just wound up, bang. But in the old days, what the cops would do is not only would they have their wooden nightstick that they would twirl around and do tricks with it when they when they didn't have to use it in a defensive position or offensive position, but they would have on them blackjacks and truncheons, uh, which yeah. they could hide uh, in their uh, equipment. And I got to tell you how. 
Uh, I'd much rather get hit with uh, that that stanchion that they use now, that foldable, non-slip, flexible, telescopic stick, or the old wooden baton, the old wooden... uh, uh, the old wooden stick that they'd use rather than those truncheons and those lead line blackjacks. Oh, man, I've been hit with those. You see stars for days. For days. Let's go to Wally and Breezy Point, the Irish Riviera. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Wally. Hey, what's up, Curtis? What do you mean, what's up? You know what we're talking about. It's what everybody's talking about. Memphis and what happened in the streets of Memphis and how you got five cops uh, who've been charged with second-degree murder out on bond uh, in the killing of Tyree Nichols. That's what's up. Right. I want to know what the background of those five cops are. Have they ever had charges against them before? Have they brought up been brought up on charges? Uh, are they rolling? That's Steve from Manhattan. He gave himself up there. Yeah, you notice that, right? Right, Broadway Billy, you notice that. That's Steve from Manhattan. Instead of just being honest and upfront, and just, I'm Steve from Manhattan, and then getting off his chest what he had to get. He, I don't know, there's something about this guy. He's more comfortable being somebody else. You know, it's like, if you've ever seen De Niro when he does an interview, he's like, you say, is that De Niro? Well, what happened to all the personality? You know, he's like a shallow individual. Then you give him a character to play, he comes to life. Just like with Steve. I don't think he's comfortable being Steve from Manhattan, always hashtagging out when he finishes, go Buchanan, go Buchanan, go Buchanan. I think he's more comfortable being other people. Now, in 24 hours, I'm going to play you a guy named Tony who called up James Golden. And again, I know who that that Tony is. That's Lionel, the great talk show host. Uh, I, I got the ear for it. James Golden and his staff, even Rich Radabali, he's been around a long time. They had no idea. I said, that's Lionel. Did a great impression there, and he had him going. Anyway, our number is 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Constantine in Long Island. Your turn to be heard here on WABC, Constantine. Hey, Curtis, I listen to you every night. Keep up the the good work, bro. Thank you, Constantine. All right, so the reason I called was because uh, the Rodney King incident, you you keep saying uh, Simi Valley. Uh, Are you suggesting the incident occurred in Simi Valley? No, no, the incident occurred in L.A., but they, they had to transport the case to Simi Valley because uh, they said uh, the argument uh, of the defense attorneys for the four police officers who were charged was they couldn't get a fair trial uh, in L.A. itself, L.A., the municipal area. All right, yeah, yeah, that, that's exactly what I was wondering about. Yeah, no, maybe, yeah, uh, cool. I, maybe I misstated it, but obviously once the jury in Simi Valley had exonerated them of all charges— that's when the riots, that's when the insurrection took place in South Central and spread into Hollywood and Koreatown. And remember, the only businesses that didn't burn down, the because they targeted Korean businesses, were the Koreans who had the AK-47s on the roof and in the parking lots and were shooting off shots. Uh, but unfortunately for every other Korean vendor who did not have any uh, weapons uh, or any kind of armed security, 
They burnt their businesses down. They burnt it right to the ground. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. I, I, rem- I remember all this stuff. But, uh, I mean, I, I was in high school. It was a long time ago. But um, we, we agree that the incident occurred in Los Angeles. That is correct. It was L.A. police officers, not the L.A. county sheriffs, which it would have been uh, out in a place like Simi Valley. Correct. All right. Yeah. All right. So, so I, I take it back then. No, no, no. You, you, you the way you I was, the way I was phrasing it, you, you may absolutely, uh, you are absolutely correct. Simi Valley, just so that people know, L.A. County is huge. You'll be driving forever in a day, and you're in L.A. County. But uh, Simi Valley was an all-white suburb. Obviously, as you know, the city of uh, L.A. Now it's like a third-world country, you know, with. Uh, so many Hispanics, and then there's blacks, and there's whites, and Asians, but it's predominantly Hispanic. So they wanted to change a venue. They didn't. The four police officers didn't think they could get a fair trial there. Pretty similar to what happened here in uh, New York City, up in the Bronx, when you had the uh, police officers, which was the undercover unit uh, that uh, fired 44 shots. Uh, and then uh, their lawyers said, we can't get a fair trial in the Bronx, so they moved it to Albany, and the cops got exonerated. I, 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 don't, I don't recall that, that, uh, that event, but, uh, but yeah, I guess, I, guess it, I guess it could be similar. Well, well but, let, uh, let me explain. It was uh, way back, and uh, Rudy Giuliani was uh, mayor at that time, uh, four street cops undercover rolled up on a uh, young black guy who was uh, from West Africa. Oh, um, this was Amadou Diallo? Correct. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, rem- I remember that. I definitely remember that. Right, South Bronx. It was like ni- 1999, right? Right. He had a wallet in his hand. Uh, they thought he had a gun. Uh, 44 shots were fired. He got uh, shot, like, uh, shot up like a slice of Swiss cheese. He died. Were many demonstrations, you know, every day was demonstration, de jour, led by Aslam, Shady Sharpton. Uh, originally, they were going to, the four cops were going to get tried in the Bronx. The PBA appointed attorneys made the argument that they can't get a fair trial. They moved it to Albany. It was a diverse jury of blacks and whites, and they exonerated the cops. Yeah, all right. That's interesting. Yeah, no, no. Look, uh, there's no doubt about it. Uh, in the Bronx, they would have been found guilty. They moved it to Albany. They were not found guilty. I think two of them went on to become firefighters. One of them retired. One of them, I think, got his job back with the police department years later. Mm, trying to remember the specificity of it. Maybe somebody out there can correct me on that. Anyway, let's go to uh, Norman, who's calling from Orange County. Your turn to be heard here at WABC. Norman? I just want to know, with all your expertise, is it normal for a squad like this, um, Scorpion Squad, to stop a car driving? Yes. Yeah, that's part of it because, remember, uh, in neighborhoods of Memphis, remember, they they don't have a mass transit system. Everybody's got, like, four wheels. Uh, and, you know, they'll stop cars because they know that sometimes the cars are stolen. A lot of times the cars, uh, no registration, no license. Uh, you know, and then uh, if, they're, if they have enough guileless cops, they can talk their way into searching the car and searching the persons. Because, you see, oh, okay. a lot of the young guys think they can outsmart the cops. 
and they really can. And the cops, if they've been doing it long enough, can convince them, hey, can I check what's in the trunk of your car? Yeah, yeah, officer, I ain't got nothing in my trunk. Next thing you know, uh, what's this AK-47 doing back here? Oh, my brother must have left it in there. I borrowed his car. You know, they don't have to give you permission to search the vehicle. Eventually, the cops can get a warrant, and they'll end up searching the vehicle. But a lot of times, especially young thugs, think they can outsmart the cop, which if they are a seasoned cop, they can never outsmart the cop. No, I didn't mean it that way. I know, but I've been stopped driving. It's one officer. Maybe there's a second one. Five officers? Yeah. No, 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 Memphis, a very tough city. Very tough. Okay. Uh, as I mentioned, St. Louis, very tough. New Orleans, very tough. I could easily see why in some of those neighborhoods you would have three, four, five cops in one car doing stops, confronting individuals because it is extraordinarily dangerous and you want to be intimidating. If you notice, out of all the cops who arrived, not just the five who who administered the beatdown to Tyree Nichols, but even the cops that came later, they were all male, they were all black except for one who was white, and they were all big. You didn't see any shorty shorts there. Obviously, diversity is not part of the hiring arrangement in Memphis because you look at some of the cops here in New York City, you need an electron microscope to look at them. They're so short. Uh, these cops were gigantors, uh, and, and that's that's yeah. the reason – that they're hired. is It's like when you're outside of a club, right? Let's say you're going to a club, okay. Norman. The security. Right. Did you ever see shorty shorts in the security? No, of course not. Well, you see these big guys, muscle heads, right? Definitely. Right, because. Look, I'm a New Yorker. I, I've never seen more than one cop at a time. Right, but you see, 90, 95% of a muscle head being outside of a club or a restaurant or, or, or some kind of nighttime activity is the intimidation factor. They just flex their muscles. All they got to do is work out all day and work at a club at night. 95% right. of their effectiveness is just the fact that they're big and they look like muscle heads. Gotcha. I understand. Well, I'm glad you were able to explain it to me because I was thinking that it was a setup. No. And that they looked to beat this guy down. No, no, they roll strong. In Memphis, you got to roll strong. New Orleans, you got to roll strong. St. Louis, you got to roll strong. You looked uh, up and down those Mississippi River cities. It's tough. You roll with two, you roll with one. I mean, you almost can't roll with one in Memphis. It's just too tough a city. One eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. All night long, this is another side of midnight with Curtis Lewa, seventy-seven WABC, New York's talk station with the King of New York, Curtis Lewa, seventy-seven WABC. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of seventy-seven WABC. And Curtis Lewa. Look, baby girl, you're so damn fine, though. I'm trying to know if I can hit it from behind, though. I'm sipping on you like some fine wine, though. And when it's over, I press rewind, though. Hey, you talking bands, girl, I got it. 
Benjamin's all in my pocket. I traded in my truths for some robbers. You playing Batman, Fetty's gonna rob him. Hey, I got a Glock in my Rory. Hey, 17 shots, no 38. I got a Glock in my Rory. 17 shots, no 38. She's fine. Wonder when she'll be mine. She walked past sideways. Oh, I can see Avery, our nighttime producer and phone screener, is a Fetty Wap fan from Patterson. Yo, what's up with that eye of Fetty Wap, man? It's like uh, it's like Sammy Davis Jr.'s eye. Well, he's going to be doing time like seven years in Federal Slammer, drugs, guns, up the hill, down the hill, first ward, fourth ward. They all love Fetty Wap, right? You saw his video. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fetty going to be doing Fed time. Fetty. Fetty doing Fed time. Man, he was making mad money as a rapper. Then all of a sudden, he decided, man, he needed more money because you know what? He had all that baby mama drama. Lots of baby mama drama. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. And believe it or not, Fetty Wap was the number one rapper in Memphis. Well... That figures Patterson, Memphis, they got a lot in common. They are tough, tough, tough cities. Small cities, but tough cities. Anyway, let's go to Roberta, who's calling from Staten Island. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Roberta. Oh, right away, I heard that these domestic terrorists were trying to uh, get in the action and burn down the you know, police cars. And, and I was wondering if you ever had any run-ins with them. And, oh, oh, Antifa. And yeah, Antifa. Yes, Remember, those- June 1st, June 2nd of two, uh, of uh, 2020, right after the lockdown and pandemic, when they started looting and shooting in Midtown Manhattan. Remember, they raided one night, June 1st. They raided Macy's and all of Midtown. And then the next night, they went all through uh, the lower the Lower East Side and through Soho. And uh, I and the Guardian Angels were battling them every night. The cops had been ordered by... Uh, by Bill de Blasio to retreat, to stand back. We did battle with them, and actually they went for theirs, and we had no problem, no problem dealing with Antifa. Anytime, place, because their, their concept is burn it down. Don't worry about it. Loot, because the retailers have insurance. That's their concept. Now, Antifa's white. Black Lives Matter has become big, large mansions. They're predominantly black. But at times they would uh, conflate in what was in their best interests. Uh, interests. And that was when, after a uh, protest, it would lead to rioting, looting, and shooting. They're very proficient at that. Let's go to Calderon calling from Quebec. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Calderon. Mr. Leroy, well, what an honor to speak to you here in uh, Sherbrooke, Quebec. Uh, you see, my father co- was founding member, uh, neurosurgeon of the, the hospital here in Sherbrooke in '68, and uh, me uh, uh, as a guest uh, of uh, one of the richest people in Taiwan, Mr. Wang. In 39 years ago, I was me- interviewed. Uh, on the CBC, uh, uh, I was mixed up in the drug trade in Taipei. And today, I think uh, this is a small world, and uh, it's gotten 
just too big. It's just necessary for the economy to needs the drugs to function to to be to keep the businesses. It's just needed for the phys physiology of the human body. Now needs this stuff to to be, uh, to keep the the. the to, to keep the business going, and and it's out of hand, and and life has no, it, where it's, you see, my now, life, Cal, now my Calderon, is, Calderon, is a, let me ask you a question. You were, you said about forty years ago, you were in Thailand, correct? Taiwan. Oh, Taiwan. So Taipei and Taiwan, and you yes, you were involved in drug dealing out of Taipei. I I shouldn't be alive, sir. Wow! And my father is now in is being taken care of in an old man's pension, and there. And I am not permitted to to see him. He is he is an, the founding neurosurgeon in this town, the first. Now, question: uh, What kind of drugs were you uh, dealing with? Oh, just just hashish. Ah, ah, I see. Yes. All right. And were you bringing it back to Canada, or you were just uh, dealing with it? It was in cocaine also, mm -hmm. and there was, um, and it was uh, in the American Club in China, sir. Hmm. Amvets was. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm afraid. Health Angels International and the Cosa Nostra. It's they're small compared. I don't. I think. I think I've already said too much, sir. That's quite all right. You're talking to the right person here. Uh, you were you were born and raised in Quebec, right? I was born in Bogota, Colombia. Bogota. Mm. Uh, uh, Hamburg. Paris, New York. Hmm. I, I've been around, but but last last year, the, this uh, homeless man, a black homeless man, I went out of nowhere, out of the sky. He fell, and and he almost killed me. Walking, uh, just walking on the street. Miraculously, I. I lost conscience and uh, and God help so help me God I'm I I still have hope in that that we are educating our children to 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 make this world a better place to be. Now now we're wait, gonna, now, we're going to win this fucking battle against this fucking. Oh, Calderon got a little fired up there. He was dropping those F-bombs. Man, he's getting all wired up. See what happens when a black man falls out of the sky and crashes into you and you're a white guy? Then all of a sudden you get all bent out of shape. That could have been a white guy, right? Could have been a white guy fell out of the sky, smashed him, and he was ah, a white guy. But No, it was a black guy. See, this, this goes back to my original point. If it's black and white... It, like, sets it off. If it's white on white or black on black, eh, no big thing. But notice how Calderon, his whole tone changed. 
when he talked about this black guy, this anonymous black guy who fell out of the sky and crashed into him. And then all of a sudden, it's like he was dropping the F-bomb. See? Now, if that were a fellow Quebecois from Quebec, he wouldn't have had any problem with it. None whatsoever. In fact, it was a black guy. Oh, all of a sudden, he's bent out of shape. Proves my point. A lot of you wondered, uh, why are you talking to that screwball for so long? Ah, he's not a screwball. He had a story to tell, and in fact, that's the difference between this show and the many other shows that you hear here and other places is that it's your turn to be heard. You get an opportunity to speak. If you notice, no guests. No, 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 no. You're more important to me than any guest because you'll tell stories. Like, you think a guest is going to tell a story like Calderon? I mean, let's get real here. From get out ta- of here. That's right. From Taipei and Taiwan? Man, Don't- this guy's a freak. All of a sudden, a Bogota in Colombia? What the hell does that mean? Some black guy falling out of the sky and crashing into him? And then all of a sudden, he's dropping F-bomb after F-bomb. And his father was a surgeon. Remember, let's not forget that. His father was a surgeon there in Quebec. I don't know if he was with Rene Levesque. I don't know if he was with the Quebecois. Could be. Sounded a little bit like that. Maybe up near Quebec City. Not so much down in Montreal. Quebec City. Was it at the uh, city that America tried to take over? Yeah, when we invaded Canada. A lot of people don't realize that. It wasn't Canadian bacon. No, not the movie. What was that? John Candy, I think. Canadian bacon, right? Whatever. The point being is uh, we invaded Canada. We tried to take Quebec City. And then all of a sudden the Brits said, "Mm, we'll get you. We're going to sack Washington, D.C., a.k.a. the War of 1812. (laughs) That all came from Calderon. Yep. City on the hill, Quebec City. You ever been in Quebec City? Way up there on the hill. How the hell did I end up talking about Quebec City when we were talking about Memphis, Tennessee? I mean, is that a leap or what? Because of Calderon. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Manny calling from Rockland. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Manny. Jiminy Crickets, Curtis. How am I supposed to follow up with Taipei's El Chapo here? (laughs) (laughs) Hey, Curtis, you know what? Most importantly, before I get started here, where's our update on the beautiful Nancy? How is she doing? Oh, you mean Helen Keller. What's going on there? Well, remember, it was approximately 12 days ago that Nancy and I were leaving an event. I still forget what event it was. And about halfway on our way back to the house to check on our 18 rescue cats, uh, she said, Curtis, uh, we got to get out of the cab. So I thought maybe she was going to have projectile vomiting or maybe she was pissed off at me and wanted to just get out of the cab. I can understand that. But she said, I can't see. I can't see. My goodness. And so we were out in the street. We were somewhere on Park Avenue. And I said, well, let's let's walk. Maybe you'll walk it off. And she, sure. she still wasn't able to see. And then I called Dr. Mikolos, who oftentimes is a guest of John Katsimatidis in the 5 o'clock roundtable discussion. He's an ophthalmologist. Uh-huh. That's his focus. Mm-hmm. But he's out in Suffolk County. 
So he hooked me up with a specialist at Columbia Presbyterian. I took her right up there. And this was like a scene out of a Humphrey Bogart movie. The guy is like an old-timer, an old German guy. He's got like on a smoking jacket and an ascot. Right. And I'm like, this guy's a doctor? (laughs) And then he starts inspecting Nancy's eyes. And he came up. He said, yeah, you've been wearing these contacts too long. It's caused the irritation of your, uh, not your corona. Oh, my God. (laughs) Your cornea. And uh, it's caused uh, a lot of scarring. So Holy cow. Her uh, method of recovery has been not to put the contacts in. She has a salve she has to use. She has drops. And slowly but surely, she'll get back to normal sight patterns, but she can never use the contacts again never ever ever my my goodness Curtis well you give us you give her our best all right because we're all uh you know uh thinking about her absolutely uh, I'll do it from a safe distance because she still thinks that somehow I'm responsible for that you know husbands and wives the no, wife listen hey look Daniel Jones's contact popped out during the during the game the other day you saw that yeah right? yeah yeah but you, but you see Wives blame husbands, and husbands blame wives. That's always the case. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. And again, like I said, well wishes and prayers to, to Nancy for a quick and speedy recovery and easy recovery. Absolutely. Um, about this Memphis, uh, Michigas, right, as, as you like to say, uh, you know, I, I don't think a lot of your callers realize, like, like, like what, man? Maybe Pam from Central Jersey with that cute little Tennessee accent knows, but what a tough city Memphis is, right? Very tough. And I mean, I think it is entirely irresponsible of the media and of the Memphis Police Department and of everyone involved in the early release of partial footage from this incident. It's not like this happened last night. This has been going on now for the better part of this month. Yeah, January, the incident occurred January 7th, the night of January 7th. And to trickle us with the Don Lemon commentary and the uh, sketchy body cam footage without any of the background, any of the details whatsoever, all we know is that there are these five thug cops and this uh, poor kid. And, I mean, look, I watched the video just like everyone else, and, you know, I, I don't think we have enough information And, I mean, you go back in time. Now, we know the media is such that it's produced like a television show. And to be, you know, this is episode one. I mean, there's so much more. The George Floyd riots of 2020 didn't occur the day after George Floyd died. I mean, this took a long time to develop. And I, 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 I often wonder, Curtis, are we getting spoon fed? You know, is there, you know, how about this? Is this some kind of, Hey, don't look over here, look over here thing where, you know, DeMar Hamlin and that conspiracy theory is going on and that the footage was released by Pelosi today. And maybe there's something to it. I mean, why choose Friday night at six o'clock, the same day the Pelosi tapes released to release this tape. And now all of a sudden we're talking about the tape that was released today. And it wasn't the Paul Pelosi tape. It was this tape. Yeah. And I'm missing uh, the tape. I was looking forward uh, to seeing, which was promised to all of us universally of George Santos in drag uh, <laughs> in a drag show. Well, that, 
I think down in Memphis, that's now adult material, right? I mean, oh, I, I, oh, New Orleans, they, they, would, they would love George Santos right? in drag. In Memphis, they'd love him <laughs> in drag. It's an ent- those are entertainment cities. Unbelievable. And like I said, the point of my story here is that I think it's just, I think we're all jumping to conclusions day one. I mean, there's still so much more to this story. We need well, to let's be let's be honest. The uh, media was geared up for riots. They were looking forward to riots. They they probably have their correspondents already housed in five star hotels in the cities that they anticipated eruptions taking place, uh, insurrection, riots, looting, and shooting. You know, uh, they were saying, "Wow, you know, if we get some really good riots." People will be watching our cable all-new stations 24-7-365 like they did in the summer of 2020. And you know what, Curtis? I feel like it started with that Sandman kid and the, you know, the, the Capitol uh, incident that, you know, sparked this entire divide. I, I, I don't know. I, I, I can't pinpoint an event before that that was so divisive. Yeah, well, you see... The media loves to hype bad news. I mean, look, whenever there's storm coverage, right, you know damn well those executives are hoping <laughs> it's uh, it's not just a trickle. They want a super storm. They want devastation. They want trees falling down. They want flooding. They want apocalypse. And when they don't get the it. The reporter's always in a puddle, right? Right. And, and, and the reporters are so disappointed. This is my big opportunity. I could have sent this tape from my local TV outlet, Channel 12 here. And who knows? I could have been on ABC National News. <laughs> they, they, oh, they love this kind of stuff. And I guarantee you, in the minds of some of these executives, they were hoping a little bit of looting, shooting, riots. You know, torch this store, a torch a Walmart. Everyone can relate to that. You know, everybody has a Walmart in their neighborhood. Torch a Walmart, please. Yeah, you know what's funny, though? You're inside that Walmart when it gets torched, and the next thing you want the cops to come and rough up somebody, right? I mean, isn't that the way it is? Oh, especially the greeters. You know, imagine you're one of those uh, old, old Altachacha greeters in Walmart. And, you know, all of a sudden Antifa comes busting through there, or Black Lives Matter, which is now big, large mansions. Oh, yeah, you definitely want 5-0 to come. And I'm telling you, you're on to something, Manny. You, you may sound a little conspiratorial, but you're talking our language here at this time in well, the listen, morning. I got tinfoil sheets, Curtis, and I'm listening all night, all right? <laughs> I'm telling you. Yeah, yeah, you're onto something with this conspiratorial strain. I'm not ruling it out. Like, you know, somebody like that, Mama Luke Frank Morano, he would just like cut you off. He'd give you a brisk. <laughs> but no, no, this this makes a lot of sense to me, Manny. A lot of sense. If it was Sam, if it was Sam Bankman Freed, we'd love to see the cops pee it off on him, wouldn't we? Now look at Sam Bankman Freed, right? He he's the biggest thief of all time. Thirty two billion dollars. They allow him to stay in his mommy and daddy's mansion in Palo Alto, you know, with a little fortune off uh, uh, ankle bracelet. He has guests coming in and out of him. When you're you're under home incarceration, you're not supposed to have any visitors other than your lawyers or a doctor. He's got people lined up. You know, they want to find out, hey, is my Sam coin any good or is it scam coin? 
And I'll tell you what, I laugh, Curtis, because Biden's now saying that it's going to take months for these tanks to get to the Ukraine. I'll tell you who could get tanks to the Ukraine quick. Putin. <laughs> You're right. Well, you know, the uh, Abrams tank, you know, it's a very highly sophisticated. It'll take you months to learn. These Ukrainians, are you kidding? They're fighting for their life. They'll learn. They'll be. <laughs> they'll they'll get the crib notes. They'll know how to operate those Abrams tanks. By the time we get one of them there, Putin will have a thousand tanks there, though. Oh, for sure, for sure. You see, Manny, conspiratorial guy. It's my, you know, Frank Morano would drop him like a bad habit. That's typical, Frank. That's not me. And what was it? Sid Rosenberg the other day was extolling the virtues of Frank, claiming, oh, he's the best overnight show. He's not. Sorry. I passed him in the ratings a while back. No longer. He's a Mama Luke. It's a good show. But it's not the best of the best of uh, the other side of midnight. That's what this is here as we take you to the break of dawn. 12 midnight to 6, Saturday mornings. So nice we get to do it twice. 12 midnight to 6 Sunday mornings. And then remember, in the in-between, it's uh, left versus right, me and Anthony Weiner. Uh, that's at 3 to 4 today, Saturday, and then Sunday. Oh, I come at you. That's when I finish my Quinella for the weekend with WABC stands for Always Broadcasting Curtis, 3 to 5 on Sunday. And then so nice they come back 9 to 11 with the news of the day and commentary and all of your calls, always your calls. And then the most listened to, most called in, most requested are the many hours that I do at WABC, the Animal Welfare Hour with my wife, Nancy, the Animal Rescuer, from 11 at night to 12 midnight. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. This is Another Side of Midnight with Curtis Lewa. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa. A company always on the run. A destiny. I was born a shotgun in my hands behind the gun I'll make my final stand yeah and that's why they call me They want riots. The networks want riots. They're waiting for rioting. They're waiting for arson. They're waiting for shooting and looting. In fact, they even have some of their chirons saying, the nation awaits riots. It's like, give me a break here. Hey, if it leads, it bleeds, right? I love that stuff. Love, I'm telling you, if it had to do with white cops killing this young black man, there would have already been an orgy of uh, attacks, 
looting, shooting, arson, burn, baby, burn would be the uh, battle cry in so many cities. You'd see Antifa on one side, the McWhitey Whiteys, and the remnants of Black Lives Matter, which has become big, large mansions, although I don't know if they'd want to risk their real estate portfolios now. I mean, they're big in real estate. You think they're going to go back to the streets? Of course not. And that was evident by the poor turnout we saw in New York City. Hawk Newsom. Burn it down. Turned out 100 guys, right? That mamaluke who lives up in Concourse Village, uh, across from uh, the courthouse on 161st in the Grand Concourse. He lives with his mother. He's a mamaluke and his sister. She was trying to fire up the crowd. He was trying to fire up the crowd. Didn't work. There's only 100 people. 100 people. All you had to do is go over to one of the, the hotels. If more than 100 migrants would have come out, right? Hey, hey, yeah, Chavez, Chavez, <laughs> Castro. Hey. Oh, Marana, my. Just watching the network coverage is incredible. They really want riots. It's like when there's storms, right? They really want a superstorm. They really want a typhoon. They want a hurricane. They want a tsunami. They don't just want heavy rains, torrential downboards. No. We want a superstorm like Sandy again. And you really, you look at the reporter's eyes, and you can almost see conveyed to you, this could make my career. You know, it's the tear gas is floating. And I'm tearing up and I'm reporting live from the, from Beale Street, you know, in Memphis. That there's rioting and looting and shooting and they're taking out stuff. Look at it. At B.B. King's company store. Look, look. They've just gone into the Peabody Hotel. It's not happening. What are they, Block I-55 I, uh, there uh, in Memphis? Oh, that. So they go out there and they block the truck traffic. Oh, that's. Sorry. Sorry, you haven't lived up to the, the hype of the summer of 2020. Sorry, just not there, Newsom. Not there. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Scott, who's calling from Brooklyn. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Scott. Yeah, good morning, Curtis. On a lighter note, uh, I believe it was last weekend you brought up Jungle Jenny from PS114. Correct, well, Jungle Jenny Wilson. Correct. Yeah. Well, if you think you had you were misfortunate, unfortunate, I had her twice. Oh. I had her in fourth grade in 1960, and then I had her again in sixth grade in 1962. Wow, and you you got, hit the daily double with her. Oh my God, she got worse. She got worse. The screaming, the brow beating, never sarcastic, but. One day, she lined up the kids uh, by her desk, and one at a time, she wanted us to look in her mouth to see how her husband, the dentist, pulled out one of her teeth, and all the other teeth started to grow in. This is, so this is what she was like. And I'll tell you something. Uh, like I said, she was never sarcastic in any way. She said it like it was. Half the things, if she said them today, she would be out on her ear. You know, ironically, years later, Scott, I received a call at the old WABC on the 17th floor of Tupin Plaza. 
uh, 32nd Street and 7th Avenue, right by Penn Station. And it was from her daughter who was in Louisville. And they were celebrating, I think at that time, like her 95th birthday. And they wanted to know, would I be willing to come down to Louisville, Kentucky? Because they said I had kept her memory alive by talking about her so often on the radio. Mm-hmm. And I, will, I tell you, if, if I could have, I would have at that time. Because uh, as much as she was, let's, let's be uh, fair to her, she was a bit eccentric. Oh, yeah. She was a damn good teacher. I, I, I don't hear you concurring on that all of a sudden, no, Scott. No, no, she, she, was, she was a good teacher. She was interesting. Uh, you know, and, and she could keep it up. Like, you could keep it up on the air. She could keep it up all day. Yeah, and so, uh, I, I tell you, though, the, my favorite teacher at uh, PS114, my favorite of all time, was my fifth-grade teacher, who was Alan Topol. Well, that guy made it so that I wanted to go to school every day. I never wanted to go to school every day. I would use every excuse in the world not to go to school. It was the only time in my life that I looked forward to going to school because he made education so interesting that you you knew if you missed a day, you'd be missing something special. Whereas with the other teachers, he'd say, hey, if I missed a month, don't worry about it. I'll catch up. Not with him, boy. You knew you were missing something special. What year was that when he was there? Because I was probably out of the school by then. Uh, let's see. That would have been 1965, 66 yeah. in that time period. And he went on to become an assistant principal. I saw him recently on the number six platform of the train before the lockdown and pandemic. I think he went to work for the uh, Department of Education, dumbest organization ever. Uh, but, uh, you know, whereas I often call the uh, teachers union, UFT, Union of Failed Teachers, he was not one of them. He was not a failed teacher. He was the best. Well, I mean, look, I, I, I enjoyed it. I, when she was in a good mood, I enjoyed it. But, we, you know, we dreaded her. Oh, you know, if she called us on the door and said, oh, my God, you would have to. Yeah. Well, you know what? Uh, she was uh, a hawk, so she would be, turn her back and start writing on the blackboard. And then I would take this kid, Mark, who was a genius in math, and I would bunce him and nunce his ears so badly they would turn fiery red. And she would immediately know it was me and say, Mr. Slew, come up here. I want you to get in the corner there, and I want you to count Every dimple in the wall, because they used to do that stucco in the wall, you know, where they had all those dimples. And she knew exactly how many dimples were in the wall. So here I am. I'm foraging the wall. I'm writing down how many dimples. I was off by two. I had to start all over again. Man, she knew how to bust chops. But what a great teacher. Jungle Jenny Wilson, PS114. By the way, Scott, it's now a charter school. Oh. It's now a charter school. I, I, I voted there for many years, even when I had moved away from Canarsie. I maintained uh, my voting registration there. And my wife, Nancy, said, you live on the Upper West Side. Why are you going to Canarsie uh, for every every time there's voting? I said, well, you know, it's nostalgic for me. I end up going to the public school I went to, PS114, because the machines were right in the basement there. 
But I remember the last few times I went, it had become a charter school, and it reminds me of how uh, Eric Adams, a swagger man with no plan, has done a backstab on all supporters of charter schools. When he was running against me, the charter schools put together a pack to support him to become mayor against me. They gave him millions of dollars because he was going to support charter schools, right? I'm a charter school supporter. But they chose him. They gave him millions of dollars in a pack. And then he had an opportunity to stand up for the Success Academy. Great, great charter schools. And they were entitled to uh, use, co-use, three public school buildings, one in the Bronx, two in Queens. It had already been allocated to them. They already had like eight eight uh, registrations for every one opening. That's how desperately parents want to get their kids into charter schools because in those same public schools, kids basically could only read at a fifth grade level and they read no higher. That's, that's what a miserable job the public schools were doing both in the Bronx and those two locations in Queens. And then at the last, at the last moment, his uh, chairman of the Department of Education, uh, DOE, the acronym stands for Dumbest Organization Ever, Banks, reneged on the agreement, folded to the UFT and the chairman, Michael Mogru, of the Union of Failed Teachers, and sided with UFT against the interests of the charter schools who have helped thousands and thousands of kids and the promise that Eric Adams had made that these three schools would be co-schools, part of it a public school, part of it a charter school. What a disgraziata, Eric Adams, swagger man with no plan. What a shanda. But then again, I warned all you charter school supporters that he would stick the shiv in you And he stuck it in real deep, pulled it out. And now, unfortunately, your children will suffer as a result. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. Check this out. On the weekend, take a journey with the people's mayor. Curtis Lewa is a politician who says don't trust politicians. It's another side of midnight with Curtis Lewa. The iconic, the legendary Curtis Lewa. This city doesn't sleep and neither does Curtis Lewa on another side of midnight. Oh, yeah. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa.
Now, you heard in the uh, top of the news, Eric Adams, swagger man with no plan, was talking about how everybody, if they're going to demonstrate, should demonstrate peacefully. But then he had to insert himself like he so often does in every situation, saying, hey, you know, I was a, I was a victim of uh, police brutality when I was a kid. And he keeps telling this story over and over, and I don't believe not a word of it. I've never seen any evidence to suggest that it had happened. Originally, the way he told the story is that he was brought into the uh, station house in Jamaica, Queens, he and his older brother, taken into the basement by some white cops, and they gave him a beatdown, and his brother a beatdown, and in fact, he was bleeding blood every time he tried to urinate for the next few days. He was uh, bleeding out. And that from there he got sent to Spotford. And then a day later his mother got called. And she came to pick him up at the precinct. And I said right away, well, no, no, no. That makes no sense at all. Anybody out there who's ever been uh, housed in Spotford back then when it was open in the South Bronx. They now have a juvenile detention facility uh, in the South Bronx near the South Bronx High School before you hit 149th and 3rd, and they have another one in Brownsville. Never ran, never will. But um, the story he tells makes no sense, and then later on it had to be extracted from him that the reason that he and his older brother had been arrested is that they supposedly were running errands for a stripper who had broken her leg. I know, Broadway Billy, this is a lot to fathom. So this stripper who they had befriended, remember his older brother and him, they're only teenagers at the time, and uh, she had broken her leg and was at home convalescing. And that as nice guys, they were going to get her groceries with their own money. And then they wanted to be uh, given the money back because they had extended her the money to buy the groceries and she said no 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 get out of here get out of here and that eventually once she recovered she went back to working the pole dancing routine and eric adams and his older brother did a home invasion of her apartment and got caught in her apartment and got arrested for breaking and entering and then got taken into the basement of the police precinct in jamaica and given a beat down by white cops which he says traumatized him forever gave him what post-traumatic stress syndrome, some some nonsense like that. Then he claimed, and the reason why he wanted to become a police officer is that at a certain point in the beatdown, a sergeant came down to stop the beatdown, and it happened to be an African-American sergeant. And he said to himself, my, I want to be just like him. It's the only time I've ever seen a black guy who gives orders and the white guys have to listen, meaning the two patrolmen who were white, who were beating up him and his brother. I don't buy that for a second. And by the way, when you got sent to Spotford, they didn't send you back to the precinct where you were originally arrested. They released you at Spotford in the South Bronx. So if your mother was going to pick you up, she would have picked you up in Spotford, not the police station in Jamaica. That story makes no sense. The media has let him get away with it. Naturally, every time he tells it as the Biden of Brooklyn He embellishes it more and more and more. And I would bet you he was never arrested. Guaranteed, never arrested. 
as somebody who's been arrested 77 times. I, I think kind of broad, Broadway, Bill Lee and Avery, I'm sort of an expert on that topic, right? Giving beatdowns, I'm an expert, and anybody who's given beatdowns has had to have gotten beatdowns, of which I've gotten many in my life. So I can somehow identify with exactly the kind of tactics that were used against Tyree Nichols by the five police officers in Memphis that ended up taking his life. I mean, I've been hit not as many times as that. But this guy wasn't even wasn't able to get into even a fetal position to protect himself from these blows because they were holding his arms back. And yet one of the cops in the audio was saying, show me your hands, show me your hands. How the hell is he going to show you your hands if you're restraining his arms almost behind his back, opening him up, opening him up uh, almost like a, a melon? And then beating the living daylights out of him because now you had free shots on his head and free shots on his body. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go, if we can, to uh, Rick, who's calling from Elmwood Park. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Rick. Yeah, Chris, I was just outside having a cigarette in my car, and I heard eight or nine shots coming from Patterson. Sound to me like forty-five caliber. I say that because I'm familiar with that sound. So coming from Patterson and uh, where you are in Elmwood Park, what's the closest ward to you in Patterson? Um, probably the 9th District. All right. So uh, have you been into Patterson recently? I lived there for 10 years. I just moved out a couple of years ago. And what were your experiences there? Uh, you would occasionally hear some gunshots. Uh, nobody on my street that I know of was murdered while I lived there. But there was some trouble. I was in a pretty good area. I was right across from the Brownstone Restaurant. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Sure, where the border is with Clifton. Uh, it's by like Halden. Yep, yep. No, no, I'm I'm very familiar with that. But if you were further in to uh, the fourth ward or the first ward, up the hill or down the hill, man, that's as tough an area as any urban area in America. Yep, it's not a quiet little town. Right, and you remember they had their own problem with the police department. Remember who had taken a suspect in, and then they got him on camera as he was being wheeled into the waiting room of, I think it's St. Mary's Hospital, where they beat the hell out of him right there on the gurney. Yeah, I've been arrested by the Patterson police. Uh, Even though it was a false arrest, they treated me well, and they didn't beat me up. But I've had, you know, I've had good and bad experience with police. All right, what were the uh, what were the charges on that one? Assault. I see. And who did they claim you were assaulting? My next door neighbor. Uh, did you uh, beat the hell out of your next door neighbor? No, I never touched my next door neighbor. It was completely made up, and they admitted that a, a week later in court. Did well, that it wasn't even court? It was like a pretrial meeting, and they admitted that nothing happened. Did that make life uh, difficult, having a neighbor who had already had you arrested? Uh, was it sort of very tense? I pretty much had nothing but problems while I was there because I was the only white guy on the block. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I can see how you'd have problems, Rick. How did you survive that? Uh, you know, I can handle myself. Yeah. I've, I've, been, I've been stabbed 17 times with a screwdriver. I've had my chest cut open with a box cutter. I had the back of my head scalped open by a falling branch. 
Um, I got beat up by the Binghamton bouncers. I limped for a year because my leg was so messed up. I've been through a few things. So were you at college in Binghamton? No, no, no. It's a bar. Um, They had a ship in Fort Lee that ran aground there, and they turned it into a nightclub. And uh, my buddies and I went there one night, and they threw us out, mostly my fault because I'm the wild man of the bunch. But my friend, who's usually a quiet guy, big guy, um, he told the bouncers basically to go F their mothers, and they didn't like that. So when we left, they followed us into the woods and jumped us. And uh, my buddy Jerry, he got the worst of it. Um, He got punched in the head a couple times, and uh, while he was on the ground, they ripped his shoes off, threw his sneakers further into the woods. And um, I got cornered by two big bouncers, and I did a uh, flying drop kick at the first guy. I hit him in the chest. I bounced off, and I landed on my feet, which was pretty good. But then I was dumb enough. There was no result from that. And then I was dumb enough to try it again. The, the second drop kick didn't work out so well. I landed on the ground, and then they kicked me. You know, they stomped the crap out of me for a couple of minutes. Now, what so was I, what was this place? This was uh, uh, in the Hudson River off Fort Lee? Yeah. And what was the name of it? The Binghamton. Is that still there? I don't know. I haven't been back there in a while. <laughs> Man, because I know they had a boat off of Edgewater there. They had a boat out yeah. there. And then yeah. I, I think they had to take that boat away or take it out of the Hudson. But uh, it was a restaurant on a boat, a gin mill on a boat. Exactly. I'd love to hear more about this. I'm sure there are some callers out there who know exactly what you're talking about and know exactly what I'm talking about, that uh, that old boat that was moored off of Edgewater, New Jersey, for like many, many years, and then I think they they just uh, salvaged it. Yeah, I think eventually it was falling apart. I'm not sure, though. Like I said, I haven't been back there because, uh, you know, aside from dealing with the bouncers that we fought with, the uh, police are really mobbed up. So if you go to the police and complain about the Binghamton, they go, all right, well, listen, you know, uh, if you make any charges against them, they're going to make charges against you, and we're going to throw you in jail, and we're going to throw them in jail, and you guys are going to be in the same cell. So how do you feel about that? (laughs) (laughs) By the way, that was the whole premise of uh, Stallone's Copland movie, which uh, had to do with all those little townships, uh, Englewood, Englewood Cliffs, uh, Cliffside uh, Park, uh, Palisades Park, Swings All Day and After Dark, Edgewater, that they all had these little fiefdoms, these little police departments. Every department had a police uh, chief, an assistant police chief, and that they were ruthless. Yep, yep, they don't play games. Well, you gotta you gotta watch that movie. That's actually uh, one of the best uh, Stallone movies. He's had some real stinkers, but I gotta tell you, uh, Copland definitely was a damn good movie. Our number is one eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. That's one eight hundred eight four eight WABC. Let's go to Ed, who's calling from Staten Island. Your turn to be heard here at WABC. Ed. Hey, Curtis. How are you? I've had better days, Ed. I've had better days. You know, after uh, Nancy Pelosi's husband, Paul, after, uh, you know, he uh, crashed his Porsche, Nancy told him to stay home and, you know, get hammered by herself. Oh, man. 
Ed, how long? Did, how long did you work on that joke? Seriously, Ed. I offered it to Avery. He turned me down. <laughs> I understand that, Ed. You know this is that, that's not your career. Open mic. You know, Caroline's is closed. There aren't many comedy clubs left. So you you had an audition here on the fifty thousand powerful watts of sound, right? We're better to audition. I mean, Avery's the funniest guy on the radio, if you don't count, like, four or five other guys. No, no, that's true. In fact, uh, in about 24 <laughs> hours, uh, Avery will have bisected and dissected uh, the worst of Frank Morano in the past week. It is the funniest hour in all of radio, AM or FM. Oh, I, 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 set, I, I fall asleep. I set the alarm because I don't want to miss it. Yeah, no, no. A lot of people look forward to that. Uh a real star has been born here at WABC, Avery, who uh, has to do a lot of heavy lifting. Imagine he's got he's got to listen to Frank Morano all week. Listen, I'm a very serious person, deep at heart, and uh, I'm really terrified for two cities, Chicago and New York. I mean, uh, not to sound like a downer, but we could have failed cities. Well, Chicago is pretty much there. They've got Beetlejuice as its mayor, a.k.a. Lori Lightfoot, or I call her Lightweight. She's running for re-election. Uh, there's no Republicans running. There's absolutely no Republican Party. So whoever wins the Democratic primary becomes the mayor of the city of Chicago. And she is ahead in the polls. Chicago has 12,000 cops and 140,000 gang members. You're correct. That's not good. And... You know, look at all that's going on in New York City. The NYCHA people aren't paying their rent. The cops are leaving for Florida. 50% vacancy rate in commercial real estate. Uh, you know, it's uh, it's not good. You're very hip on that, Ed. Uh, you're right. Only 65% of the people who are uh, residents of NYCHA have paid their rent, and they're not paying their rent, and it's, it's going to be impossible to continue to provide the services Fifty-five uh, percent of these office buildings are occupied any Monday through Friday. That leaves forty-five percent of the office buildings empty. So you get no property tax, no taxable revenue. Uh, the city is—you uh, are absolutely correct. It's going to be falling into a fiscal abyss. It's not going to be enough money to yeah, support all the know, social services. I voted for you. I'm no fan of Eric Swalwell. Uh, not Swalwell. I mean. Um, <laughs> That was good. That was good. <laughs> Eric, uh, which Chinese spy are you sleeping with today? Oh, yeah. It's one of those Mike Myers one, you know, F me and F you, you know. <laughs> Man, Ed, you're on a roll here. No, but um, what was I going to say? Uh, I noticed that the indicator is um, Mayor Adams' demeanor. I mean, a year ago, he didn't give a crap about the city. He just wanted the party. Now it looks like he's got the weight of the world on his shoulders, and that ain't good. Well, he's not one to uh, be able to sit still at any one time and focus on any one issue. He's got attention deficit disorder. He loves to raise the roof. He loves to party hardy. He loves to uh, jump from cocktail party to a nightclub to nightclub. And let's face it, every time you have one of these kind of nights, he crimps his style. Can I make a request? Can Avery come on like 2 o'clock instead of 4 o'clock? I can't stay awake that long. Ah, no, no, no. Wait a second. Well, let's uh, come fight here with Avery. Avery, a request has been made by one of your many fans here, Ed, 
from Staten Island. He wants to know if tomorrow we might be able to do the retrospective on the last week of Frank Morano at 2 o'clock in the morning instead of 4 o'clock. Or as uh, Judge Weinberg would say, what say you, Avery? <laughs> he's sleeping. Oh, God. Oh, my God. He's, hey, he's fell asleep on me. Listen, you know how Staten Island got named? No, no. Uh, hold on a second. He's, he's sleeping on me. Unbelievable. Oh, my God. This is the worst possible thing that could happen for a talk show host or hostess. Is that your uh, your phone screener, your nighttime producer falls asleep on you. It's worse than if a caller fell asleep on me. You know, I, I got to tell you, I got a little bit of history for you. You know how Staten Island got named? No. Uh, two Jews were in a robot, and they said, hey, Murray, Staten Island? Oh, God. <laughs> hey, you're, like, horrible. <laughs> I'm handicapped. I, I, I got nothing to do all day. No, no, I understand, but do you really think that's, like, good comedy? Do you practice that stuff? No, I know a lot of dirty jokes, but I can't tell them on the air. Oh, that's true. That's true. We'll have to wash your mouth out with Fells Nap the Soap or with Rokish. Yeah. Wow, this is incredible, right. Ed. Uh, well, Avery, Avery's taking some smelling salts. Uh, he's going to give us his response as to whether he can meet your request of actually moving up by two hours his retrospective on uh, five uh, nights of Frank Morano's idiocy uh, that he's able to uh, uh, dissect and bisect and then play back for everybody generally four to five in the morning on Sunday mornings. But you're requesting two to three, right? Yeah, what anything goes. I can't stay awake till four o'clock in the morning. Yeah, but what is that? I'm supposed to take you to the break of dawn. Yeah, but you know, I I had to listen to Dominic Carter. I'm a big fan of his too. Hey, oh, oh, okay. So now you're like you're, you're tearing at me. Uh, that you had to bifurcate yourself. You had to listen to three hours of Dominic Carter, and you're not going to be able to listen to six hours of me. Is that what this comes down to? Well, I had to give up on uh, Sid. He's just uh, he's just. Uh, Way, way too arrogant these days. Yeah, well, what do you think that's about, uh, Ed? That, I mean, the guy's like strutting around like a peacock. Yeah, he said uh, if, if if he goes down, just uh, turn off the lights and close down this whole station. I mean, he's, <laughs> he's full I'm of himself. Idiot, I know that. What happened to him? Why did he a buy a house without a home inspection? Yeah, not only that, he bought it from Orthodox Jews out there in... Uh, um, in uh, the Rockaways in Bell Harbor. Oh, I hate myself. And the Orthodox Jews told him they only used it as a summer home. They lived in Borough Park the rest of the year, and he never bothered to ask all the Irish out there, well, what do you do, you know, in case it's inclement weather, in case there's flooding, in case there's freezing? Because he's so omnipotent. He's so pretentious. He thinks he knows everything, Ed. Yeah, I know. Even his son Gabe said you should have listened to Curtis, Dad. Yeah, his son was on right, that. Huh? Yeah, his son was on Friday morning with him before they went on vacation for the Christmas holiday. And uh, I said, you know, Sid, uh, you're going back to the Rockaways. You really should take Woodhaven Boulevard to Cross Bay Boulevard. And when you're at Woodhaven Boulevard at the end of Forest Hills, stop at the Home Depot, pick yourself up uh, a pump. You're going to need that because your basement is probably going to be flooded. You need a generator and you need a buzzsaw in case a tree 
uh, crashes into your house. No, no, no. Then his son jives in and says, yeah, Dad, we only two blocks from the beach. Curtis is right. No, no, you're brainwashing my son. It's exactly what happened. And I told them at the end of the show, I said, Sid, do not take the speed ferry. They're probably going to cancel the speed ferry because of the inclement weather. No, 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 no. I know what I'm doing. Hate they cancel. Yeah, they canceled the speed ferry. Yeah, you open uh, Sid's uh, toolbox, and he's got a staple gun and a roll of duct tape. And he thinks <laughs> he can fix the glass. <laughs> <laughs> he is a real stunad when it comes to that. Who was that he's person? He's the dumbest guy on the radio. God, oh my God. God help him. What an ego! What an egomaniac! Hate that yeah, guy. He, he is a character. I mean, he's got an amazing brain for sports, and you have an amazing uh, brain for like just New York history. Well, you see, I love to rumble with Sid in the morning, like seven oh five on Monday. I'll be rumbling with him, and then seven oh five on Friday, because without it, it's always Sid and friends, and I'm the only fiend and foe who takes him on. Actually, that guy Phil is pretty funny. Yes, you know, you're right about that. You're He's good. You're right about that. I mean, new talent is developing. They just have to be given an opportunity to speak at length, and it really it becomes them, like with Avery. Who knew that Avery even could speak for a while there? We didn't even know if he could talk. You should ditch Anthony Weiner and get Avery as your sidekick. Yeah, yeah. Uh, wouldn't that be great? Avery and Curtis. Yeah. Ebony and Ivory. Yeah. <laughs> You are black and I am white. I am blind and you have sight. Oh my God! <laughs> oh man! Oh, my, my my face is hurting. I'm laughing so. Oh hard. my God! You 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 laugh at your own joke, said. This is the show's open, featuring uh, Avery and Curtis. Try to figure out who the black man is when they actually start talking. I mean, let's face it, at times, if you closed your eyes and you didn't know that Avery was black and that I was white, you might think, Ed, that I was the black guy and he was the white guy. All right, I'm going to go to the bathroom and throw water on my face, see if I can stay awake to 4 o'clock. Yeah, you have to, to the break of dawn. No, to the break of dawn till 6 o'clock. I consider it an insult when people fall asleep on me, Ed. Please, don't insult me in that manner. I never did. One time I called you and I dropped the phone and you thought I fell asleep and I had to call back. Well, no, no, you, you see, you dropped the mic. You see, that's I what had, they do I on stage. A, I had to beg Avery to put me back on the, on the, on the air. And I'll bet you he did. He did. You he see? Did. You see? You got you got the juice with Avery, Ed. No problem. You're a home slice. Because I told Mr. Katz, I said Avery's a talent and he's not being, you know, utilized correctly. No, he's not. In fact, I said he, he's on the wrong side of the glass. I said that to, to Mr. Katz himself. Yeah, no, you're absolutely correct. He uh, he is a budding talent here at WABC. And I will, to the best of my ability, give him more of an opportunity to extend his talent to all of you by giving him more opportunities to slice and dice up Frank Morano, who is the gift that keeps giving to Avery. I mean, I'm an older guy, but he's, he's a young guy. How old is he, right? 25, uh, 26? That's like asking the age of Frank Morano. We don't know. Oh, really? Yeah, there are three people we don't know their age. There's Avery. It's Frank Morano and there's and Nancy. Gabor, no, right? and Nancy Sliwa. She refuses to say what her age is. 
Uh, I heard before she's doing better, thank God. Oh, yeah, she's no longer Helen Keller. She's no longer completely sightless. She's like mezze, mezze, poco, poco. She's like well, half and half. Why she married you if she was sightless. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, Ed. Ed, yeah, you, you, you got to work out these lines. You got to, you got to go to an open night, uh, Mike, at a strip club there in the North Shore of Staten Island. Try something. Oh God, comedy's dead. These young kids, they don't appreciate comedy. No, you can't do comedy because you offend them. Exactly. And right away, they're like snowflakes. Ooh, ooh, you offended me. You know what we should bring back? What was that guy named Sam Kinison? Oh, he would throw them into cardiac arrest. Oh, yeah. Now, by the way, this uh, point of trivia for you, maybe, Ed, you can nail it. And for others out there, Sam Kinison came from the same town as another great comedic talent, one of the greatest of all times. Sid Caesar. No, 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 not Sid Caesar. He's black. Oh. Come on. Uh, uh, Richard Pryor. Yes, you got it. Pryor was the greatest comedian of all time. Yeah, well, that's what they read. I don't believe that's the case. Uh, he, he was good, but I, I don't. Uh, I don't consider him the greatest. No. Bill way. Hicks was the most uh, vulgar comedian. Yeah, but I, I think when you take somebody like Robin Williams, who was so quick, so fast, uh, so proficient. For me, Pat Henry, who is like amazing. He's like ninety five years old. He's in Vegas now. He's married to like a twenty six year old uh, female. He's taking a licking and keeps on ticking. This guy was, like, amazing. Uh, Jackie Mason, he was great, uh, you know, when he was at his best. I, I would not say Richard Pryor was the best. I'm sorry. I got to disagree with you, Ed. you, you got to have Frank Caliendo on the show. He's a great impersonator. Uh, who does he impersonate? Everybody. Mm -hmm. George Bush, Trump. Um, um, he does a great uh, uh, Charles Barkley. That's a terrible, terrible. You're, you're a knucklehead. Check him out. He's funny. I got to go. I got to wash my face to stay with Yeah, yeah, wash your face and don't go to sleep on us. Uh, that would be a double UD scratch. Anyway, our number is 1-800-848-9222. I think in the next hour, I'm going to give a little education to everybody here at WABC about New York names. I just conjured up something in my head that I'm going to educate people about certain things, certain names on institutions, uh, naming uh, rights on city signs, city streets, city avenues, of the people who are evil and the people who are good. And you're going to have to figure that out. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. If there's something that turns you on, if there's something that gets you excited... Something that really gets you hot, makes you nasty. How about filling us in as to what the f*** it is? It's another side of midnight, 77 WABC. This is Another Side of Midnight with Curtis Lewa. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa.
correct. You can ask my man right here with the broken neck. He's a witness to the job, never being done. He would have been in full effect. The late 911 was a joke, cause they all were joking. A day to go to your life when it's broken. You need to be in the pawn shop on him. 911 is a joke, we don't want him. I call a cow cause the cow will come quicker. The doctors huddle up and call a flea sticker. Reason why I say that cause they flick you up like fleas. They be laughing at you while you're crawling on your knees. Or to the stream, so don't a limb. Thinking you are first when you're really a dim. You better wake up and smell a real flavor. Cause 911 is a fake lifesaver. So get up and get, get, get down. 911 is joking, go down. Get up and get, get, get down. Late 911, where's the late crown? Get up and get, get, get down. Flavor was a crackhead. Yeah, crackhead for a while. Ended up, what was he on? C-74, C-76 on Rikers Island doing shout-outs with Hot 97. More drugs, more drive-bys, more gang-banging, more drugs. He'd be calling up on Sunday nights, yo, 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 it's Flavor Flav, man. Audience would go crazy. Runs down into the street. He's living on the Grand Concourse at the time. He's shooting at phantom objects as he was beaming himself up to Scotty, smoking those rocks of crack cocaine. Oh, God. What I love to take that clock. Strangle him. And then what was he in that reality show? Uh, what was it? VH1 with uh, Brigitte Nielsen having sex on TV. Oh, my God. Oh, made you want to become celibate. Horrible. Our number is 1-800-848-WABC. It will be a history lesson next hour. So get ready, all of you uh, history uh, aficionados, those of you who love trivia. I'm going to be bouncing names off of you of places and spots and signs and signage and going to ask you good, bad, or indifferent. Good, bad, or indifferent. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Gene calling from the Bronx. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Gene. Hey, how you doing, Curtis? You got a great show. You had me stitches all night. I've been listening to this. I'm falling on the floor. You got me. You got a great, great show. Very, really, really entertaining. My brother was a stand-up comic for quite a while. His name was Mickey Marvin, and he lived in Cliffside Park. I don't know if you heard the name. He played all the, he played the Copa he, when the Copa was around. He he played all the other places. Well, uh, I remember, Marvin. I remember uh, Mickey Marvin. I don't remember him specifically, but I know there was a joint up there near Palisades Park and Englewood Cliff, uh, in which Sinatra would play there, and they had some comedians. I forget the name of the club there, but uh, uh, how did he develop his comedic talent? You know, he little by little he hooked up with he go he come up to a comedian at a club and gets friendly. He just had that personality. He had the right look. He had the right spiel. You know, he just had it little by little, little by and he broke in. He was playing all he was playing the mountains, the bush felt like crazy, Concord, all the places. And I knew Jackie Mason. I met well here's a funny I met Jackie Mason on the street in Manhattan, and I says, Jackie, I told my, my, my brother, he says, yeah, well, he says, I remember him. I says, Jackie, tell me a joke. You know what he said to me? He said, well, a butcher gives meat away for free. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
yeah, yeah. But my brother developed it. My brother went to Gompers High School. Uh, he was from the Bronx. Oh, wait a second. Gompers, so that means a vocational high school. What was he exactly. stu- studying to be a carpenter, a plumber? What was he? You had, to, you had to get a hand license to graduate. Would you believe this? Wow. So oh. that was right near 149th and Southern Boulevard, Gompers. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's where he went. That was my that was my older brother. He was mm. like ten years my senior, and uh, he met a guy by the name of Corbett Monica. I don't know if you heard that comment, Corbett Monica. He met him at a nightclub. He was, but my brother became a salesman, a garment salesman in the schmata business, you know. And he was selling peace goods, but in order to sell peace goods, you had to tell a joke. So he became his timing was like so perfect mm. that. He got interested in comedy, and he met this comic. I don't know how he did it. He walked. He went, went into a club. He got friendly with Corbett Monica, who was very, you know, well known at the time. And Corbett showed him around. He little by little, he told him when he was ready for certain things and when he was not ready for certain things. And he's online. His his sons put him online. He passed away. His his wife got came down with cancer, he cracked up. You wouldn't believe it. The guy had, had all his hair, good-looking guy, knew how to act, polished like anything. When his wife died, he fell apart. He fell apart. It's like amazing. Like, like the doctors didn't know what he died from. Sure. You know? Now, what and high he, school What high school did you go to, Gene? I went to Roosevelt. Ah, so the drug the drug store right there across from Fordham University on East Fordham. Yeah, 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 yeah. I knew everything. I knew everybody on 187th Street over there, the clubhouse. I, I got, I had all the connections over there. You had to, you, you had to know somebody to stay alive in the hallways. <laughs> <laughs> and then you had that uh, Olympic-sized pool there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was a guy. You wouldn't believe this. This guy's name was Mr. Stapleton. He was the gym instructor. In, uh, in, order to, in order to get into the pool, they had to check the back of your ankles to make sure there's no dirt on them. So he used to have two rows of guys bent over, and he would walk through the aisle. And if you, at, at the back of your legs, the, your ankles, the back, with dirty, he would slap you with a towel <laughs> on your butt, you know. Now, I, now let me ask you was, a question, Gene. When yeah. when it was time to have a gym class in the pool, did they make you uh, swim uh, in your uh, in your in your, your what you came into the world with your skin as opposed to a pair no. of trunks? I I never I I he I went. I went to it one time and I stayed out of it. I didn't like it. I didn't like what I saw. I didn't like what I saw. You know, and I was only, what, 15 years old when I went to school. And I went to PS55 in the Bronx Junior High School. It was a rough school. You had, I didn't learn anything there. Yes. But I went to Roosevelt, and then uh, I went into the Army after that. All right, I, but, but know, Gene, uh, I've always asked this question, because when I went yeah. to Brooklyn Prep, the Jesuit high school, we had yeah. pool class once a week. And they would tell us, you got to take your trunks off in order to swim in the pool. And I would say, what do we got to take our trunks off for? Oh, you know, it could spread disease. Uh, You know, could spread malaria, E. coli, you know, salmonella, all that nonsense. 
I think these guys were just pervs. They wanted to watch us swimming around in the pool. I think so. You're right. Curtis, I believe you're right. Looking back at it, at that time, I didn't recognize it. But looking back, I says, I can't believe what, what, went, what, what went on at the school. I just couldn't believe it. But I, 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 you know, I never liked swimming when I was that age. And I said, I said this is not for me. So I, I, pulled that, I pulled out of that very quickly. Well, you know, Gene, uh, if you were in need yeah. of employment, Philadelphia is hiring lifeguards. They need 60 of them at their municipal pools. And the requirements to be a lifeguard, you don't even have to know how to swim. Oh, really? <laughs> this is Philadelphia. You don't even have to. Uh, yeah. they, they claim they'll teach you how to swim. <laughs> is that the most ridiculous thing you ever That's heard? Crazy. That's crazy. Sounds crazy to yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. What, what, you're practicing your tub? <laughs> you know what? I got to tell you, again, you have a great show. You have a great show. Everybody that goes on, especially you, you have, you know, I can't believe you didn't become mayor. I just can't believe this. You're not, well, we you're, not, you're not the only one, Gene. You're not the only one. My feeling is that you just wasn't lucky. I think you were just unlucky. Well, look, you, I would have mandated it, whether it's a parochial school like the school I went to, Brooklyn Prep, no longer open, or Roosevelt High School that's still open with a pool, or up there on Gun Hill Road, there's another public school there that has a pool. In fact, you got to go through two metal detectors in order to get into that high school. It's got so many crime problems. Really? Right, I can imagine. I can imagine. I'm trying to think of the name of the high school up there. Yeah, you see? You see, that's a, that's a real brain buster there. And yeah, yeah, yeah. That, I would I would mandate it that it would be the law that you could only swim in a pool if you had your trunks on. <laughs> yeah, no, I had too many of these perps. I'm telling you, Gene, I've been saying this for years. People say, well, what are you talking about? You know, they probably didn't want you to get too much chlorine on your, on your anatomy. I said, what are you talking about? I mean, what's chlorine going to do to your anatomy? Shrink it up? Right, 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 right. You know, the right. brothers, the priests, and the lay teachers, they were concerned that too much chlorine in the water would shrink up your three-piece set. <laughs> that is ridiculous. And I want to know from all of our listeners out there, Gene, how many others were lured into pools in their high school and were told by their instructors that they had to get down to their skinnies. They had to get down to their skin and they had to toss their, their trunks to the side, and they got to be swimming around there nude with the other guys. Yeah, well, that was definitely going on in Roosevelt, I remember. that was Yeah, going, yeah, that, Roosevelt. That you know who also went to Roosevelt? Dominic Carter. Oh, really? Wow, wow. What, it, when did he graduate there? Uh, I think it was in about 78, 79. I'm not quite sure. But I asked him also about that, and he goes, well, you know us brothers, we don't swim. I said, I said, well, damn right you don't swim because there was probably some pervert who was the uh, gym teacher supervising pool class. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's that's all true. It was really a strange time. You know, I went to, I went into Roosevelt in 19, I'm, I'm 81 years old now. I went to Roosevelt, I think I was, it was 1956. 
and supposedly I didn't even graduate. Uh, I I joined the army. I I quit high school, joined the army, went to Germany, stayed there for two two and a half years in close to Nuremberg, and then the Vietnam War started, and I was getting out in '64, and I and I thought that it was gonna it was gonna send me to Vietnam from Germany. Then all of a sudden they said, you know what? You don't have enough time, Perlman. That was my last name, Perlman. My brother's name was Marvin Perlman, but Mickey Marvin was the tra- what is uh, stage name. Mm. But they they said they was they was going to send me to Vietnam, and I says, oh my God, I'm going to die. And all of a sudden, out of luck, they said, Perlman, you only got 30 days left. You're not going. And uh, I got out of I got out alive. You know, wow, so, very lucky. Yeah, very lucky. Twenty yeah. years there. 20 years there, from 55 to 75, close to 60,000 Americans perished, so many more of them injured, both physically and mentally. And to this day, we ask ourselves on the 50th anniversary of the peace treaty uh, in Paris, for what? For what? You're right. You're right. I, I, I think we lost that war, really. You look back, I think we lost that war. But uh, I... Uh, I was going to say something that went right out of my mind. Well, uh, you know, that happens when you're 81. Gina, I want to ask you a question. You know that you left uh, Roosevelt High School without graduating. You know who else did that and went on to play for the Cleveland Indians? Uh, Rocky Calavito. Oh, really? That was from my area. He came from Claremont Parkway. That's right. Great, great ball player. He wanted to play for the Yankees desperately. They gave him a tryout in Yankee Stadium. The Yankees said, nah, you're not ready for prime time. This is as a sophomore in Roosevelt High School. A Cleveland Indian scout happened to be there. He goes, hey, kid, how'd you like to leave high school now and play semi-pro first and build up your uh, your talent? He said, absolutely. And that's how he ended up with the Cleveland Indians and not the New York wow, Yankees. Wow, 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 wow. I should have known that. I should have. But I, I, I knew of him. I used to hang on climb on Parkway as a kid growing up in the Bronx. And uh, there was places like the Sugar Bowl up there where all the people used to go in. Uh, that was, and that's when my brother hung out over there. There was a YMHA on Fulton Avenue. We, I grew up on 170 in Fulton Avenue in the Bronx, 1385 Fulton Avenue. And that, that was like, a, that was Bathgate Avenue, which is no longer there, with, which was a shopping center. They took that apart and made a commercial area now. Well, just it's, think of this, Gene. You can you have bragging rights. You can say, I didn't graduate Roosevelt, and neither did Rocky Calavito. It's another side of midnight. Now, to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC, here's Curtis Lewa.
see how I conflate the music with the topics. This is great EDM, electronic dance music. See that? You like that jam, Broadway Bill Lee? Auga, Auga. So good. Complaints to the subject. James Golden, eat your heart out. You you can't play the jams like Curtis Lewis can. He was playing some Sade to me earlier in the week when I had to jump on. He thought he used a little technology. He said, you recognize this jam? I said, yeah, that's Sade. That's UK. A little depressing. Maybe in 24 hours, Broadway Bill Lee will do a little Sade, huh? Hell no. Oh, yeah. We'll be bogarting your musical uh, selections there. James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdy, who will be on in just a few hours. Hell yes, uh, from 7 to 10. 7 to 10, we'll see what kind of jams he comes up with as his intro and outtakes. Can't do it better than me. Because I'm such a cornball. No, because I'm a cornball. Yeah, you got it, man. I knew Frankie Crocker. You know Frankie Crocker. I knew, I knew Vaughn. Vaughn Harper, you know Vaughn Harper. Nah, nah. Hell no. That's right, of course you're not. You're like Ted, Ted, uh, Ted Baxter. No, no, Ted Mack in the amateur hour. <laughs> Let's go to Steve in Queens. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Steve. Uh, hi, Curtis. Um, I, I've spoken to you before. I just wanted to tell you sincerely, it's a privilege and an honor to talk to you. You're a guy that, you know... Um, Talks the talk and walks the walk, but um, I don't have any of those experiences in the pool at New Utrecht High School. Uh, I was a lifeguard there, and I played football on the football team. So you you couldn't be on the swim team and the football team at the same time. So from 19, we're the same age. From 1970 to 1971, I got certified as a lifeguard from uh, Marty Weiss, was the swimming coach and ran the pool down there. Another gym teacher also was Ed Marinello. And uh, none of that ever occurred, pulling bathing suits down or anything. I could, I could take a polygraph and uh, and pass. Well, let me tell you something, Stephen. Uh, oh. You may have been swimming in your pool at New Utrecht High School, but you had the worst freaking football field that I have ever played on. I I would have to agree with that. They have astroturf and stuff that. Um, we also talked about nuclear weapons. I, I was in Vietnam also. Then I went back in the Navy. And I was on a fast attack submarine that used to go to the North Pole all the time. So um, when you talk about Vietnam and the other stuff, I'm an avid listener for 30 years. And you have you have a lot of fans and a lot of people root for you when they tell you how much we love you and your guardian angels and what you're in. But we, we can't get you on the phone all the time. Now, now, right, now Steve, so, you uh, mentioned you were on an yeah. attack submarine that went up to the Arctic Circle all the time. How and, many and days? Cold war. How many okay. days would you be under the water before surfacing? Okay, so if 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 you're not off Murmansk, Russia, that was like that that movie and whatnot. There's always a um, Norwegian destroyer 
or a, uh, a British fast attack submarine or American attack submarine monitoring their northern fleet that comes over there. So normally surfacing on the North Pole is, is not something you do much. They have exercises that are scientific and what, but, but very rarely do you ever surfic. And this was the time of what's called the Second Cold War. So when we went up there, it was similar to the movie. I don't want to mention the movie's name. You can mention it and whatnot. And um, what we do is we follow other ballistic missile submarines. If we have to uh, make a preemptive attack, they actually have to surface to launch. So since if your father was a merchant marine, I know you know all about navigation and this and that. And the Northwest Passage, the much shorter trajectory from the North Pole to hit anything in America than it was to, to launch anywhere else. You're, you're aware of that, right? Yep. Now, so question, they, they, uh, stop, question. Stop. Did you did you ever have a situation where you felt you were in peril because you were in that tin can so far under the water? Okay, okay. so um, just like when your dad was alone on various ships, especially tankers or container ships, um, you're all alone, so you're the firefighting team. Somebody falls off, there not too many guys on a merchant marine ship or anything. So you, you are in peril because in the second Cold War from the mid-60s up, in, up into the 80s, all American submarines, with the exception of ballistic missile submarines, which had you know well, missiles on them, which is the end of Earth if they have to launch. Um, thank God nobody's have to launch. Um, you, you have all kinds of things that you're highly trained that uh, – can go wrong, and if anything goes wrong, you know, you have to be right on the spot to, to do anything. Yes, but there, there is perils. There's perils with the Russian submarines. They, they do stop and go backwards on you uh, to see if you're following them, if you're what's called in their baffles, and that they can't hear you or anything like that. But but surfacing is something more for the movies. You follow what I'm saying? But they do have, they do have um, scientific exercises where, where they do surface for many, many years. That's why they know the North Pole is basically – melted 40% and whatnot. The Navy um, tracked it and didn't tell anybody and stuff like that. But um, do I actually feel in peril? Well, that, you know, if you if you were a Navy SEAL and you're SEAL Team 6 or you're, you're doing the Army stupid SEALs or the other guys that are SDV guys that used to be the UDTs and how you have all this thing, this, this, this is stuff that, you know, um, like your dad, you don't have to do. You don't have to be a merchant marine. You have to want to go out to work and do that for a living. And on a submarine, you have to volunteer to be on a submarine. Oh, no, no, no. Totally understood. Ooh. That's a tremendous education there about submarining. Thought we were talking to Jimmy Carter there for a second. Commander of a submarine well before he became president of the United States. Anyway, our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Check this out. On the weekend, Ufa. take a journey with the people's mayor. Curtis Lewa is a politician who says don't trust politicians. It's another side of midnight with Curtis Lewa. The iconic, the legendary Curtis Lewa. This city doesn't sleep, and neither does Curtis Lewa. On another side of midnight. Oh, yeah. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa. Look somewhere above her, pretend you don't love her, pretend you don't see her at 
pretend you don't see her, my heart. Although she is coming our way, pretend you don't need her, my heart. But smile and pretend to be gay. It's too late for running my heart. Chin up if the tears start to fall. Look somewhere above her. Pretend you don't love her. Pretend you don't see her at all. Jerry Bell. I think originally was from the Bronx. I stand to be corrected on that, but I'm pretty sure Jerry Vale was originally from the Bronx. That was like one of my mother, mother's all-time favorites, Francesca. She loved Jerry Vale. And uh, every time I go up to Deegan Expressway, you know, past Yankee Stadium, up to Deegan towards Westchester, Remember I passed the old Lowman's uh, dress factory, Lowman's there. You know, I guess if you were a drag queen, that's where you'd want to go, Lowman's. You know, low-budget dresses right off the rack, right? I mean, if you're going to be a George Santos and get all dolled up the right way and be a drag queen for drag queen reading hour, you better hit Lowman's. It won't hurt your uh, pocketbook uh, too bad. Lowman's is gone there. And you know what the other iconic spot along the Deegan Expressway was? Stellador. You could smell them baking that Stellador. Oh, my grandfather, Fidel Bianchino, he had to have his Stelladoro with his new touch of the cafe, the Medaglia d'Oro. He loved the Stellador. Can I have the, uh, please, uh, Jerry, I'm in the mood now. I'm feeling the Bronx here. I'm feeling the Bronx up to Deegan. You know, you're going under, you're going under the Cross Bronx Expressway as it takes you over the Harlem River, and as you go north, what happened to Lomans? What happened to Lomans? What happened to Stella Doro? Huh? What happened to Stella Doro? Where did Stella Doro go? My mother Francesca, she had the, she liked the little Stella Doro cookies. She'd say, one young, when you go to the store, make sure you bring back some Stelladoro cookies. No, no problem, Mom. And, hey, you know, if there's any change, you can get yourself some Bazooka Joe bubblegum. But, hey, be careful. Brush your teeth afterwards. We can't keep affording to send you to the dentist. I mean, that was the thing. You, you would chew the gum, right? And then my mother would tell you, brush your teeth afterwards, you know. Yeah, 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 that residue would be in your teeth, and then you have to end up going to to the dentist, Lasterino, and it's going to cost us uh, like a ton of money. There was no insurance back then. No insurance. Out-of-pocket expense. But I ask all of you, whatever happened to that Lowman's dress warehouse? Where could all the uh, drag queens go now to get... You know, dresses right off the rack that are affordable. George Santos and the rest of them. 
and Stella Doro. Oh, my God, Stella Doro. And then there was Ranzoni Sonobuoni. Ranzoni is so good. How could you ever forget? And are they going to save the Farina? That's all we need to know. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. So now we're going to play a little uh, history trivia because one of our callers sort of sparked that off in my thinking process. So as you're heading up the Deegan Expressway, going north past Yankee Stadium, north past the Cross Bronx Expressway, who is Deegan named after, right? You probably took the Deegan Expressway 50,000 times. Did you ever realize... Who the Deegan Expressway was named after. And then how many of you took the Van Wick Expressway, right? How many times? Probably thousands of times. Who is the Van Wick Expressway named after? All right, this real brain bust is here. This ain't easy here. And then, of course, Lenox Avenue in a heart. Of Harlem, USA. You know, you're right on Lenox area, uh, Lenox Avenue. Who was that named after? And you will be surprised because when you find out who uh, Deegan, uh, the Deegan Expressway was named after, the Van Wick Expressway, and Lenox Avenue, you're going to say, my God, what the hell do we name uh, streets after these guys for? And McCombs Dam. You know, the McCombs Dam Bridge and Park right there by Yankee Stadium? Who is that named after? Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And a place that I've often been that is infamous, always in the news, Rikers Island. Who is Rikers Island named after? And then what about, uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> oh boy, man, these are it's a tremendous, tremendous question. Said I don't think any of our listeners are going to get. I really don't think so, Avery. Our phone screener and our nighttime producer. Even though we're heard in uh, 38 states, parts of Canada, a sliver of Europe, and right on down to Davy Jones's locker between the Bahamas, which has become a haven and sanctuary for Bitcoin bandits, blockchain criminals, and cryptocurrency Ponzi schemers, and Bermuda, which was the first place that Cousin Brucey got a job spinning stacks of wax. Nowhere in the United States was Bermuda. And now, as you know, in a few hours, it'll be first Cousin Vinny from uh, 5 to 6. And he is the protege of Cousin Brucie, his mentor, 6 to 10, then followed by Tony Orlando without Dawn from 10 to 12. And then it's so nice they have me do it twice. They come back and do it all over again from 12 midnight to 6 in the morning to the break of dawn on Sunday. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. I cannot believe that any of you do not know who uh, the Deegan Expressway in the Bronx is named after. The Van Wick Expressway in Queens is named after. The McCombs Dam and Park is named after, right there by Yankee Stadium. And uh, Lenox Avenue. 
Who is that named after? 1-800-848-9222. You probably have taken them thousands and thousands of times in your lifetime. 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Michael, who's calling from Jersey City. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Mike. Hey, Curtis. Thanks for the call, man. Um, first thing first, my wife and I have a two-month-old, so I've really appreciated listening to you during, during those overnight feedings. Not so much your counterpart, Mr. Morano, but uh, you're doing a good job. <laughs> uh, so I, I thought I might grab your attention. I'm calling from the land of flop here in Jersey City. Uh, I know you had a caller a week or two ago uh, who had some pretty strong opinions about him. So, look, Fulop will never be governor. They're not going to follow up one goldmine sax guy with another. Uh, having said that, he's been a pretty good mayor for Jersey City. Uh, productive, pro-commerce, all that stuff. Uh, I think the left in Jersey City is celebrating his apparent demise by calling him a banker and Arab killer because he was a Marine at one point. So I think that says a lot. But now let me ask you this question. You said he'll never become the governor. Why? New Jersey has a uh, history if you're a graduate of Goldmine Sachs, they make you governor. Look at Corazine. Look at half in the bag Murphy, smashed as no, he always that, is. You're, you're right. I just not just not in uh, succession, right? Not in succession. Thankfully, after Course Lime, as we call him, Course Lime, <laughs> we had Christie. Um, <laughs> unfortunately, following that up with half in the bag Murphy. Unfortunately, it seems the only Republican who's on deck is Chitterelli. Not a deep bench here. Uh, but from a, from the Democrats, it, it won't be full up. It won't be him. It'll be Mickey Sherrill. It'll be George Norcross from down south. Wow, George Norcross. Oh, man, the boss of all bosses from down south. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Not not George Norcross. Uh, Steve Sweeney. Oh, okay. Boy, oh, wow. So, so Sweeney's going to make a comeback after getting knocked out as president of the state senate. Precisely, the, the complete arrogance and hubris to do that. Right, but <laughs> that is George Norcross's guy. So it's really South versus North, as it always is. Bobby Menendez, the capo di tutti of all crooked U.S. senators, is really the shot caller in crooked Hudson County. And he's Precisely. promoting. There's, there's, a divide, there's a divide at Woodbridge. Menendez is north of Woodbridge and Norcross is south of Woodbridge. All right. Well, well I got to tell you this. We have our news director, Noam Laden. Lives up in the Heights, side-by-side uh, side with Fulop. And I've ordered Noam Layden, our news director, to recuse himself whenever there are stories about Fulop because he's always putting a spin on it. Oh, Fulop is great. Fulop is wonderful. I said, Noam, what kind of a news guy are you? It's almost like you, uh, you've you been bought and tagged and bagged by this guy, Fulop. He goes, well, I like I Fulop. Say- he's my neighbor. In complete fairness, I think Fulop is good for Jersey City. Like, Cory Booker was good for Newark, but neither of them are good for these larger roles that they inevitably want to pursue. Wow. Now, now how come you end up living in Jersey City and not Bayonne, the gateway to the world? <laughs> well, Curtis, we say two things in this part of the world. Bayonne, exit 14A. 14A, stay away. If it's from Bayonne, stay away. If it's fourteen A, stay away. Right. You better tell that to all the people who love to go on cruises. They love to catch their boat there at the port in Bayonne, the old uh, Standard Oil port. I I have taken a cruise out of that port. Thankfully, it was a quick arrival and departure. Uh, Uh, The other phrase is 
Wow, and, and, and you, and you decided you didn't want to live in Union City and West New York and Weehawk and why well, well, Jer- I, why I mean, Jersey I, City? I, I, I have ties to Jersey City. My father is actually from the Heights, where your news director and the incumbent mayor are from. And I actually went to high school here at St. Peter's Prep. Shout out to them, the Marauders. Oh, the uh, Jesuits, the Jesuits. Oh, my, my, my. You know all about the Jesuits. Yep, I did pick that up. Now, now, let me ask you this question, okay? Since you're an aficionado of Hudson County and especially Jersey City, you know, we go, you go way back, way back, and the only time they ever elected a Republican mayor was uh, Brett Schundler when they had, like, 14 Democrats running against him, and they thought still with 14 Democrats running against one another, a Republican could never slip in, and he did. And, boy, he was the prize of Jersey City, that whole exchange place. He basically walked over while uh, Rudy Giuliani was fighting crime and not paying attention and pickpocketed uh, New York City by bringing over some of the Fortune 500 companies by telling him, hey, your main headquarters. Well, he, brought, he, brought, he brought Fulop over with Goldmine Sachs because Fulop was not a New York City guy. He was a back office guy here in Jersey City. Sumner ah. uh, was part of that, you know. Attracting Goldman's here. So. Yeah, I, I know. I remember because Rudy was complaining. He goes, I can't believe it. All of a sudden, they're convincing companies on Wall Street that your employees, all they got to do is take the PATH train at the World Trade Center, one-stop exchange place, and you could have a headquarters there. Right. So it, it was Schumler, and then it was after him, Glenn Cunningham, excuse me, Glenn Cunningham, who was a Democrat, but largely shared the same values. Unfortunately, he uh, died of a heart attack pretty suddenly in his term. And then after him was a guy named Healy. Oh, Healy, remember, half in the bag, sitting on his porch with a can of Rheingold in his hand. He was full of the bag, Healy. Right, but remember, he had no clothes on. Remember, he was sitting on his porch. He denied that. And then he went out to the Jersey Shore and knocked some cop out. That that is correct. That is correct. True to form. True to form. Oh my God, uh, man! It, it, you're like a wealth of information about Jersey City. Uh, it just keeps churning. You know, that's like Joe Nolan. I told Joe Nolan, "Hey, Joe, stay over in Jersey City. I don't want to hear you any longer on WABC." Yeah, well, you know, it, it's a great place. It'll always be a great place. It's just, uh, again, Full Up is a great leader for right now. After him. <laughs> I will tell you this, I will tell you this, Michael, I remember years ago when I first went into Jersey City, got off the the PATH train station at Grove Street, where City Hall is, and back then it was like the hood. And now, you can't even afford a square inch there with all the hipsters and millennials. You couldn't couldn't buy a studio there unless you had a lot to put down. But hey, I want to say one last thing, Uh, Jersey City aside, but on a Jersey note, you were talking about the movie Copland before, which is a fantastic movie. Great yes. cast. Yes. Your boy Michael Rappaport was in that movie, which I don't think you uh, what? picked up on or mentioned. What? Michael Rappaport, who is trying to convince Michael Sid Rappaport. Rosenberg that you cannot be called a Jew anymore. You have to be Jew hyphenish. Yep, he was uh, Murray Babbage. He was the uh, Harvey Keitel's nephew who caused the whole dilemma in the beginning of the movie. Yeah, but I have to give him props. He was good in that role. Harvey Keitel was good in that role, and Stallone was fantastic. It was was a fantastic movie, fantastic cast. Yeah, and it it captured those cities, those very small communities. Englewood, Englewood Cliffs, 
Teaneck, Tenafly, Alpine, where nobody has an address. Clifton. No, 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 not Clifton. That's Passaic. Excuse me. Cliffside Park. Palisades Park. Swings all day and after dark. Edgewater, which used to be the Japanese enclave. Now, not so much. Nobody has named the ship that was out there that was in the harbor area of the Hudson River, right off Edgewater. I think they took it out for salvage. Nobody has answered that trivia question yet. 1-800-848-9222. While you were having your sushi and sashimi right along the Hudson River there in Edgewater, what was that ship that was moored out there that looked like it was half in the Hudson, half out of the Hudson? I don't think it's there any longer. 1-800-848-9222. You're going to learn a lot if you listen to Curtis. It's another side of midnight. 77 WABC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. He knows New York. He is New York. Cred that the others don't have. Curtis Lewa, Talk Radio 77 WABC. You might not know. Not about Frank Sinatra. It's about who the Deegan Expressway was named after, the Van Wick Expressway. Who uh, who was uh, who was Lenox Avenue named after? And the Macomb Dam Bridge and Park right by Yankee Stadium. Our number is one eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. That's one eight hundred eight four eight WABC. Let's go to Maurice, who's calling from New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here at WABC. Hello? Yes, hello. Yes. Yes. I wanted to give you the name of the ship that you were talking about. It was called the Aratusa, uh, and it was in the Passaic. Uh, the Aratusa, you said? Yes. And what was the and history? Was what was the history of that boat? Well, you were talking about the Binghamton. Yes. And the other one with the Aratusa, that also went down. But that was in the Passaic. And, and then the nightclub you were talking about was Ben Martin's Riviera. Ah. Ah, wow. Wow, you are, a, uh, you are a cauldron of information about New Jersey. Well, I'm 96 years old, and I'm living in assisted living. That's where I'm calling from. Wow, 96 years old, and you're in an assisted living home. Uh-huh. Wow. 
Oh, that's great. Do, do you have any of your friends there who are listening too? No. <laughs> you gotta, no, I'm the only one that's interested. You, you got to encourage them. You got to tell them. They got to listen to the break of dawn. I know. Wow. I know. I love to listen to you, Curtis. The question. Hey, the Aratusa and Ben Martins Riviera. Later changed to Ben Miller. Now, the question is, uh, where were you born and raised? In Fort Lee. Uh, Fort Lee. New Jersey. Did you end up seeing Eric Adams there? <laughs> no. Apartment, apartment 22H. <laughs> <laughs> You're funny. Uh, Fort Lee. So you were there before they built the George Washington Bridge or after? <laughs> no. After. Oh, after. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. And we what used to walk across it. And what high school? What high school did you go to? I went to Catholic school, Madonna school. Oh, good Catholic school girl. Good, good. I sure am. Let I me, sure am. Let me tell you something. Ninety-six years old, I would have never known it based on the tone and the strength of your voice. No, I'm ninety-six. I will be ninety-seven in May. Wow. Okay. Look. You- I'm you catching me awake all night, Curtis. I'm catching up to you. I'm I'm going to be 69 on March 26. I'm catching I up wish, to you. I wish I was 69. Oh, 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 oh. Yeah, maybe <laughs> maybe we swap spots, right? I'll be 97 <laughs> living in that uh that uh, senior citizen home. Right. All it's right. only you know what? It's only a number. That's true. That's true. You just keep you keep living that good life, and you keep listening here to WABC, and especially to the break of dawn. Let's go to Craig, who's calling from Tom's River. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Craig. Hey, Curtis. Thanks for taking my call. Uh, real quick, uh, George Santos, for some reason, I don't know why, but it reminds me of, uh, remember a few years back, uh, Oscar De La Hoya, when they found him like uh dressed up in fishnets and stilettos, and he was trying to deny it, saying, oh, that wasn't me. And then they had pictures of him posing like wearing boxing gloves, dressed in drag. That's right. That's right. Yes. Oscar de la Hoya, who is the golden yeah. boy. I mean, let's face it, he was the ultimate in machismo, and you're absolutely correct. He was on a he was on an exercise bicycle, if I remember correctly. He had on the fishnet stockings. He had yeah. on the yeah. pumps that like the six inch heels. Uh, I think he had a wig on too, and he was like all femmed out. Yeah, he was all he was all dressed out in drag. And at first, he tried claiming, you know, oh that wasn't me. But then he, you know, he finally broke down and said, you know, he gave the story about how you know he was getting doing drugs and drinking and hanging out with uh, hookers and this and that. But and he said she talked him into it, and but he admitted it. He finally admitted it that you know, like you know, they were trying to say it was uh photoshopped. That it wasn't him, but it, it was him. He if I it. if I remember correctly, he was hanging out with some kind of Russian woman. Yeah, yeah, some kind of Russian hookers. Or yeah, something and blaming like blaming it on the Russian hooker. The reason that he liked fishnet stockings and six inch stat heels and a wig, uh, like uh, any transvestite, transgender, or transformer, was because the Russian the the, the Russian uh, girlfriend convinced him to dress up like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was trying to say she talked to me. I was thinking, I was thinking a, a good, a good song. I, I know you like the. Uh, I like the uh, RuPaul song you play when uh, you, you, you know, you when you have a story about uh, 
Santos. But, oh, yeah, uh, and RuPaul, you mean Drag Race. Yeah, that one, or uh, I was thinking maybe Wright said Fred, I'm too sexy, or uh, the other one. I think it's by, like, the waitresses or something. It's called I Know What Boys Like. Oh. I think that would be a good, a good, uh, you good little run. intro. Here it comes, Craig. Your request, we have delivered. Broadway Bill Lee has delivered the uh, daughter, I think it's the daughter or possibly son of Ron Paul, the brother or sister of Rand Paul, RuPaul. Three snaps up, right, Craig? Oscar De La Hoya, great fighter, but also likes to dress as a lady. George Santos, who denied being a drag queen, and yet there is video documentary evidence of him participating in drag queen shows outside of Rio de Janeiro for three years. And then, Craig, a question for you. What great fighter was known to wear dresses on a regular basis... And when his opponent actually called him a um, a pato in the ring, he went so berserk uh, in Madison Square Garden that he killed him in the ring. Uh, uh, mm. Arturo Gotti? No, no, not Arturo Gotti. No, 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 no far, farther back. He was originally from the Virgin Islands. Uh, and everybody knew that he loved to dress in drag. No, I don't know that one, man. Emil Griffin. Emil Griffin. Great fighter. Oh, great fighter. Tough. But unfortunately for him, uh, he was seen often uh, dressing up as a transvestite, going to transvestite bars. And then uh, fight fans would call him out, call him all kinds of names while he was in the ring. And he would take it out on the opponent. Oh, yeah, yeah. Get out all his rage on him. Right. Yeah, well, one time in the old Madison Square Garden at 50th and 8th, he was fighting Bernie Perrette, and Bernie Perrette was taunting him, you know, calling him all kinds of names because he was a transvestite, and uh, Emil Griffin killed him in the ring. Killed him. Uh, kill. He, mm-hmm. Hit him so hard that he never recovered. Bernie Perrette never recovered. I think he had yeah. a hemorrhage in the brain. But it was all because he was so angry at Bernie Perret and the rage. And, I mean, this he was a great fighter. I, I saw him against Nino Benvenuti in uh, Shea Stadium. 60,000 people, you know, all the Italians were there to support. Nino Benvenuti, almost nobody was there to support uh, 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 Emil Griffin. Not even the yeah. uh, drag queens uh, from Greenwich Village or the transvestites, yeah. uh, transgenders, or the transformers. And yet he beat Nino Benvenuti there. And he beat him, yeah. Oh, man. Oh, wait, wait. Your second request. Hold on a second. Here we go. Yeah, that's This is the theme song for Sid Rosenberg. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I was just saying something about that, too. Like, I can't even listen to him no more. Ever since uh, Bernard uh, passed away, I yeah. used to listen to them every morning. Like during work, I can't, I can't, I can't even listen to him no more. He really turned into, I don't know what since uh, an ego, e- ego maniac, a total ego maniac. Yeah, he did. Like soon as soon as Bernie, you know, was gone, 
all of a sudden he changed like his whole tone to like the total opposite of what he was when Bernie was there. But I'm going to suggest, Craig, that when I join him in Monday at 7.05, as I do every Friday at 7.05, that this become his theme song. The way I'm yeah, disco dancing. Oh, this this has Sid Rosenberg written all over it. Who is that person? I want to beat him up. Come on, Sid. This is you, man. You're too sexy, right, Sid? I'm a complete idiot. I know that. I'm too sexy for my car. Too sexy for my car. Too sexy by far. And I'm too sexy for my hat. Too sexy for my hat. What do you think? Oh, this is definitely Sid Rosenberg. Oh, I hate myself. The new theme song for Sid Rosenberg and Friends. Boy, I love being right, huh? Back he and his friend uh, Eric Adams, because there's two guys who do this song, two gay guys. Just imagine the metrosexual Sid Rosenberg and the metrosexual Eric Adams, swagger man with no plan. You're a weirdo, you know that one? What do you think, Craig? I think it's perfect. It's fitting. It fits him. It fits him like a glove. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's perfect. Thank you, Craig. Reaffirms my uh, faith in our listeners. That we can conflate and pick the right songs for the right hosts and hostesses here at WABC. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Jack in Garfield, New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Jack. The Binghamton was a ferry boat that was turned into a restaurant and bar. And uh, it was off the bank over there in Edgewater by some factory parking lot. And it's still there. Well, its bones are still there. It uh, it went on fire and it sunk. And you can see the rusty hulk still sticking out of it. But it was a pretty hot place to go to. So they have not removed that for salvage, right? No, I was down there maybe about two years ago, and, uh, you know, the wreckage of it is just sticking out of the Hudson. But uh, why, that... why do you think they continue to have the wreck there? I don't know. I guess it's something to go down there and take a look at. You know, it's like stuck in the mud. But that boat broke back. Edgewater brought people going back down there along the river. I mean, there was nothing down there. There was like boarded up buildings and a bunch of old factories and stuff. Nobody went down there until that boat docked over there. It had weddings on it. I used to deliver wedding cakes to it. I used to set up wedding cakes in the place. Wow. And what caused it to go uh, underwater? Well, it went underwater twice. Um, I remember the The first time they were having some sort of fireworks display on the Hudson or over by New York or something, and uh, the place was packed with people. And when the fireworks went off, the thing was moored there. It was actually floating. All the people (laughs) ran to the one side, the New York side, to see the fireworks, and the boat started to tip towards the New York side. 
Now, on the New Jersey side, which by the bank, they cut a square in the bottom of the Hulk where they used to have a conveyor belt where they used to take out garbage and they used to get deliveries down to the kitchen, which is in the basement, uh, the bottom of the boat, the hull. The guy, they started yelling, hey, the boat's tipping, it's going. Everybody go back to the other side. Everybody ran back to the New Jersey side, and the water filled into the square, and the thing sunk. Uh, now, I don't know what holiday it was or something like that, but everybody had to get off. And I know the next day I came there with wedding cakes, and uh, it was underwater. I just had to leave the wedding cakes on the gangplank going to the uh, the bridge into the boat and stuff. But they pumped it out. They Jack, pumped the, Jack, they pumped the, we need we need a song to memorialize that boat. Yeah, this is a good one. You know, just like the wreck oh, of the Edmund Fitzgerald, right? Gordon Lightfoot. They, we need a song to memorialize the Bingington. Right there off of Edgewater, it sunk in the Hudson River. Yeah, twice. The second time it went on fire, and then it's then it sank, and they just left it there. The hell are they leaving it there for? I don't know. You know, it's it's pretty cool. You go down there and look at it. You can see like the top of the bridge where the uh, you know we control the ship. You know, he's a, you know that's still sticking out of the water, or whatever. But uh, I don't know. I think it's stuck in the mud. You know, there's nothing really too much left of it. They can't pull it out of the mud. And you but, know, uh, when the Japanese invaded Edgewater and, and uh, opened up all those sushi and sashimi restaurants, they would ask me, what the hell is that boat out there in the water for? It was, it was a hot nightclub. You know, it was a good place to have a wedding. You know, you know, but, uh, you know what they used to do off of... Uh, the Jersey uh, coast there on the Hudson River. They used to have a barge out there when bare-knuckle fights were illegal and they could fight on the barge. No, that might be before my time. No, but what you do were... you mean before your time, Jack? I'm talking about what? Talking 18... about the 20s or 30s? 1896 or around then. I'm sure you were uh, around then. Oh, yeah, yeah, just a kid. Yeah, I was working in a bowling alley back then. Oh, wait, wait. was that the Phil Rizzuto, Yogi Berra bowling alley in Clifton? Yeah, yeah, that's the one. <laughs> hey, you were talking about some sort of club that was over in the Fort Lee. Was it the Palladium? Was that what you were talking about, Ooh, where some people used to go and, you know, have singers and stuff? The Palladium, was that it? Because that was on the side of the old Palisades Park. I think, so, yeah, yeah, I think so. I think Sinatra uh, performed there. I think some comedians performed there. I, I believe that is correct, although sometimes, naturally, I mix it up with the Palladium that was on 14th Street, which... Uh, Palisadium. Palms are Palisadium. Palisadium. Okay, the Palisadium, yeah. Yeah, I, I gave... I set up wedding cakes there, too. <laughs> wow, man, you were the wedding cakes, man. What was the preferred wedding cake? Uh, there was a, a ten-tier wedding cake that uh, had like three sections: one in the middle, two on the sides, with these plastic staircases going down on the sides with bridesmaids and and you know bridesmaids and whatever <laughs> the bridesmaids and groom were on the top. Yeah, and put all these people all around it. And uh, the the special cake was it had. Two birds, lovebirds, in the inside. So whenever the bride and groom decided they would pull these strings and these birds 
would come out of the cake and fly around and disturb everybody at the uh, wedding trying to catch it, you know, and then, I don't know, I guess the trainer would come by and call him and they would fly back to him. That was... That was now, the top of the line. What, what was the preferred Betty Crocker mix? Was it uh, a devil's food cake? Uh, what was it, angel food cake? Uh, I, I didn't make the cakes. I just set them up. It was some sort of white vanilla stuff in the inside. You can get whatever you wanted with different, uh, you know, little flavorings in between, strawberries, blueberries, I don't know, stuff like that. Yeah, Maybe, ho- uh, hold on, man. The birds came out of the cake? Yeah, there was like a cage. There was a cake. In, in the, the cake? Uh, the two birds that were called lovebirds, they were inside the middle of the wedding cake. And I had to set it up and put them in there, you know. What and is, then well, sometimes. How did you eat were, it? What part did you eat? You didn't eat the birds. That was the cage that just had icing all around it. The it, cage it, had icing on it. Yeah, it looked like part of, it looked just like the wedding cake. Up that was put up on the sides of it, but it had like two ribbons on it. You didn't know there were birds in there until you pulled these two strings. <laughs> and then, and then birds the birds fly out from the cake, and that's it. That's the end of the story, right? Because nobody's eating the cake where that bird flew out of. Well, you're not eating the cage part. <laughs> the regular cake is on the outside. The two birds are in the center of it. They're not crapping on the cake and stuff they come out and they they would fly around i don't know i didn't make it up i just had to set the goddamn thing up and then somebody <laughs> had to come and catch the goddamn bird so i didn't want to do it yo whose party whose wedding was this what well, this well, whose party it was a couple parties it was like i, I, I want a cake in early 80s i want I guess, a cake you know, with a bird flying out of it <laughs> Well, you didn't have to have it. You know, you could have got like a five-tier cake. You didn't have to get the 10-tier cake. And, you know, we had uh, brides and grooms ornaments. We had black ones and then white ones and stuff. And well, Why would you say black ones and white ones? Because it sounds like you're a black guy. That's why. I was just saying that, you know, sometimes they would complain and say, hey, how come there's no black bride and grooms, you know? If it's yeah, a cake, them, though. I got it... in the trucks. I mixed it up. I'm sorry. It's a cake. All, all, all I care know. about is, is sweet. I don't. Why, why would I care about the color of the sweetness? What are you talking about the sweetness of the cake? I'm talking about the plastic bride and groom that you would Oh, on top? top. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, the tender cake had all these plastic pieces that would connect it all up. Another one had a fountain in it, a water fountain. In the cake? In the cake that would be in the middle, and you would have to plug it in. It was electric. (laughs) And it would would squirt out all this water inside of it, you know, and I had to put dye in it. They want red dye, blue dye, you know, green dye. Whatever happened to water? What happened to the milk, the eggs, and sugar, and and, and vanilla? These are some complicated cakes, right? Yeah, these were expensive wedding cakes, you know. They weren't, you know... You're running the mill wedding cake. Now, you know? was it something from it, Sarah Lee or something like that? When you, know, you when you brought the cakes in, did you ever drop one of these cakes? No, I I never dropped them. But the truck I used to drive, I used to have like thirty, forty cakes in the darn things, and there always would be somebody who would jam on their brakes. Or they would be going for the traffic light that was yellow and stop, and I would have to stop my brakes, and then all of a sudden you would hear boom, 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 you know, and you didn't want to go to the back of the truck and open it up because, you know, five wedding cakes all of a sudden became one. And then I had to go and take them apart, you know, and try to put them back together because, you know, <laughs> I'd be all the way up in Nanuet, Spring Valley with a messed up cake, 
and the people are waiting for the damn thing. Well, did, so you go back to, to, did you go to the back of your truck with like a with like a little butter knife and try to like smooth out the edge? Yeah, I would have extra tape. <laughs> and the the dented perfect, part, perfect. The dented parts I would fill up with like cannolis and jelly donuts <laughs> and stuff, and then I would just smooth the cream over like you would do sheetrock and stuff. And I was able to do those squiggly lines and stuff. And they never knew. They, they, they never knew, man. knew. Okay, they, they knew. short a couple of donuts or whatever, or coals or squiggly dells or whatever they were. But I used to patch them all up, just like a good auto body guy, man, and then set it all up. Was there a backup cake in case that, in case you messed up? No, no. It was just me. I would have to make my own own cake out of. Uh, so, what, so, so if you slammed on the brake and the cake was was non repairable, what did you just stop by and get some Intamins? And... <laughs> no, I just told you how I did. But if it if it if it was really messed up, I would have to go back to the shop, and they would whip another one up. But what? then I would add extra hours. To go back and the, fix the, the case you the, the case you describing, they would just whip another one up with, with birds and stuff flying out of it. Yeah, it was just like Henry Ford's uh, Dearborn factory and stuff like that. It seems like that would take up. days to make. No, no, no. They had extra parts and stuff like that. You know, man, that's, in the freezer. That's crazy, man. Now, now, how many years did you do that, Jack? Oh man, I did it on and off for about maybe like ten years and stuff. You know. I met you a couple of times, too. I used to go to the Morton Downey show and used to be there. Oh, yeah, Morton Downey Jr. Yeah, you were always down in, like, the second row or the third row with a bunch of guys and stuff. And that I was, was always in the back. That was so, That was the best show. It was a national <laughs> show because it was a super station, Channel 9 Secaucus, five nights a week. Yeah, yeah, when it was live. And you would go down to the, the, the loudmouth or something, that yep. podium to go yep. and talk and stuff. And you never knew if Morton Downey was going to turn on you or not? Exactly. And he turned on me a few times. But there was the classic battle in which he was in the middle on the stage. I was in front of one of the big mouths. And the guy was in front of the other big mouths was running for the presidency as an independent candidate. Excuse me, Ron Paul. Uh And we debated on the Morton Downey Jr. show. That was incredible. Yeah. yeah oh, I was, man. Was... Were you at the show? I don't know. Maybe you were there. It was, they had some, like, gay advisor. His name was Hume or something like that. And they were getting into an argument with Morton Downey, both of them. And Morton Downey spit on the guy. And then the bomb threat came in over the telephone. Were you at that show? No. And we all had to get ushered out into the parking lot. That was like the end of the show. <laughs> that was such a great show. And you know, also at that time, as the Superstation Channel 9 in Secaucus, they had the Howard Stern show that was yeah. a national show. They had uh, uh, Richard Bay uh, and uh, Nine Broadcast Plaza in the morning. That was a national show. And they had Jackie Mason once a week. That was a national show. Yeah, I don't remember the Jackie Mason, but I remember I used to go to the people are talking with that Richard Bay because they would have like a caterer's table or something like that. And they wanted an audience. So I wasn't doing anything. So I figured I'd go there. And then they said, oh, you come here so much in the audience, you want to come to our new show, The Morton Downey Show. <laughs> so they gave me this piece of paper that had like a whole year's worth of dates on it. 
And I said, yeah, sure. And they go, well, how many, how many tickets you want? I go, give me four for each one of these things. I got a whole stack of Morton Downey tickets over here in the cabinet for, uh, you know, tons and tons of shows that he never went through because you have to have a ticket to get in there. You have to show the ticket. And since, you know, I was going all the time, you know, they sort of didn't take my ticket. So I got a whole stack of them, but, uh, that was a great show. It was oh, it so was. Close over there. It people. was. It was like, and again, people watched it from all over the nation. They couldn't wait every night, Monday through Friday, for Morton Downey Jr. to be on. Uh, and he had the most eclectic guests, the most, and bizarre combinations. Yeah. Yeah. Roy Innes, Sharpton. Yep. Dershowitz. And remember, it was Roy Innes who yoked Sharpton. On the stage of the Apollo Theater, when they, he did a special show there, Morton Downey Jr., and uh, Roy Innes just yoked him right on the stage. What do you mean? What's yoke? Fight? <laughs> what, what, not much of a fight. It's Roy Innes, a big guy. He put his 24-inch pythons around Al Sharpton's neck <laughs> and strangled him right on the stage. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, no, that was great theater. I'm telling you, that was great theater, and... Unfortunately, although uh, Al Slim Shady Sharpton is still at it, Roy Innes has passed into the hereafter. I was visiting my mother, Francesca. She was in the rehab center at Hebrew Home for the Aged in Riverdale. She was there for about uh, two months. And when I was uh, wandering around, because I was checking all the floors, all the tears, I saw a guy who looked emaciated in a bed. It looked like Roy Innes. I said, no, he's, he's, he's this shadow of himself. Walked over there, had a conversation. He couldn't talk. Uh, nurse came over, said, yeah, he's got dementia. He's got Alzheimer's. And a guy was, I mean, when he was uh, at his best physically, he's about 5'10", 220 pounds, and he was a solid brick. He must have been down to about 80, 80 pounds soaking wet. It was... Uh, Boy, my last conversation with him, he just, he, he didn't recognize me at all. He didn't even understand what I was saying. He was just uh, too far gone at that point. Boy, I'll never forget him being on the stage at the Apollo Theater with uh, Morton Downey Jr., Al Slim, Shady Sharpton. It was one-on-one, and Sharpton said something to Roy Innes that didn't go the right way. And Innes just put his 24-inch pythons around his neck and strangled the living daylights out of him. Check this out. No one knows New York better. The founder of the Guardian Angels, Curtis Lewa. And you can't compete against that. On 77 WABC. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC and Curtis Lewa.
All that glitters is gold And she's buying the stairway When she gets there she knows If the stores are all closed With a word she can get Satan. Yep. No doubt about it. Led Zeppelin, when you back scratched it, just like Bill Lee did, Broadway Bill Lee, he was talking to Satan, wasn't he? No doubt about that. You realize how many white boys would be running home after school to back scratch, stairway to heaven, Led Zeppelin. You never catch black brothers doing that. Hell no. Now you'd be playing that record backwards for. Can I hear that one more time? Satan, I heard that. You hear that, Avery? Church-going man that you are? When we back scratch this song, Stairway to Heaven, Led Zeppelin. It's an ode to Satan. Satan! asking for him he might he, he gonna show up one day i'm telling you keep on telling you man that was a call of satan all right here it comes When we come back at the top of the hour, we'll play the antidote to Satan. And we'll play Spirit in the Sky by the Jewish guy, Norman Greenbaum. This way we're covered both ways in case it is JC. But in case it's Hashem, we got it covered, right? This 
got to be maybe the greatest song ever, ever created. So good, so good. I heard it. I heard it again, Avery. Check this out. On the weekend, Ufa. take a journey with the people's mayor. Curtis Lewa is a politician who says don't trust politicians. It's another side of midnight with Curtis Lewa. The iconic, the legendary Curtis Lewa. This city doesn't sleep. And neither does Curtis Lewa on Another Side of Midnight. Oh, yeah. Now, to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC, here's Curtis Lewa. Stairway to Heaven that we back scratched right before the top of the hour from Led Zeppelin. Ah, it's a Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. It's a Jewish guy that created this, Norman Greenbaum. You think he's a Jew for Jesus? I don't think so. Anyway, our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to uh, Harold, who's calling from New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here, Harold. How you doing, Curtis? Uh, the Van Wick Express by Robert Van Wick. He was the mayor of, of New York City before, I guess, before the boroughs were even created. So the Van Wick Expressway was named in honor of a man with four names. Robert Anderson Van Wick, never trust anybody with three names and especially four. Yeah. And he perpetually had his hand out looking for a payoff, getting wine dined and pocket lined as the mayor. And uh, I got to tell you, this guy was about as crooked as they came when he died he was so crooked, they had to find a, a black and deck of power drill to drill him into the, the ground in the cemetery. Uh, well, am I right? No, you're absolutely right. In fact, when he was elected, Van Wick, uh, mayor of New York City, 
Uh, he even celebrated drunken gamblers and petty criminals as they marched through the uh, the district in Lower Manhattan, chanting, "Well, well, well, reform has gone to hell." Oh God! <laughs> I mean, this guy was the crook of all crooks, and yet they named the expressway after him. Well, there you go. That's incredible, but hey. Uh, you won yourself a courtesy with Booby Prize, so you want to stay on the line, please, Harold? Let's put Harold from New Jersey uh, in line for uh, for uh, you, uh, Avery, to get his information. He has won a courtesy with Booby Prize. Don't ask, don't tell. We throw nickels around like manhole covers. Uh, due to the generosity of uh, John and Margot Casamitidis, our owner and operators of our parent company, Red Apple Media, you... Uh, you, Harold, will be styling and profiling a WABC baseball cap with a patch on it, the better side of the other side of Midnight, the Curtis Sliwa Show. Oh, yeah. But I asked a whole bunch of other questions, a whole bunch of other questions. Let's go to Ed, who's calling from Connecticut. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Ed. Morning, Curtis. I'm originally from Boston. Uh I first became aware of you in 19, I believe, 78 or 79. You were on the Johnny Tyson show, and uh, you had just started the uh, Guardian Angels. But I wanted to ask you a question about radio. Uh, Did you ever hear of Larry Glick or Jerry Williams? Yes, Jerry Williams, I did, yes. Well, Larry Glick was on overnight on WBZ. Yeah, he was a funny dude. He, you know, people would call up and talk to him. Jerry Williams was controversial, but, uh, you know, I went to high school in the early 60s, 60 to 64. And uh, at that time... The Boston police, now I could be wrong on the dates. I I moved to Connecticut after I came back home from the service, and uh, I was working for the government, so I've never gone back to Boston except to visit. But the Boston police had what was called TPF. You ever run across them? And uh, what did that stand for? Tactical Patrol Force. Oh, yeah. We had it in New York City, NYPD. In fact, uh, whenever there would be riots, disruptions, uh, they would be summoned to the parking lot of Shea Stadium in the buses, the Tactical Patrol Force, and the sergeant would say, guys, get the hats and bats. So they'd be wearing their their, uh, helmets, and they'd have these huge sticks, which would be their bats. Yeah, well, my brother uh, was a part-time uh, bartender, you know, trying to make a few extra bucks when he had young kids and in Dorchester, where we were originally from. And uh, the TPF came in when they raided the place. And they started off the raid. They had a horse, a two patrolmen on horses that tried to get through the door into the park. So it was... Uh, It was always something crazy. Hey, I got one more question for you. What is the furthest point of the state of New York to the east? Wow. Furthest point of the state of New York to the east. 
I would say that there would have to be uh, Montauk. Uh, actually, it's not. Uh, right off the Thames River, which separates Groton and New London, Connecticut, there's an island called Fisher's Island. You ever heard of it? No. Well, Fisher's Island sits two miles right off the Trumbull Airport. And I was sent by the government as an air traffic controller here in 1973. They opened the tower there. Fisher's Island is the furthest point east, and it has a state, a New York State trooper as the resident law on the island. But what makes the island unique is it's public on the western half of the island. But once you get out of the public boat landing area and want to go to the east, it's all mansions. Uh, Paley, remember Paley, the head of CBS? Sure. He had a he had a uh, he had a uh, uh, a mansion there, and I don't know if you remember, but there was a big horse race at Aqueduct, probably in '74 or '75. And William Paley owned a Philly that was undefeated, and it was going to run against the uh, uh, the best horses. And in the race, it broke its leg, and the race was stopped. Do you remember that? No, but they, they probably had to put the horse down, right? That's correct. And the pilots of his private airplane that would fly him direct onto Fisher's Island and have a landing strip. But they couldn't buy aviation gas or anything. So they would fly over to Trumbull Airport in Groton mm. and show up to a jet. And while they do that, they would come up to the control tower and talk to us controllers. So we asked them, uh, you know, they landed like an hour after the horse was put down and we said, How's Mr. Paley taking it? And they said, not very good, you know. But anyways, mm. I can talk. You know, oh, no, 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 great. Great, Groton, uh, Groton, boy, that's uh, Jimmy Carter, the submarine. The guy who was talking about submarines before, going up to the North Pole. It's a submarine day here at WABC. Let's go to Phyllis in Queens. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Phyllis. Hello, Curtis. So nice to speak with you. First, I want to thank you and Nancy for your wonderful program over the holidays. It really kept me company. I'm a senior, disabled senior alone. My family, most of them are gone. So I was so glad to have your company. Thank you so much. And next, I want to say I hope that Nancy's eyes are getting better. Yes, yes, she is no longer in the Helen Keller state. Oh, I'm Her so glad. sight is returning, although she's got a really... Stick to the regimen because uh, she did a lot of damage with the uh, contact lenses that she wore for many years that caused her a lot of irritation and a lot of scarring of her cornea. Oh, I hope she'll heal fast. And then I also want to thank the station for remembering the Holocaust Memorial today. That was very, very wonderful of them. I'm a daughter of a Holocaust survivor family, so it meant a lot to me to hear that. Yes. Um, my uncle had served in the Jewish Brigade of the British Army when it was still Palestine, but unfortunately his tanker ship was bombed by a German bomber, mm. so all the soldiers passed away. But I remember him, even though I never met him, I still feel like I knew him. Anyway, I had known about Robert A. Van Wyck, but someone else beat me to the punch. 
So um, I have a question to ask you. Sure. You had once mentioned that you have a very cluttered apartment or you're, or you're, um, you're a clutterer. And I wondered if you can give me any assistance because my apartment is totally cluttered. Can you send me some angels to help me? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, give us an idea of how many years of clutter you think that you have accumulated. Oh, I've lived here 52 years. <laughs> wow, so is it like the Collier sisters? Uh, well, almost as bad. Not quite as bad as that, but it's quite crowded. There's one room that's really filled with boxes of music and instruments and things like that and needs to be organized and make space um, because uh, you can't really live like that. It's not as bad as the Colliers, but it's, wow. it's pretty much clo- it's close. Wow. So it's it's over 50 years of accumulation? Yes, because I brought we everything from the family came to us. All the my uncle's music, my mother's poetry, uh, instruments, correspondence, tapes of concerts. Everything came to us from all the different family members. I'm like the last member, kind of. I'm the guardian of our heritage, so to speak. And also, my girlfriend had passed away a little while, maybe a few years ago, and I took her stuff in too. So I'm like very, very crowded, and I want to get, I have to get a lot of it out of here. Now, have you attempted any measures before to uh, sort of uh, remove some of the clutter? I have. I have took a lot of things away to storage. I gave away a lot of things to donations. I had some people come in here to help me, but I used up all my money. Um, I got a grant to have some people come in to help me, but we only had one day. And um, now I'm facing, I'm going to get inspected soon, so I really would like to get this done as soon as possible. Oh, I'm, no. kind, of, I'm kind of panicking. <laughs> no, no, understood, Phyllis. I'll tell you what, stay on the line, uh, Avery. I don't know what uh, we might be able to do, but Avery, if you could uh, get the information of Phyllis and I'll see what it is we might be able to do for Phyllis. Oh, that's wonderful. Thank you so much. And and by the way, to answer your other questions, I think that the Deegan Expressway was after a major, major Deegan, but I don't know what he was a major in. And the Bronx, my teacher once said that it was a family of a lot of people, and when went, people went to visit them, they said, we're going to the Bronx, meaning many people. It should have been like the Bronxes. That's all I know about the Bronx, though. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, you're correct on uh, Deegan. It was Major William Francis Deegan, and remember what I've said, never trust anybody with three names. Ah. But he had supervised the construction of army bases in New York, and he oh. helped form the American Legion here, so... Uh, uh, that's oh. why we have the Deegan Expressway. Oh, cool. Okay. Wow. So uh, stay on the line. Uh, if you can, Avery, uh, please get uh, Phyllis's information. We'll see if we can help her. No guarantee on that, but uh, we'll do the best we can. Anyway, uh, let's go to uh, <clears throat> Dan, who is calling from Vermont. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Dan. Hey, good morning, Curtis. Greetings from the snow-covered mountains, the green mountains of Vermont. Ah, so there's still snow there because we haven't had a flake of snow here, and you know why? Why is that? Because our mayor, Eric Adams, swagger man, loves to kick crackers' asses, as he says, and snow is white and refuses to fall in New York City. Oh, okay. My my theory would have been he's blowing so much hot air, you know, the the snow just evaporates before it hits <laughs> the ground. Yeah, that's... <laughs> That too. That too. Now, are you originally yeah, but, are you originally from Vermont or from New York, like everybody else who moved up there? No, I'm originally from the Bronx. Been up here about fifteen, sixteen years. 
but uh, my father and you know, I have several generations going back into the uh, 1860s, 1870s that had lived in New York City. What did you so, like? Uh, uh, what did you like about Vermont? What attracted you to Vermont? Well, that's a very, very long story, but um, uh, for some of the same reasons uh, before uh, that you've quoted with people, you know, moving out of the area uh, at the time uh, back in, let's see, it was 2007. I was living in central Jersey. And I was actually working in Jersey City uh, for 12 years at uh, St. Joseph's School for the Blind. I'm sure being the sports fanatic that you are, you probably recall the name of Ed Lucas. He was a um, sports journalist who also happened to be blind. Yes. And he worked for the Jersey Journal, and he was a co-worker of mine, a good friend of mine. And um, at the time, you know, there were a lot of pressures living in the metro area, and I had lots of reasons, including family concerns, and uh, an opportunity came up to take a risk and try something new. And I felt the time I was living in Mercer County, um, down in uh, central Vermont there, a little town called Heightstown, east of Princeton. And uh, when I made the move, I said, well, you can't get much more polar opposite from living in central Jersey than central Vermont. So I said, we'll take a risk and we'll go there. Now, when you came up to Vermont, did you find many other people from New York and New Jersey living there? Uh, there's a fair shake of them, yeah. I find a few here and there, more so now since the pandemic, certainly. The housing values, like in many other parts of uh, rural parts of the country, uh, you know, escalated, went through the roof uh, after the pandemic got its start. And we had a lot of people, you know, um, coming up here from Boston and New York. Well, it's a gun culture up there. A lot of folks have guns. Uh, did you uh, pick up the practice of uh, owning a gun once you moved out there? No, I haven't. I haven't yet. So I happen to be visually impaired myself, so um, so I probably wouldn't want to be taking too many pot shots. <laughs> <laughs> but, but the main reason why I was calling was that, you know, my heart's still in New York. I still really identify as a New Yorker, so I was calling just to comment on some more of those um, street and place names you brought up earlier in the uh, the evening here. Sure. And a couple of people, you know, have already uh, chimed in with you there. And certainly the, the Van Wick Expressway, and I, I just, was just chuckling you talking about uh, Mayor Van Wick, because, of course, now he was the mayor who presided over the consolidation of what became Greater New York or the five boroughs in 1898. And, you know, there was a lot of political and, you know, uh, industrial collusion there to want to rival London as, you know, the London of the Western Hemisphere. So there was there was plenty of graft and, you know, uh, chicanery going on there to make that happen, especially to coerce and convince a lot of small villages in Queens and the East Bronx and and even parts of, uh, the you know, Canarsie even to be, uh, you know, joining in with greater New York and to form the city that we know today. Well, if you imagine Van Wick had an annual salary as mayor of $15,000 and yet had a fortune of $5 million. <laughs> imagine back then $5 million. And what he was doing was he was getting wine dined and pocket lined by everyone. In fact, he gave a deal to the American ice company. Uh, in which it was a complete monopoly over all the ice that you could get in New York. And in gratitude, the company gave Mayor Van Wick 5,000 shares of stock. That's roughly $12 million adjusted to today's prices. 
That's, wow. That's incredible. This guy was constantly snoring stuff. <laughs> to think we and to think we invented it, right? Now it's, it's been going on time memorial. What a but crook! Hit, what a crook! Yeah, but just yeah, but to hit down your list because I had a laundry list for you. So I know um, your previous caller was talking about the major Deegan, and it brings up memories about the fact, that, of course, now the the Deegan originally was just an access road when they built the Triborough Bridge to the Grand Concourse. Mm. And then they extended it in the 50s, of course, right, to join up with the new New York State Thruway. And my father and my uncles grew up in Highbridge, so they very much recall scrambling down the hillside, you know, to take their bicycles and to ride on the highway while it was still under construction and not open to the public. And that McCombs Dam Bridge, that's actually the third oldest um, operational bridge in New York City behind the Brooklyn Bridge. And, of course, the High Bridge, and that went up in 1892, 1895, I think, and uh, it was actually originally a, a, a traditional dam back around 1814 in the early 19th century. Wow, you're nailing them one after another. I got a couple more for you. So sure. Lenox Avenue, sure. that was sure. named after a philanthropist hmm. uh, named uh, James Lenox in 1887. Of course, that was originally the northern end of 6th Avenue. Right. Now, and the the interesting thing, though, about uh, Lennox, since when you think of Lennox, you think Harlem, USA, mm-hmm. is that when uh, one of his enslaved uh, people escaped, Lennox promptly placed an ad offering a reward for the return of his property. So you can imagine Lennox is like historically attached to Black Harlem. You know, people say, where where you live? Lenox Avenue, Lenox Avenue. And yet this was a guy virulent. If you if you had escaped his plantation, if you had escaped his mercantile business, he would track you down to the ends of the world and bring you back. <laughs> the hypocrisy abounds, doesn't it? Well, it's interesting because all these things are not well-known facts, and you would think there'd be a demonstration uh, de jour, especially where some of these places are, and yet nobody says anything about them because really nobody ever learned anything about it. You see, if our schools had actually taught you about why places are named after different people or different situations, people would understand. But I think you could go up to almost any New Yorker and say, Hey, uh, what's the Van Wick Expressway named after, or the Deegan Expressway, or the McCombs Dam Bridge, or in this case, the um, uh, Lennox, you know, Lennox Avenue, and they would have absolutely Jack Diddley squat no idea whatsoever. That's true enough. There was a, a, a pretty well-known up in the Bronx a historian by the name of John McNamara. He used to live out in the Neck, but uh, he, he actually published a book called History and Asphalt, originally about the origin of Bronx place names, place and street names, and used to have like a like an article, a weekly article in the old Bronx Press Review newspaper. Oh, yeah, the Bronx Press Review. I remember getting that when I first started the Guardian Angels. I was a night manager of Mickey D's on East Fordham Road in Webster. That was February 13th of 1979, and I used to get the Bronx Press Review every week. They used to have their offices right there in the Parkchester Circle. Yeah, that's right, because I used to get a mail subscription to that even after, you know, my family and I had moved out of the uh, city in the area. I used to subscribe to it for years. No, it was great. It was great. And uh, 
Um, the one thing in, in reference to uh, Vermont is did you ever get a chance to come across Bernie the Altacaca Sanders, who at one time was your congressman and now your U.S. senator? I get that question a lot, and the answer is no, and I've not been invited to his DACA up on the uh, up on the Lake uh, Champlain. So uh, <laughs> I, I never I'm a little forget. self-conscious when I go down south, you know, when we got the Vermont plates on the car, wondering what people might think, you know, oh, it's one of them. <laughs> That's right, but also, you know, there are a lot of people down here who have Vermont plates who don't live in Vermont. They got the plates. Because insurance, uh, insurance is more affordable, and obviously they've got a Vermont plate, and that means even if they get ticketed, they're not going to get clipped. So I've seen quite a few Vermont plates around, and I know just by looking at the uh, people coming and going, they're not from Vermont, I can assure you that. Yeah, although there's a fair number of the uh, Vermonters, especially up from Burlington, that kind of crisscross back and forth between you know, the hipsters and the millennials out there in Williamsburg. So there's definitely some, you know, flow back and forth. Now, I know I, the I, uh, I know that the um, the mayor of Burlington at one time was Bernie the Altacaca Sanders. But is that the international headquarters of the Burlington Coat Factory? No, I do not believe so. <laughs> I mean, when I no think connection. Bur- right, when I think Burlington, I think the Burlington Coat Factory. <laughs> no connection. No connection as far as I'm aware of, that's for sure. Wow. But, but it is interesting that Vermont pops up in these interesting little footnotes in history because uh, you'll recall back in the day when the old Irish Mile back in the 80s, the 70s and the 80s and early 90s up on Bainbridge Avenue and 24th Street, which was my grandmother's old neighborhood where I used to spend a lot of time as a kid, that um, back when you had a huge influx of um, – uh, people from Ireland and Northern Ireland, uh, particularly those on tourist visas who would overstay their visas because they were working in an underground economy because of how dire the economy and circumstances were, particularly in the north of Ireland, that um, there was somewhere upwards of almost 20,000 of these um, you know, illegal Irish at the time that were here living in the States that were able to secure uh, new birth certificates from the state of Vermont. So counterfeit birth certificates stating that they were <laughs> Vermonters <laughs> and able, therefore, to, you know, stay in the United States. And that was Bainbridge, a new right? Life. That was Bainbridge at the time? Yeah, Bainbridge. Well, yep. now, now, it's, uh, now it's Woodlawn. Now you go up to Woodlawn. Next stop is Yonkers. All Irish. It's like Little Dublin. Wow, we went back on memory lane there. Wow, from uh, the Bronx to Vermont, back to the Bronx. That's great stuff. Let's go to Leo in Manhattan. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Leo. Yes, good morning, Curtis. Yes, Leo. Curtis, uh, both islands, I, uh, Rikers and Rendell Island, I believe, was named after their owners. There was uh, somewhere in 1600s, uh, British bought them. Yeah, yeah, no, no, you're absolutely correct about that. Boy, you you nailed that one, that's for sure. So I got for you a joke about uh, uh, Sid Rosenberg. A joke about Sid Rosenberg? Yes. Go for it. Can I go? Sid Rosenberg sitting in the bar with, uh, with Lester Chang, right? <laughs> 
Yes. They're drinking. They don't have too much in common to talk about things. He's clipping uh, uh, bonsais and, and uh, Rosenberg is watching sport on the on the screen. And all of a sudden, Sid Rosenberg jumped off the bar chair and slapped Cheng all over his face. He fell off the bar chair. He jumps up and says, I thought we were having a friendly conversation. What was that for? And Sid says, that, my friend, was for Pearl Harbor. And Cheng says, I'm a Chinese. That was Japanese. I have nothing to do with Pearl Harbor. And Rosenberg is telling me, listen, Korean, Vietnamese, Chinese, Japanese, same size. So they sit and they don't talk anymore. They're just sitting. All of a sudden, Chang punched with a fist, sit right on his nose until sisters goes off the barge. He says, what is that for? He says, my Jew, that for Titanic. Oh, Oh, that was painful. Very painful. 1-800-848-9222. It's another side of midnight. Now, to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC, here's Curtis Lewa.
Let's go to the phones. Great song by Neil Young, rocking in the free world. To Brandon in New Jersey, your turn to be heard here at WABC, Brandon. Oh! <laughs> Brandon just did the dip on us. Let's go to Ron, who's calling from Michigan. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Ron. Good morning, Curtis. Curtis, first of all, i got to tell you about a book I think you're going to like to read called Gangland. It's, it's run by uh, Chuck Hogan because it uh, it talks about real events that happened in Chicago. starts out with the Giancana murder and uh, the Tony Accardo uh, breaking of his mansion. So uh, maybe put that on your list. It's a pretty good book. Most definitely. But, I, but anyway, I wanted to talk about Vietnam, but, you know, <clears throat> Vietnam, Nixon, Nixon, when he got to sign this deal with Vietnam, that was the same deal that Johnson had four years er, <coughs> earlier, <coughs> which cost the Americans 28,000 more dead Americans because of Nixon's treason. Because he, he butted in when Johnson was negotiating with the Vietnamese to end the war. But, you know, Holocaust Remembrance Day, you know, I got to touch on that. Because, you know, after World War II, we, where we're at right now with Ukraine is, is due to what we did after World War II. We took in General Gellin, Nazi Gestapo <clears throat> general who over, oversaw the Eastern Front, Russia and the, and the Eastern countries. After the, he was a war criminal of the worst kind, okay? Put rounded up Jews, killed the POWs, commissars, war crime <clears throat> criminal of the. But before when the war ended, he went to OSS and he said, "I'm going to give you all my information, all my agents, but you have to take everybody in, lock, stock, and barrel, and no war crimes trial." And they became the the uh, RCIA. Okay, General Gellin, Nazi General Gellin became the highest-ranking West German general, highest-ranking NATO general, an unrepentant Nazi general, went to work for us and, and laid out our Cold War policies, our Vietnam policies, our, our policies that, that led to uh, Iran, uh, led to uh, all uh, everything. But, <laughs> you know... And today, we're at the border with Russia and Ukraine and war, atomic war. And that was the ultimate goal of the Nazis, to take, take the Eastern, take everything and Russia as the, as the crown jewel. You know, I, I, I'm not saying, I'm saying Putin is wrong. But... He'll be talking for days and not even realize that we're no longer connected to him in Michigan. Boy, he's on quite the, the rant. He's on quite the ramble. Let's try Brandon again from New Jersey. This is uh second time. Hopefully he doesn't go down swinging. Brandon. <laughs> Thanks, Curtis. Sorry, I hit the uh, the wrong button when I went to put you off speaker. But uh, pleasure talking to you, first-time caller. I uh, normally call on the Frank show, but um, obviously he can't hold a candle to you. So I appreciate the uh, the opportunity. You got it. All right. I wanted to um, just say I've been listening all night, even when uh, Dominic was on, and I haven't heard anybody 
uh, throw out the theory that maybe with uh, Tyree Nichols that it was mistaken identity. Maybe the the cops were involved in some nefarious things and and uh, were supposed to you know rough somebody up or take somebody out and got the wrong guy. That's always a possibility. I mean, nobody's uh, speaking uh, from the five cops who were arrested and charged with second degree murder. They've all bonded themselves out. Uh, But I'm sure one of them is probably going to flip the script uh, against the rest and uh, try to uh, negotiate some kind of plea bargain. And we might find that out. But that's potentially plausible that they thought it was somebody who it wasn't. Yeah, yeah. It's just uh, my gut feeling on the whole situation. But uh, appreciate you taking a call. And um, sorry, I couldn't call earlier when you were on topic, but I was working out at a UPS and Parsippany, and if I can, I just wanted to say hi to Dan Neiman. He's in there now. He's probably listening to you. So uh, thank you, Curtis. So UPS and Parsippany, which is right behind now Amazon. I think like UPS uh, ships and delivers packages, 21% of all packages, Federal Express, 22%. No, no, not Federal Express, Amazon, 22%. And I think uh, Federal Express is like at 14%. And that's uh, one of their hubs, their super hubs, is Memphis, where that uh, killing took place. They've been there for a long time, Federal Express. Long time that's been their hub in Memphis. And I think there are other super hubs in Indianapolis. Let's go to Sean, who's calling from the Bronx. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Sean. Curtis, the Irish, we could not get work visas. That's why we had to come here with tourist visas in overstate them. We couldn't get the tour. We got the tourists, but not many of us. Steve from Manhattan. I don't understand why you just can't be Steve from Manhattan. I, I got the year I pick him up. I don't have a cauliflower here. If only he could be Steve from Manhattan. And then, you know, hashtag afterwards, go over your cannon, go over your cannon, go over your cannon, go over your cannon, right? But somehow he lives vicariously through all these voices that he probably practices a great deal of time doing, you know, like a thespian. He continues to practice. Like we've had here at WABC over the years, it was Brian Whitman from Staten Island. He did great voices. He, he did a perfect spot-on imitation of Michael Jackson, of Al Gore. And then it was Jay Diamond. He did a spot-on perfect imitation of Al Slim, Shady Sharpton, and Mario Facha Bruta, Cuomo, King Cuomo the first. But Steve, I don't know what it is. He's not comfortable in his own skin. He's not comfortable being Steve from Manhattan. What a shame that he spends his entire life trying to, to be somebody he's really not. When everybody can tell, that's Steve from Manhattan, right? You can tell, right, Broadway Bill Lee? Yeah, Avery can tell. Somehow he figures he's going to finagle his way through. It ain't going to happen. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. The founder of the Guardian Angels. The group dedicated to fight crime. On the streets of New York and on the air right now. Curtis Lewa on 77 WABC. In 1965, Vietnam seemed like just another foreign war. But it wasn't. It was different in many ways. And so were those who did the fighting. In World War II, the average age of the combat soldier was 26. In Vietnam, he was 19. In in, in Vietnam, he was 19. 
Heard the promos here at WABC talking about the 50th anniversary of what was the Paris Peace Accords that brought uh, peace to the Vietnam War and triggered our withdrawal. We were there for 20 years, 1955 to 1975. And uh, Americans lost about 58,000 soldiers. Remember, we had allies that were serving there with us. Filipinos, um, trying to remember once, uh, the Aussies, the Aussies were there, South Koreans were there assisting us, and then of course you had the South Vietnamese themselves took horrific casualties, I think a total of uh, two million civilians died in just uh, South Vietnam alone. About 400,000 of their military personnel and 1,340,000 wounded South Vietnamese. And a million who were eventually captured by the North Vietnamese, especially when uh, our last helicopters left the embassy in uh, Saigon and the uh, tanks came rushing through the gates. And uh, Ho Chi Minh... Became victorious over all of uh, Vietnam, joining it from Ho Chi Minh City uh, to Hanoi. Anyway, I think the North Vietnamese dead were about a million one hundred thousand wounded. About uh, likewise, about a million. Horrific, horrific casualties. Our number is one eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And I've heard all day long different discussions about the war effort in Vietnam. And, you know, we really uh, could have won but didn't win. And I said to myself, gee, what what an incredible waste. What an incredible waste from the time that initially troops were sent in there by Eisenhower right after the French uh, got kicked out by the uh, Vietnamese. And then uh, we've been talking about the uh, parade through the Canyon of Heroes. And two of the names that they want removed now on the placards that are on the ground uh, are Marshal Patan, who became a collaborator with the uh, Nazis in World War II, although he was a hero of the Battle of Verdun in World War I, and the guy went on to become the prime minister uh, for the Vichy state, the Nazi state, that was aligned with uh, Hitler against de Gaulle and uh, Free France. But there's also a, a placard, I don't know if people are aware, for Diem. Diem was the um, prime minister of South Vietnam that we were supporting. This is when JFK was president. 
I believe he had his parade through the Canyon of Heroes when Eisenhower was president. And then Kennedy and Dulles, who was his CIA director, determined that they would have to assassinate the prime minister of South Vietnam, Diem. And the reason that they would assassinate him, imagine, we're assassinating a foreign leader, our ally. Not Ho Chi Minh in uh, Hanoi, Diem in Saigon, because he was a Catholic, a virulent Catholic, who was trying to convert the many Buddhists who lived in Vietnam, South Vietnam. And they felt that that would cause an insurrection, that would cause chaos within the ranks of the South Vietnamese. So we had him assassinated. Kennedy. Yeah, not good. It was all downhill after that. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to John in Connecticut. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, John. Hey, Curtis. Yes, sir. You're the man. You are truly required listening. But most importantly, uh, the, the, the reason why you're so great and your show is so great is the humanity, the way you let the listeners, uh, the, the sense of history, uh, the pride. The, the, you, you really are uh, head and shoulders above everyone. But what I wanted to say is we need, you know the saying, uh, you give a man a fish, uh, you feed him for a day, you teach a man to fish, you feed him for a life. We really need to get these kids uh, 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 appointed towards the right direction, maybe from the age of 12 or 14, and, and teach them a skill and, and a sense of pride in their in their work effort and reward them. And and, and this will solve a lot. Of course, what happened to this kid or whatever, uh, I, I like the guys uh, uh, that perhaps it was uh, the wrong guy. You know, we'll, we'll find out what happened. But uh, but long story short is this right to protest. I want to go to see a Broadway show on Sunday. I'm hoping I'm going to ask you to have the Guardians Angels. Uh, I'm going to an evening show at Lion King. So I, I'd like to see some presents down there. This way we can get in and out of there. Uh, John, know, I'm John I, got to, I, I got to tell you, um, Hawk Newsome, um Whatever's left of Black Lives Matter, which has become, as you know, the transition, big, large mansions, could only yeah, pull out a lot of nonsense. Right, could only pull out a hundred demonstrators today. Good, let's thank God about that which, because that is a lot of nonsense. Which was a combination of the old Black Lives Matter, which has become big, large mansions, and Antifa, the white anarchists. You can only pull a hundred. Really a feeble uh, turnout. And it wasn't that good uh, anywhere else in the country other than in the uh, city itself where uh, Tyree Nichols was killed at the hands of the five Memphis police uh, police officers. I mean, turnout in these protests was dismal in D.C. and Boston and New York, Times Square, only 100, Chicago, Atlanta, Los Angeles, and I'm sure Portland. Uh, you know, it's demonstration day, sure. I'm sure Portland. Anyway, let's go to Phil in Suffolk County. Your turn to be heard at WABC, Phil. Yes, hello, Curtis. Um, changing the subject, the Democratic Congress has a very terrible number two. Her name is Catherine Clark. 
Um, I don't know what's in the water in Massachusetts. Here's the woman whose um, son she calls her daughter. He was involved in an Antifa riot. Talk about bad parenting curse. And um, I'm a little, I'm a little concerned about, like I said, what's going on in, in, in the state of Massachusetts that has high cheekbones, uh, Elizabeth uh, Warren, for senator, and now this uh, crazy witch named uh, Kathleen Clark. Um, what's your opinion? Oh, you're absolutely right. And then remember, you also um, uh, have to include one of the squad members of AOC, all-out crazy, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, leader of the Democratic Socialists of America, the Justice Warriors. Then you have Ilhan Omar, who's been kicked off committees by uh, McCarthy, says, no committees for you. Then you got Talibi uh, in Dearborn, Michigan, in Detroit. And then you've got the uh, African-American woman from Springfield, Massachusetts. I forget her name, but those are the initial members of the squad. So, yeah, you've got, you've got quite a... An eclectic group of officials in Massachusetts who, um, let's just say, represent the most extreme elements of the population. Now, I'm trying to be kind to them because we got that call from that old codger, remember, Boston, who uh, moved to Connecticut and was reminiscing. I got his, uh, got the sound right in my head. He had such a Boston accent. Let's go to Steve in the Bronx. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Steve. Hey, Curtis. Good morning. Love the show. First time caller. Uh, quick question for you. You're really knowledgeable on so much stuff in the five boroughs and history. Is that something you acquired just over the years or, you know, something you studied in school? And uh, that's pretty much it. Yeah, keep doing a good job, and uh, I love listening to you. Uh, a little bit of everything of potpourri, Steve, a little bit in school, a little bit in terms of my just general reading. I love just reading, uh, including box tops on cereal boxes, uh, conversations with my father, conversation with my grandfather on the Italian side, my mother's side of the family, uh, Fidela Bianchino. So a little bit here, a little bit there. But most importantly, I was taught at a very young age, although I've certainly uh, made up for lost time. One yawn. Cheat to cheat. Stay quiet. How the hell are you going to learn anything if you're always talking and running your mouth a mile a minute? So the idea when I was younger was you're a child, listen, and then you will learn a lot, which I did. And ultimately, you'll have your day to be squawking and talking up a storm, which I've been doing 35 years in talk radio and even before I ever discovered what a radio microphone was. Most of the time here at WABC, my place to be, where, as you know, WABC on the weekends where I score the Quinella, uh, it actually, the acronym stands for always broadcasting Curtis. Check this out. On the weekend, take a journey with the people's mayor. Curtis Lewa is the politician who says don't trust politicians. It's another side of midnight with Curtis Lewa. The iconic, the legendary Curtis Lewa. This city doesn't sleep, and neither does Curtis Lewa on another side of midnight. Oh, yeah. Now, to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa. 
of my life, 24 and there's so much more. Live alone in a paradise that makes me think of two. This could be the theme song for Frank Morano. The Mama Luke from the worst side of the other side of midnight that you can be listening to Monday through Fridays from 1 to 5. And in just 24 hours, yes, what our listeners are waiting for, Broadway Billy, Avery's dissection and bisection of Frank Morano's diatribes over the past week. I came out of the closet recently. No doubt about that. Proving that each and every day, Frank, the Mama Luke Morano. Oh, God. He's got to be the oldest young guy that has ever existed in talk radio. The oldest young guy that has ever existed in talk radio. And then, of course, nobody older than uh, Paul Pelosi, husband of the former Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi. We finally got a chance to listen to and watch the body cam footage of the San Francisco Police Department when they came to the door and actually saw Paul in the company of that loony Kazuni who ended up clocking him in the head with a hammer because he was waiting for Nancy Pelosi to come home because he had some interrogation of her to do. But before we get into that portion where... Paul Pelosi gets clocked by the guy as the cops are coming in the door. Let's play for you Paul Pelosi's 911 call, which moves in a million different directions. Oh, I guess I I guess I I told my mistake. What is it? This is San Francisco Police. Do you need help? Oh, what is the gentleman uh, here just waiting for my wife to come back? Nancy Pelosi. Uh, he's just uh, waiting for her to come back. She's not going to be here for a day, so I guess we'll have to wait. Okay, do you need police fire or medical for anything? Uh, I, I, I don't think so. I don't think so. Zero, two, twenty-three, and fifty-eight seconds. Uh, there, there's the... Uh, um, is the Capitol Police around? No, this they, is they usually Francisco. protect my wife. They're usually here. They're usually here at the house, protecting my wife. Uh, no, this is San Francisco Police. Friday, October. I, I no, I understand. Eight, two thousand twenty-two. Okay, well. Zero two twenty-four and eighteen seconds. Uh. He thinks everything's good. Uh, I've got a problem, but he thinks everything's good. Zero, uh, okay. Call us back if you change your mind. No, no, no. This, this gentleman just uh, came into the house, uh, and he wants to wait here for my wife to come home. Zero, two, and so, uh, anyway, he's on the phone. Do you know who the person is? No, I don't know who he is. He, he, he uh... Uh, he has this. He's telling me. He's, he's telling me not to. Uh, he's telling me not to do anything. What is your address, sir? Uh, twenty-six. Two twenty-five and zero. What is your name? Seconds. Uh, my name is Paul Pelosi. 
Friday. Anyway, this, this gentleman says that uh, he thinks that we ought to, you know, he didn't tell me to put the phone down and uh, just do what he said. Okay? Okay, who, what's the gentleman's name? I don't know. What's that? My name's David. Da the name is David. Okay, and who is David? I, I don't know. What's that? I'm a friend of theirs. Yeah, I, I, um, he says he's a friend, but as but I said, I've never... But you don't know who he is? No, no ma'am. Okay. He's telling me I'm being very leading, so I, I got to stop Zero, talking to you, okay? Two, okay. You sure? I can stay on the phone with you just to make sure everything's okay. No, he, well, he wants me to get that off the phone. Zero, two, twenty, okay. Six, okay. And zero, eight Thank you. Seconds. Okay, bye. Wow, that was the uh, 911 call when the um, October attack against Paul Pelosi took place by that loony Kazuni who was living down in Berkeley, remember, in a bus outside of the commune. Man, that was weird. That 911 call? I mean, think about it. That uh, operator was acting like, well, it changes, call me back. Anybody listening to that guy could realize he was in trouble, meaning Paul Pelosi. And then there was the actual um, response by the San Francisco Police Department that eventually showed up to do a wellness check. And who showed up at the door? Paul Pelosi and the loony kazuni from Berkeley. Drop the hammer. Um, nope. Hey. Hey, hey, hey. What is Sorry, going on right now? I'm not getting any Crazy guy just clocked Paul Pelosi in front of the cops. Almost killing him. And uh, remember, when we first discussed this in October into November, there was a lot of people assuming in a conspiratorial way that Paul Pelosi maybe had this guy uh, hooked up. You know, maybe they were an item. Maybe he was having sex with him. Who knows? It's certainly based on what we've been able to see and play from these tapes does not at all appear to be the case. This appears to be the case of a screwball, a crackpot, Breaking into the house, we actually see video of him breaking into the house and then basically taking uh, Paul Pelosi hostage in that very bizarre 911 call. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Robin in Manhattan. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Robin. Good morning, Curtis. You know, that's disgusting. I'm sorry. The guy is 82 years old. What do you expect of them? Uh, the loony Kazuni him, and uh, I, I I just find it disturbing. Okay, the, uh, him and his wife, uh, loony Kazuni wackadoodle invades. In I hope they give the guy 150 years without bread and water. Okay, end of discussion. Okay, mm. let me get to Vietnam. You made a statement a couple of weeks ago, very interesting statement. One day we're enemies of Vietnam, one day we're allied to Vietnam. You know there's a political axiom that says, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. And I could give you 200 historical, I won't bore you, uh, I won't put your, your feet to sleep. I could give you 200 historical examples where, that, where that's the case. Listen, Vietnam 
has hated China for a thousand years. A thousand years ago, China ruled Vietnam. Vietnam had an emperor. Vietnam had a history. Vietnam had a court. But they owed allegiance to the emperor of China. As China ruled Korea, as China ruled this, China was the dominant power in Southeast Asia for hundreds of years, and they ruled Vietnam. And then a thousand years ago, the Vietnamese decided, enough of the Chinese. We don't like their tax collectors. We don't like them taking our women, blah, blah, blah. So they fought a war of independence against China for 50 years. There were three women. They were called the Trong Sisters. Today, they're still national heroines in Vietnam. They're like our George Washington. They're like our Thomas Jefferson. They fought the Chinese. They kicked them out of Vietnam for centuries. Even during the, the, the Sino-Soviet dispute, Vietnam tried to play both Russia against China. The Vietnamese and the Chinese don't like each other. They've had border conflicts. So, of course, we're going to be allies with Vietnam, because if we're against China, Vietnam is a, Vietnam. You know, it's interesting. Some people have referred to Ho Chi Minh as the Joseph Tito of Asia, because hmm. during the Cold War, we supported Tito. Why? Because Tito was enemies of Stalin. Now, after we left Vietnam, would it surprise you to know that that erstwhile conservative senator from North Carolina, Jesse Helm, oh, everybody's favorite conservative right-wing senator, orchestrated a backroom deal with Hanoi to start a tobacco factory in, of all places, Vietnam. Would it surprise you to learn that? No. You know, it wouldn't surprise you. No, no, Jesse Helms, anything having to do with tobacco, he was there. He was very proud of that when he would go to the good old boys to get money for re-election. Hey, boys, another tobacco factory in Vietnam. <laughs> so, uh, you know, listen, uh, one day we're somebody's friend, one day we're somebody's enemy. It's, it, it's the same thing. Uh, like I say, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Uh, you know, we were enemies with both. We were friends with both Iran and Iraq. When it suited us, when Iran and Iraq fought each other, we supported whoever it was our strategic political interest to support. That's the way it goes, Curtis. And in many instances, like with Iran and Iraq, at a certain juncture, we supported both simultaneously. That's, that's interesting. By the way, I did not know. Incidentally, you mentioned Lennox. You know that Lennox is a very old name. You know the thing goes back into Scotland for centuries? And if you want to check it out, Shakespeare has a character in Macbeth named Lennox. Hmm. So I don't know this Lennox that you talked about. It, you know, I believe what you say about you know who who this Lennox was in New York, but that's interesting. And I did not know until a couple of days ago that there were plaques on Lower Broadway to both Pierre Laval and Henri Patin. That I did not know. Yes, uh, and Diem. Uh, they had had a, a parade through the Canyon of Heroes for Diem. The uh, Prime Minister of uh, South Vietnam, I think it was orchestrated by Eisenhower at that time, only to be, uh, what, six years later, uh, ordered uh, his execution, uh, JFK, uh, through the CIA. And because and because it was we were afraid that he was going to be come down hard on the Buddhists. Well, that, you know, listen, the Buddhists in South Vietnam have always had a strange history toward the government. And uh, I 
uh, I've heard from Vietnamese friends of mine that uh, DM was not exactly courteous to the Buddhists. And we'll, we'll just leave it at that. Uh, well, you know, interesting. Probably, uh, really, for most Americans, uh, knowing about Viet- uh, Vietnam occurred when many of the monks would set themselves on fire. On fire. Yes, I know. And in fact, I I, I had a friend who was in Vietnam, and he saw it, and he says it was, it was pretty gruesome. Listen, what are you and Anthony Weiner going to be discussing this afternoon? What what interesting topics? Uh, I guess all Memphis all the time. Oh, Lord. All right, well, listen, Curtis, you take it easy. Keep the keep the fires burning. Listen, we, we love you on a Friday and Saturday night and all the other times. We give my love to Nancy. Happy New Year to both of you. And uh, tell her to keep doing heroic work for the cats. You well, need that, right? Absolutely. Absolutely, Robin. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Teresa in New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Teresa. Hi, Curtis. Good morning. And good morning, Avery. He's a rock star. Anyways, I'm glad Nancy's doing a little better. But... That was the first time I heard that recording from uh, um, Pelosi, uh, Paul Pelosi. And I got to tell you, I have a pretty good ear. And um, that 911 operator sounded just like Nancy Pelosi. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Hold on, we're going to play it again. Oh, we're going to play I, it again. I guess I, I, I called on the What is this? This is San Francisco Police. Do you need help? Oh, well, there's a gentleman uh, here just waiting for my wife to come back. Nancy Pelosi. Uh, he's just uh, waiting for her to come back. She's not going to be here for a day, so I guess we'll have to wait. Okay, do you need police, fire, or medical for anything? Uh, I, I don't think so. I don't think so. Zero, two, twenty-three, and fifty-eight seconds. Yeah, there's the, uh, um, is the Capitol Police around? No, this is San Francisco. They're usually here. They're usually here at the house protecting my wife. No, this is San Francisco Police. Friday, October. I, I, no, I understand. Eight, two Okay, well, uh, and I know, what do you think? Uh, he thinks everything's good. Uh, I've got a problem, but he thinks everything's good. Uh, okay, call us back if you need your mind. No, 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 this, this gentleman just uh, came into the house. Uh, and he wants to wait here for my wife to come home. Zero, two, and so, uh, four, and anyway, he's on the phone. Do you know who the person is? No, I don't know who he is. He, he, uh, uh, he has Zero, this, two, he's telling me, 20, he's telling me not to, uh, he's telling me not to do anything. What is your address, sir? Uh, 26. What is your name? Uh, my name is Paul Pelosi. Friday, anyway, this, this gentleman said that uh, he thinks everything ought to, you know, he, he told me to put the phone down and uh, just do what he said. Okay? Okay, who, what's the gentleman's name? I don't know. What's that? My name's David. Da- the name is David. 
Okay, and who is David? I don't know. I'm a friend of theirs. Yeah, I, I, um, he says he's a friend, but as but I said, I've never... But you don't know who he is? No, no ma'am. Okay. He's telling me I'm being very leading, so i, I got to stop talking to you, okay? Okay. You sure? I can stay on the phone with you just to make sure everything's okay. No, he, he wants me to get that off the phone. Zero, two, twenty, okay. six, okay. and zero, eight. Thank you. Seconds. Okay, bye. Hi. Drop the hammer. Um, nope. Hey. Hey, hey, hey. What is Sorry, going on right now? I'm not getting an answer. I'm calling oh, oh, oh. 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 Right in front of the cops. I mean, he hit him hard. I'm surprised, uh, surprised Paul Pelosi uh, survived that. That was quite the shot. Although that 911 operator, Broadway Billy, that did not sound like Nancy Pelosi. I don't know. Teresa must have been half in the bag or maybe, you know, hitting the uh, cooking sherry or something. Uh, who knows? Our number is 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to uh, Roger calling from uh, Massachusetts. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Roger. Yeah, thanks. I'm going to just briefly touch on all three of these little subjects. Um, uh, First of all, one little thing I heard from a historian about Vietnam is that shortly after JFK was inaugurated, he contacted uh, Eisenhower and asked him, you know, what he should do about this whole thing, whatever, what's going on in Vietnam. And Eisenhower uh, advised him not to get involved with it. But then he says, if you're going to get involved, you got to go in heavy, hard and heavy, you know, all the way. Uh, I guess to stop the North Vietnamese, whatever. And, and, but, but JFK didn't. And like everyone says, we were, we were there half-heartedly the whole time. And, uh, and so forth. Um, the second thing is the the congresswoman from Massachusetts, Ayanna Presley. Um, you know, you ask what, what's in the water up there. I, I don't know. Maybe uh, you know, at Harvard and all these hoity-toities, maybe they, you know, everyone figures that they're better than everybody else. And uh, she made an objection when the Girl Scouts posted um, this tribute. To the Supreme Court, the women in the Supreme Court, and um, and be, but because it included the newly sworn in, um, oh the uh, the Catholic uh, woman, at, 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 uh, um, I, I forget her name, the one that uh, under Trump, the Catholic uh, woman that uh, became Supreme Court justice, because she was Amy Coney Barrett. Because she was in the picture and the tribute, Ayanna Presley put up a put up a big stink, and immediately the leadership of the Girl Scouts bowed down to her and had them take down that post. To me, that's a little disgusting, and it makes you think a lot less of the leadership of the Girl Scouts. And finally, the thing with with Paul Pelosi, you know, it sounded like he was trying to get as much information across that operator without sounding enough of an alarm. For that guy to to to, to whack out, and um, and uh, I don't know about the the operator. I'm hoping that she was just sort of playing along while, in the meantime, with her other hand, uh, you know, doing some nine one, you know, urgent 
call to the police to get them over there. That's all I can say about that. But, yeah, he's a real uh, wacko. And Paul Pelosi was trying to tread lightly not to set the guy off. Yeah, no, no, I, I don't believe that 911 operator was uh, using any kind of technology. I just think she was a dullard. I, could, I, I mean, she just sat there, well, yeah, call back if you got a problem. You could tell the guy had a problem. You could tell, oh, yeah, call back. It gets any worse, call me back. I'll be waiting here for you. Oh, my, oh, no, my. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. This is Another Side of Midnight with Curtis Lewa. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa. frequencies are you with me anyway let's go to alex in connecticut your turn to be heard here at wabc alex good morning curtis how are you sir i've had better days yeah we all have hey uh, just on a side note i mean what happened to mr pelosi is horrible um i grew up with a world war ii vet grandfather and a dad that was in the military and they always said to me a gun in the hand beats the entire police force on the phone. Uh, being Californians, I know that gun laws are very restrictive over there. How do you feel about that? And, you know, the Democrats actually really, really pushing to disarm America when I, I assume most of the people in this country only want one for self-defense in situations like that. I've had two incidents in my life. I wasn't the actual user of the firearm, but it was a real huge deterrent to something that could have been very horrific and in an alternate ending. Um, The firearm was never discharged. However, the two perpetrators that I, right in front of my face, uh, my grandfather was one of them. He had a supermarket. These three guys walked in in overcoats and uh, with pipes under their, as soon as he pulled them out, my grandfather put his revolver on the counter and said, can I help you? And they turned around and walked away. I mean, he was an elderly man at the time, but how does all this play into it? I mean, it's just, it's pretty sad that we, people, not Mr. Pelosi himself, but we're just being stripped of our rights to protect ourselves, especially listening to the 911 operator like, ah, no big deal, whatever. I don't know if he was trained to do otherwise, but it just seems really strange to me that 
she was so lackadaisical about it. And I'm pretty sure if this nut job was greeted with a shotgun, the you know outcome might have been different. I mean, it, it's horrible that he almost lost his life. Well, not only that, I mean, uh, what a stunage he was. He's talking about Capitol Police. That should have struck yeah, a, a chord in her, like, wait a second, this guy, his name is Pelosi. He's asking about Capitol Police. Could he right. be in any way related to the Speaker of the House, who everybody knows was from San Francisco? She was completely oblivious. I mean, didn't even hesitate. Right. And you would think that on that 911 call, something would pop up on her screen saying, you know, Speaker of the House or, or something to, you know, identify the person calling. I, I, I don't know. It's just a lot of it doesn't make sense to me. No, but I, 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 got, I got to tell you, the 911 operator was uh, definitely not, uh, not, not uh, in any way, shape, or, or form smart or, or sharp. Although Paul Pelosi was uh, cool, calm, and collected. Did a hell of a lot better than I thought he probably did. Anyway, uh, you know who's coming up from 7 to 10, Broadway Bill Lee and Avery, uh, who is in preparation uh, 24 hours from now in the 4 o'clock hour when we take you to the break of dawn Sunday morning. The one-hour Frank Morano extravaganza where we are extracting from Frank's show in the last week where you can hear the other side of midnight from 1 to 5, Monday through Fridays. We are extracting things that he said that Avery will chop up, blend up, and then produce for all of us in a one-hour laugh fest that is the funniest hour in radio. You don't want to be missing that. That's coming up uh, in about 24 hours. But in a few hours, from 7 to 10, is Bo Snurdly, who thinks that he can conflate music with subject matter better than yours truly. And he actually called me in from a studio thinking that I would not know the song that he was playing. As I was saying when we started the show, ladies and gentlemen, New York School's Chancellor David Banks. Let it roll. It's calling for an all-hands response to all of the shootings and all of the deaths of children in our city. It's a state of emergency. He said it's going to require a much greater degree of intervention. He said these aren't just some isolated incidents. This is a very, very bad situation happening around the city. And our children are not in a good place. Hey, Curtis. You ever hear this woman, Curtis? This, this, this. You ever hear this woman, Chardé? Have you, have you ever heard of her? Repeat that. H- have you ever heard of her, Chardé? Oh, this- Chardé from England, UK. Yeah, you sure you? Yeah. Oh, there's no doubt, Chardé, the best. Yeah, you, you actually got five star top shelf selection today. A little depressing, but the best. <laughs> Curtis. We are supposed to be working on a rescue plan for cats. I am still begging you, let's get this underway before the summer happens. You got it, because remember, I'm fighting to be the rat czar in New York City, and the mayor dissed oh. me today in his State of the City address. He said, as long as I'm mayor, Sliwa will never be the rat czar. 
What kind of shoe can be the rat czar of WABC anytime? That's but, right. And remember, but, my solution is feral cats, which is what we're going to work I on. I know. I and promise you, know you. I promise you. It actually works. Well, now that you played Sade, you've uh, restored your musical acumen uh, uh, in terms of my mindset about you. So, yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Okay. Curtis Lee, ladies and gentlemen, look, this thing, by the way, stay there for one second, Curtis. Don't go away because I got to sure. ask you about this. Let's take the music out. Curtis, I, I'm really serious about this. This thing has, has bothered me like no other's business. The, the chancellor of New York City schools is saying today that, look, this is an emergency. These kids being killed in this city. We've got to have more intervention. He says that the current level of interventions, police, grief counselors, social workers, they don't go far enough to address the root causes of violence among kids in this city. Now, last year, over 157 children were killed by this. What is your what are we what are we supposed to do about this, Curtis? Well, I deal with these young thugs and thugettes every day as young as 12 and 13. Uh, they actually have fanny packs they carry around their shoulders with their nine millimeters uh, on them, fully loaded, and the cops are not permitted to stop and frisk them. So Chancellor Eric Adams and the rest of you out there who are crying about all this increase in juvenile crime, why don't you do the juniors a favor, stop them, frisk them, and get the guns and the ammo off the street? The last time that... Stop and frisk was tried. It worked. Crime went down. I understand that there are constitutional issues about this. The rights are being violated. But at some point, is there a way, and I know you're not a lawyer, I'm not asking you to be a lawyer, but do you think that there's a way that we could implement some kind of stop and frisk program that actually does meet constitutional crime? Um, we're not violating Oh, what happened there? What happened? You cut me off. You gave me a brush here, uh, Broadway Bill Lee. Chase, the other day, I know you saw this. Chase says it's you now um, um, shutting down some branches yes. Yes. because of the criminal. We've had so many shops say that there's another story today. New York Post, a big one, how up in the Bronx, they're now starting to hire private security guards. Okay, do we want private security forces now taking on this crime problem? Well, let me tell you something. It's kind of easy with the teenagers. You take the gun, you take the clip, and you say, when you see your mommy, because we know you don't have a daddy around, tell them to come to the precinct and claim your gun and your clip. That's how you get the guns and the clips off the street. You can worry about the constitutional issues on another day. There's nobody who is going to stand up and say it's the right of a 12 or a 13-year-old to be fully strapped in the streets of New York City, in the schools, or in the trains. Take the guns from the kids. It's that simple. Thank you, Curtis. Oh, I love James, that Sade. You're going to come back with a little Sade? We can do that. Thank you. James Golden, a.k.a. Snurley with you. Curtis Lee would join us for a moment. We'll be back, ladies and gentlemen. All-star lineup, Jim Jordan and Curtis Lewa on WABC Talk Radio 77, coming right back. It was. Jim Jordan let it off, then I followed. Unexpectedly, he thought he was going to bamboozle me by fooling me with the songstress Sade from the U.K. It's great. In 24 hours, we got to play a little Sade in solidarity with James Golden, who wants to join in solidarity on the feral cat idea 
to use that as uh, as the uh, we'll call it. Um, I guess you could call it the uh, call it the, uh, the preventer of the rats, the mice, and the rodents taking over the city of New York because they've done that. Because Eric Adams, swagger man with no plan, does not want me to be the rat star. Then it was interesting, as I was listening to the continuation of Bo's show, he had on his caller, Tony, who's been on before. And this guy, Tony, you listen to him. I, I recognize it. I got the ear, just like I picked out Steve from Manhattan twice tonight who tried to bogart us. This is the great Lionel performing his Tony. Let's head to the telephones, shall we? Tony in Manhattan, thank you for waiting. How are you today? Thank you, Mr. Rush. Wow. <laughs> You're the best. You're the thank best. You. Um, believe me, I remember Rush Limbo, the way he talks and you talk today. You remember that basketball player, uh, football player in Philadelphia that used dogs fight, right? Yeah. All right. The way he talks, the way you talk today, I mean, this is radio. Let me tell you something. Uh, four illegal immigrants were caught shoplifting in Macy's. When they asked them where they live, oh, we live in 59th Street Hotel. Now, it's a message for this governor, Mr. Abbott, to put two buses, bring it to, the, bring it to Fifth Avenue, in front of the cathedral, and deposit there. Because why? We are a sanctuary city. Tony Melendez, bye. Tony, I love you and thank you. Look, you know what? Here's the here's to rub some salt in the wounds there. There's a new story out, and we covered that story yesterday about these four people that came in. They're illegal immigrants. They're part of this whole scam that we have called an asylum system, which is nothing but a scam system. And... They're not going to be deported unless they're convicted. And even then, chances are, (laughs) yeah, you think they're going to be deported? $12,000. They come here to this country, and the first thing they start doing is steal. Okay? That's their intention for America. Let's go to Dorothy in Brooklyn, New York. Dorothy, how are you? Uh, Good afternoon, and God bless and protect all of you and your families. It's just a little slice the Bo Snurley, Monday through Fridays from 4 to 5. But you heard that gentleman called Tony Menendez. I've heard him quite a few times call up Bo. Bo has absolutely no idea that that is the great Lionel who has gotten into character. He is Tony Menendez talking about the four illegal aliens that were housed in a midtown uh, motel, notel, motel, hotel, Holiday Inn Express, at taxpayers' expense, our city taxpayers' expense, because of Eric Adams, swagger man with no plan, who then take a BMW car with no registration, no plates, who knows where they hotwired it from, roll out to the Macy's in Nassau County, shoplift $12,000 worth of apparel, get caught, get arrested, then get cut loose. And then Bruce Blakeman, the, you know, Nassau County executive who can't chew gum and think at the same time, he said, yeah, they're not going to come here to Nassau. Well, why didn't you turn them over to ICE? Nope. Why? Because Nassau County is a sanctuary county in a sanctuary state. And so then when they returned to New York uh, to go to their hotel, none of the city authorities reported them to ICE because ICE could have then retained them 
put them in uh, Vesey Street, downtown Manhattan, or Elizabeth, New Jersey, which is the holding area for illegal aliens who have either committed crime in the country of origin that they snuck into here from. And then they would be deported back, or if they committed crimes here in America, they'd have to serve their time first, and then we would deport them back to their country of origin. So how the hell are you going to get this straightened out? If local law enforcement is not permitted to operate with ICE, Limigre, Immigration and Naturalization Service, who has a finger on the pulse of all these criminal illegal aliens coming into our country. This is another side of midnight with Curtis Lewa. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa. Don't call it a comeback. Gentlemen, you don't want to miss it. Apparently, Sid Rosenberg is going back and forth with Chris Fredo Cuomo, pretty boy with the muscle between both ears. I mean, they're texting back and forth, and uh, Fredo is challenging uh, Sid Rosenberg to get into the ring. Try right, put on the Everlast uh, boxing gloves. Looks to me like Sid is about a good 190 pounds, light heavyweight, much better shape than uh, Chris Cuomo looks uh, like. Uh, he's probably about 200 pounds, not in shape. And, uh, you know, this would remind me of that great battle that took place many years ago uh, when uh, both Bernard McGurk was alive and well and the producer for the Don Imus show and uh, contributor, as was uh, Sid Rosenberg doing sports and contributing. And then uh, Don Imus had basically matched them together. I think it was on the pier off the uh, West Side Highway. And uh, Bernard McGurk, no longer with us, uh, knocked, uh, knocked Sid Rosenberg's block off. And interesting, when they came out into the ring, Bernard McGurk uh, had nothing on, on top. He just had his, uh, his uh, boxing shorts on. It was, it was Sid Rosenberg who had the robe on. Now, you know, Sid walks around almost virtually nude. I like this. I like this. Uh, we could have a double header. We can have uh, Chris Fredo Cuomo in one, uh, one corner versus Sid uh, the egomaniac uh, Rosenberg in the other corner, light heavyweights. And then we finish it up with the heavyweight match. Andrew Evilice Cuomo, King Cuomo II, the son of Mario Faccia Bruta Cuomo, King Cuomo I in one corner. And yours truly, Curtis Lee, in the other corner. The only problem is you probably have to take out those uh, nipple rings that he had on, you know, whenever he was doing those updates about the uh, coronavirus. Back when he was riding on top of the world, you know, every afternoon when it was Nutatsu the Cafe will be scared, Medaglia d'Oro with Cuomo. Manage. This will, this will be very interesting. You want to hear me on with Sid, 7.05 Monday morning, as you can every Friday, 7.05 Monday morning, because I'm bookends. The start of the week as the antidote to all this uh, kissy-poo that Sid Rosenberg has with his metrosexual friend, Eric Adams, swagger man with no plan. 
That's Monday, 7.05, and Friday, 7.05. And then I was listening to Greg Kelly, who follows me Monday through Fridays. He's on from 1 to 3, and I'm on from 12 to 1. And it's interesting, one of his callers was like uh, baiting me, was goading me, was, uh, he didn't like my style uh, of constantly being on the attack. All right, I, I, I am curious, Michael. What do you have to say? You're in Rockaway Beach. What happened? Well, I listen to your uh, station almost 15 hours a day. She uh, was. Well, but uh, yeah, I mean, that's a lot of that's a lot of radio time. Well, I drive a lot. All right. And, so uh, what happened? I've been listening. Well, Curtis is always attacking Sid Rosenberg and his ad hominem attacks against the Cardinal Cardinal Dolan, who's a friend of mine. We're on a first name basis. I know he's ticked off about these migrants being helped by the Archdiocese by Catholic charities. But if these people are in the city and they're... All right, now wait a second. Number one, he's picking on Sid Rosenberg. From what I hear, Sid does a lot of picking on people himself, all right? So that's okay, all right? That's, uh, you know, Howard Stern didn't like Imus. Imus didn't like Howard Stern. That happens at radio stations. I love everybody here, by the way. Sid, uh, Curtis, uh, who else? Uh, the, the whole crew. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, but is he, what did he say about Cardinal Dolan? I love Cardinal Dolan, his eminence. Ay, ay, ay. Ay, ay, ay. What did he, uh, I don't, I don't think I even want to know. Uh oh. Uh oh. He said, uh, can I answer? Can I continue? Just continue. Hello? Yeah. So he, uh, he, Cardinal Dolan, of course, is in charge of Catholic Charities, and Catholic Charities does get a lot of money from the government for its social services. I mean, you know, there's a lot of people in this city that aren't even migrants. That if it wasn't for Catholic charities, they'd be at an extremis. And what they'd it? Be, yeah, uh, yeah. Catholic know? charities. We love Catholic charities. Uh, it's important. Uh, what happened? Now? I really shouldn't be doing this. I don't want to cause trouble in house. But what happened next? Well, you know, he's attacking Cardinal Dolan because Catholic charities gets millions of dollars. Well, I mean, all right, it. attacking Cardinal Dolan. I mean, how? I mean, it's one thing. Look. Um, it's a public entity. You can criticize a decision or two, I guess. Is he making it nasty? Is he making it personal? Yeah, he's making it personal. I think he's nasty. And I think Curtis needs an attitude adjustment. Well, I'm not going to give it to him. This guy, I mean, look, it's he's a grown man. He's not going to change. He's, you know, it's been around. I can't, uh, you can change, you know, for 15 minutes out of the 15 hours, you can listen to something else. No. <laughs> All right. Well, I don't want you to get angry. I'm not going to talk no, to no, Curtis. No, Greg, Greg, listen to me. I know Curtis. I met Curtis when he was at McDonald's on Fordham Road when I was an auxiliary police lieutenant uh, 20 years ago, whatever the hell it was, 1972, 20, uh, 40 20. years ago. And? Okay, so I know Curtis. So, well, and you I'm know, you met him I Well, you met him once 50 years ago. I don't know if you know no, Curtis, no, but no, what? No, I went to parties and met him, too. And? I parties. All right, I, 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 I got to tell you something, though, Michael. He doesn't owe you anything. I mean, no. you cross paths, you know, in the Bronx. I, I don't know. All right, Michael, I, I appreciate you listening all the time. That's great. Um, Curtis is his own, you know, he can do what he does. We can't. I'm not going to straighten him out. Uh, what he says is what he says. And you listen. Like you do. I, all right. But there's some stuff he does that you do like, right? No, I turn them off. All right, well, sometimes, well, you turn them off. Oh, you see, you don't watch, you don't listen 15 hours a day. Here I am thinking that you were a loyal guy. All right, Michael, listen, just roll with it a little bit. It's going to be all right. I'll be right back. Wow, 15 hours a day, he listens. Michael in the Bronx, 
says he was an auxiliary officer years ago when I was the night manager of Mickey D's up in the Bronx on East Fordham Road in Webster. It's where I started the Guardian Angels, the street and subway patrols, February 13th of 1979. It's going to be our 44th anniversary one day after the Super Bowl, right? February 13th. And boy, we got our work cut out for us in New York City. Man, it's bad. I don't care what kind of spin Kathy Crimewave Holcomb and Eric Adams Swagger Man put on. It's bad. Meantime, Sid Rosenberg has now a personal NYPD escort squad so that when he finishes the program and it's time for him to go home, can't go to the Rockaways because his pipes burst. So he's staying in a Midtown Notel Motel Holiday Inn Express two stops away. So they escort him two stops. And then when he's ready to come back to WABC, they escort him here. Courtesy of the mayor who has appointed appointed Sid Rosenberg as his propaganda minister. They're like two peas in a pod, a soup in a sandwich, a horse in a carriage. Let's go to Ron, who's calling from New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Ronnie. Morning, Curtis. How are you today? Longtime supporter of you. Thank you. I just, Thank want, to, you, I just want to touch. Yeah, I just want to touch a little bit on the uh, the operator in that Pelosi incident. Yeah, what a stunner like she was. I, I, I'm kind of like leaning the other way with that because, you know, if we think about it, that time, those tapes that you have are time stamped. And we really need to look first. The difference between when that 911 call was made and when the police responded, because she could have already contacted the police and sent some uh, cars over to the Pelosi house. So, you know, we got to remember, there's a job on the line, hers, basically. Hopefully she didn't, you know, she acted right because they are trained to stay calm in these incidents because that was a hostage incident when we think about it. Hmm. I got to tell you this, uh, Ron, you couldn't be more hopelessly wrong. That woman, that, that operator, can I just hear the beginning of it? Oh, what a stunad. What a stunad she was. He got Paul As I was saying when we. He got Paul Pelosi. He's uh, making the 911 call. That's uh, 61. Making the 911 call. It's clear. The guy is trying to hold on and maintain his cool and calm while this nut job is next to him with a hammer. 2022. Oh, I guess I, I guess I, I call them. What is this? This is San Francisco Police. Do you need help? Oh, well, there's a gentleman uh, here just waiting for my wife to come back. Nancy Pelosi. Uh, he's just uh, waiting for her to come back because she's not going to be here for a day, so I guess we'll have to wait. Okay, do you need police fire or medical for anything? Uh, I, I don't think so. I don't think so. Zero, two, twenty-three, and fifty-eight seconds. Uh, there's the, uh, um, is the Capitol Police around? No, this is San Francisco. They're usually here. They're usually here at the house protecting my wife. No, this is San Francisco Police. Friday, October. I, I, no, I understand. Eight, two, um, okay, well, zero, uh, two, twenty, four, and eighteen seconds. Uh, he thinks everything's good. Uh, I've got a problem, but he thinks everything's good. Zero, two, twenty, four, and eighteen seconds. 
zero. Uh, okay. Call us back if you change your mind. No, no, no. This this gentleman just uh, came into the house uh, and he wants to wait here for my wife to come home. Zero. And so. Uh, and anyway, he's on the phone. Do you know who the person is? No, I don't know who he is. He he uh, uh, he has this. He told me. He said he told me not to. Uh, he told me not to do anything. What is your address, sir? Uh, yeah, 26. What is your name? Uh, my name is Paul Pelosi. Anyway, this, this gentleman says that uh, he thinks everything ought to, you know, he, he told me to put the phone down and uh, just do what he said. Okay? Okay, Who? what's the gentleman's name? I don't know. What's that? My name's David. Da the name is David. <laughs> okay, and who is David? I, I don't know. I, what's that? I'm a friend of theirs. Yeah, I, I, um, he says he's a friend, but as but I said, I've never... But you don't know who he is? No, no ma'am. Okay. He's telling me I'm being very leading, so I, I got to stop Zero, talking to you, okay? Two, okay. You sure? I can seconds. stay on the phone with you just to make sure everything's okay. No, he, he wants me to get that off the phone. Zero, two, okay. Six, okay. And zero, eight Thank you. Seconds. Okay, bye. Wow. Actually, uh, Paul Pelosi handled that very well. Cool, calm, and collected. And you got the maniac next to him with the hammer ready to smash his head in. Meantime, the operator, she was like, oh, man, what a stunag. Anyway, ladies and gentlemen, you don't want to miss it. Because uh, coming up from 7 to 10, you got uh, James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdly, followed by, in fact, he was styling and profiling in uh, a red outfit. Almost like he wanted to become uh, the fiscal guardian angel, Larry Kudlow, from 10 to 1, who at one point was a major honoree of the guardian angels at one of our previous dinners. Uh, and then uh, then, uh, then it starts gearing up. Then you got Anthony Weiner in the middle from 2 to 3. And then I join Anthony, uh, left versus right, 3 to 4. And then it's Rob Astorino of 4 to 5. And then it begins the entertainment segment, which is what everybody yearns for on the weekends with Vinny Madunio from 5 to 6. And then it's Cousin Brucey, 6 to 10. Tony Orlando without Dawn from 10 to 12. And then we do it all over again. So nice. The suits let me do it twice from 12 midnight Sunday to 6 in the morning to the break of dawn. And remember, mark it down on your calendar. In uh, 22 hours, you will have uh, a potpourri of Frank Morano cuts from this last week put together by our own Avery, who is our phone screener and nighttime producer. It is the funniest hour in radio, bar none. You'll be laughing. You'll be having such extreme belly laughs. Remember, you go to the break of dawn, and then I don't go away. I come back 3 to 5 on Sunday with all the late-breaking news and commentary and taking your calls, and then I finish it all off to Quinella. From 9 to 11, again, the news and commentary, and it's always your calls, never guess, because you have more to say than any guess. And then we finish up the week 
with the most requested phoned in and interactive of all the hours that I do at WABC, where WABC stands for Always Broadcasting, Curtis, the Animal Welfare Hour with my wife, Nancy. This is Greg Kelly for Priority Gold. What does it mean to be America's precious metals dealer? It means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country, value our freedom, and want to protect the future. Priority Gold is that precious metals dealer. They've helped thousands of Americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver. Call Priority Gold at 888-506-6439. Receive free shipping, free storage, a free investment guide, and one of the best purchase experiences in the industry. Call now or go to PriorityGold.com.